Well, that ended sooner than I thought it would. Welcome to Poker Fraudulent Radio. This is Todd Dandruff Witellis. You're listening to the Druff and Friends Show. This is being broadcast live on October 19, 2017. The time right now, 9.11 p.m. And that was It's My Life, Talk Talk from 1984. This was requested by Mr. Smith 9999, who is a Norwegian listener. And he, he donated to the free roll, including tonight. So, generous guy, actually in Norway, and... He enjoys this show, and I appreciate very much that both he listens and he donates. So, talk about the free roll in a second. Uh, hopefully we have Cal Watt tonight. This show was scheduled to start basically after the Dodgers-Cubs game. And then it finished, and I, I still had some getting ready to do for the show, so I scheduled it for 9 p.m. And right now it's uh, it's 9.12. So, I don't know if we can reach Cal Watt, because he has to go to Portland tomorrow. And it's after midnight already where he is on the East Coast. If we can't reach him, then we'll see if we can get Trader Ruski. We'll see if uh, we can get anybody else. Otherwise, it'll just be me tonight doing Poker Fraud Alert Radio, as I will do if we cannot get any co-hosts. But for those of you that are here listening live, welcome. For those in the archives, welcome as well. And tell you about the free roll for those who are listening live. We have quite a free roll tonight for an off night. Off night meaning not on Wednesday. And a little bit later start than normal too. But we have $101 to give away, which is pretty amazing because we had $9 total to give away a few hours ago. But the donations have poured in. And we now have $101. It is at 9.30 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account to play there. Totally free. Does not even require any play chips to enter that free roll. The prize pool is distributed as follows. First place will be $50. Second place, $25. Third place, $13. Fourth place, $8. Fifth place, $5. So we have 50, 25, 13, 8, and 5, all adding up to $101 Thank you very much to the following people who donated to it. We got $50 from SimpDog, $33 from Reno. We have $9 from Mulva and $9 from Mr. Smith 9999. Thank you to all of you. Poker Fraud Alert Radio has given away more money in our free rolls and podcasts, or our podcast-related free rolls, than any other poker show that you will find out there. You won't find any other poker radio or audio show that has given away more free money than we have. And you get it whatever way you want. You don't have to get the money on a poker site where you may not want it or where it may be difficult to cash it out. Here, you will get the money in cash. You can get it by Bitcoin, by bank transfer. You can get it by cash or check after you've accumulated enough winnings to where it's worth my trouble to do. And you can also get it in other ways that I won't disclose out here, but if you can imagine some other ways that money can be sent online from one person to another, uh, I might be able to send it to you that way. So if you win, contact me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com or PM me on the forum, Dan, Dan Space Druff, on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. There are rules for eligibility. If you go to pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, you can learn the rules 
in order to be eligible to play. Ignorance of the rules is not an excuse. If you do not qualify, you will be taken out of the prize pool as if you didn't play, and whoever finished below you will be moved up. And I'm very strict about that. They're not difficult rules. They're not very stringent rules, but they are rules nonetheless and ones we will follow. And they're mainly in place to prevent people from leeching off of our free roll. We don't want people showing up just to play the free roll. We want people who either listen to the show regularly or contribute in some other way, such as a forum poster, such as others who have been uh, contributed in the past, people who have co-hosted the show, people who uh, have donated in the past to the free roll. Basically, you just have to be part of the site in some way or a regular listener in some way, and then you qualify. If you just came here to play the free roll and have no other interest in the site, then you will not be get you, you will not be getting paid for any finish in the money here. But fortunately, we really haven't had a problem with that. Because we established these rules up front, we haven't really had a problem with having to deny very many people who do win money. Almost everybody who's won money has been eligible for it. I do want to thank the listeners of the show for donating almost all the free roll money that we've ever given away. So it came from our listeners, not even from me or from really anyone who runs Poker Fraud Alert because there's only one person who runs it, and that's me. Let's see what we can do as far as reaching someone to co-host here. Do we have, uh, let's see if Cal Watts around. Let's see if he's around. I I was busy watching the Dodgers game. Uh, so I didn't really keep up with whether Cal Watt went to sleep. And he might have. I haven't heard from him. So let me ask him if he's awake. It's very possible he went to sleep because he does have a flight tomorrow. This is the one problem with having a show where the main co-host is on the East Coast and we start late here. So it's three hours later for him. And then when he has things to do in the morning, then he can't make it, which is understandable. This is not a job. This does not pay him in any way. He is not committed to anything. He just does it voluntarily because he enjoys it. So sometimes life gets in the way. But that's okay. We will move forward and have the show as we always do, co-hosts or not. So, okay. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. We have an old 70s rotary telephone that sits in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston. And it forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. It's a separate line into the show. You can also listen to the show through the call to listen line. This is not a number to interact with us. You cannot call me and speak to me on this line, but you can use it to listen to the show from any phone that can dial a U.S. phone number in the world. Any phone. It does not require the Internet. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require a computer. All you need is any phone ever that can dial a phone number in the state of Iowa in the United States. It's, a, it's located in a shack in the town of Carroll, Iowa, the call to listen line. And it's very simple. You call and you listen. You listen to the show on there. There's no buffering. There's no BS. There's no setup. It just works. You just call up and it plays you the show. 
you will hear the live show on there. And if we're not live, you will hear one of many streaming reruns where it picks from our library of more than 250 shows and runs one randomly. And when that's done, it runs another one randomly over and over and over again until we come back on the air live. So that phone number is 712-775-8162, 712-775-8162. Hundreds of thousands of minutes are listened to on that line every year. Hundreds of thousands of minutes. It's almost been up for two years now. We put it up in November of 2015, and it's something I'm very proud of. The call to listen line. I love it. I personally love it. And you will too. People, people mock it, but then they try it. They go, this is a great thing. And people mock it because it seems old school. It seems like, why would you ever listen to an internet radio show on a phone? Like, why would you listen by calling a number? It's like, people are okay listening on their phone through a stream, but they don't want to listen by making a phone call. It just seems like something really ancient. It sounds like something you'd be doing 30 years ago. But it's great. And the reason it's so great is it's so simple. And it does not require very much. You could have a very weak signal on your cell phone driving in the hills or the mountains. And as long as you have one bar and you can make the call, you can listen. And there's no buffering. There's no pausing. It's just, it's so easy. Sometimes the simplest things and easiest things in life are the best things. If you want to chat in the chat room, you can do so during the show, during the live show. There will be nobody in there if you're listening in the archives, so don't bother, but... During the live show, you can chat mainly with the other listeners of the live show. I don't chat very much in there because I have a lot to do here. When you hear sometimes pauses, when I seem to pause for a second, it's because I, I'm doing something else in the background. And I have a lot to do because I'm running all the technical equipment here. I'm the one who's actually broadcasting it. And I'm the one having to take phone calls and I receive messages during the show and, of course, I have to do the show, so a lot for me to do and concentrate on. And I'm, I'm not even the multitasking whiz that CalWatt is. CalWatt is really, really an amazing multitasker. I, I can't do it quite that well. Sometimes my attention will go to something, and it's hard to pay attention to what I was doing before. So if you hear little pauses, that's why. So a lot for me to do, which means I, I don't really read a chat room while I'm doing the show, but I'll occasionally take a look. Like right now, I'm going to take a look. Right now, I'm going to look at the chat room. Let's see what it says. Uh, the call to listen line is pretty poor quality, says Duped Samaritan. Sometimes I listen to it, then switch to the stream, and I'm like, oh my god, that was shitty. Okay, let me explain that. That's, that's a good point you're bringing up. There are times that the call to listen line can be of poor quality. And it can vary from call to call. If you have that happen, just hang up and call the call to listen line back and you'll probably get a better connection. I find that when I call the call to listen line, it works great. Like I, I can't really tell that much of a difference between that and the stream itself. Uh, there are a few times I have called and the quality is terrible. doesn't happen often, but if that does happen, just hang up and call back. So that's, that's what I've seen. I, I'm a big believer in good sound quality. When the sound quality of anything I listen to sucks, including my own show, it pisses me off and I hate it and it bothers me. So if the, the sound quality was terrible on the call to listen line, I would notice this and I, I wouldn't even use it myself. But I, I really do. Like when I'm walking the dog, I'll actually put on the call to listen line and just listen to an old PFA show that's playing. 
Uh, Dupe Samaritan also saying real nail-biter in that game, referring to the baseball game. Yeah, the Dodgers killed them. The Dodgers absolutely killed them. The Dodgers are going on to the World Series. I'm very happy about that. It's been the first time in my adult life this has happened. Last time the Dodgers were in the World Series, I was 16 years old, and Ronald Reagan was president. So very, very long time, 29 years since the Dodgers were in the World Series. S. Double in chat saying, Hi, Druff, way to be on time again. <laughs> well, pretty close to on time. I announced 9 o'clock, I think. I started the music at 9.09. Which for me is good. Okay, so here's the agenda for tonight, and then we're going to get going. Let's see if we can pick up Trader Ruski. I think that Calwatt is out. He said he'll be here in eight minutes, Trader Ruski. Okay, so here's the agenda. We have two Poker Fraud Alert exclusives tonight. Exclusives meaning that a story we're reporting on that is not reported anywhere else on the web, whether in radio show format or in written format, where we're covering something that is just not being discussed anywhere else. And sometimes these are important stories. So our first exclusive tonight and our top story is about the Merge Network stealing $4,000 from a player on their network who is from the United States just outright stole $4,000 from him, and at this time, they have not returned it. Pretty bad, and it's exactly as it sounds. They really stole $4,000 from the person, and we're still trying to make sense of it, but there is no excuse for what they're doing here, and we're going to keep the pressure on them. I know the person this is happening to, and that person is reliable. So that it's not just some person making up a story. So I'm going to talk about that and tell you about the theft of $4,000 that the Merge Network is committing against a U.S. poker player. Our second exclusive story, the World Series of Poker School of Poker in Baltimore is accused of scamming one of their customers after they canceled one of their classes. I will tell you what the person is accusing, what I think of it, and what I think the next step is to make this right. Obviously, something associated with the World Series committing a scam, there are some avenues of recourse. And I'll explain to you how this can even happen. How this could happen that something that is the World Series of Poker School of Poker could be doing this if the World Series is such a big and rich brand that is associated with a huge corporation of Caesars. Why would they be scamming small amounts of money? I'll explain the whole thing when we get to that segment. And again, that's just an accusation. I don't have it verified, but I believe it. A judge has made a ruling on the lawsuit involving King's Casino owner Leon Sukernik. Remember, he was accused of borrowing millions of dollars to play a high-stakes heads-up poker game, and then when he lost, he refused to pay. So there's a lawsuit involving that. We've discussed it before on this show, and I will tell you what happened with that. By the way, if anybody's trying to call in right now, we're not taking phone calls during this intro. Justin Bonomo has released a statement that's in response to all the Harvey Harvey Weinstein stuff and the Me Too hashtag where women are coming forward claiming that they were sexually harassed by someone in their lives. 
Justin Bonomo released a statement claiming that he was actually a sexual harasser in his life, dating all the way back to age 12. And the statement is, is basically an apology to all of the women that he has harassed since the age of 12. Wait till you hear this. You may think, oh, this is noble. This is not. Wait, wait till you hear it. <laughs> so you'll start to notice a theme as I go down the agenda. Vanessa Russo. Vanessa Russo is going to be returning to law school. She has announced. She has had a, an interesting 2017. And now her plan is to return to law school. So we will talk about that and what that means as far as Vanessa Russo is concerned. I think you're already noticing the theme here. Vanessa Selbst, the other lesbian Vanessa in poker, who also has a law school background, she went off on Mike Matisau on Twitter. Just went off really, really nastily to Mike Matisau. Vanessa Selps is very, very angry and bitter and to some degree hypocritical on Twitter. So we'll talk about the Vanessa Russo, Mike Matisau flap. Hmm. Another personality in poker I'd like to talk about here is uh, Olivier Bousquet. He went on a 30-tweet rant. He, he wrote 30 tweets about his views on life. Just 30 different things he wanted to tweet about and just rattle them all off at once. I will read those 30 things to you and give you my take on Olivier Bousquet's uh, takes takes on life, exactly. <laughs> These are all people we've talked about on the show before, like acting strange or stupidly or weirdly or hypocritically, whatever. It seems to be a theme this week. Just a lot of these type of stories involving poker players. Uh, Donnie Stern, a successful poker player who most notably made a huge deal about poker stars and their shenanigans with the Supernova Elite program. Uh, Abruptly, he is claiming that he's quitting poker. So We'll talk a bit about that and why he might be leaving poker if he's doing so well in it. I got a question recently from someone who won a few thousand dollars on America's card room and cashed it out and is now concerned that the IRS is going to give him a hard time. And what should he do about it? So I will give you my opinion about what you should do about your taxes if you're a U.S. citizen and you have had a moderate winning year online. What should you do about taxes at that point? Larry Flint has offered a lot of money whole lot of money. If you have any dirt on Donald Trump, you will get one million dollars times 10. He's offering $10 million for dirt on Donald Trump. We'll talk about what he's offering. And if you have it, you might be able to get rich. The MGM is going to buy a basketball team and move it to Vegas. Why is that not a huge story? Well, it's because, yes, it's a basketball team. Yes, it's a pro basketball team. No, it's not a minor league basketball team, but it's a WNBA team. (laughs) It's the 
the MGM uh, Corporation is going to be buying a WNBA team and moving it to Vegas. Aren't, aren't you excited? I'm very excited. I can't wait. You know, this topic should have been along with the Vanessa Russo and Vanessa Selps topics. I don't know why I split it, because it, it kind of all goes together. Vanessa Russo, Vanessa Selps, and the WNBA. You can figure out why. The Paula Casino in the San Diego area is going to be doing a massive expansion in what is a pretty competitive market over there. Pretty strong and competitive market, the northern San Diego County casino market. And that's because L.A. does not have any casinos. Orange County does not have any casinos. So the closest place to go for people who live in those massive population centers is typically the Riverside and San Bernardino or Riverside San Bernardino County and San Diego County casinos. So there's a few of them clustered together in that uh, Riverside slash Northern San Diego County area. Paula is one of them and they're pretty much upping the stakes. So I'll talk about the expansion they're doing and tell you a bit about the casinos in that area if you're not familiar. Finally, an Australian casino is accused of rigging video poker machines. Not in the way you'll think. Not to make the players lose. Not to pay out less than expected, but for the buttons on the machines to stick and to force you to bet more or bet more often than you really want to. (laughs) But they are accused of that. And we'll discuss that interesting story. It's actually a large casino group there that is accused of this. And I also learned something new about Australian gamblers from this story. So that is our agenda this evening. We will have Trader Ruski as our co-host once again. Hopefully Cal Watt, who missed last week, also because it was a late show. Hopefully Cal Watt will return next week. And I always miss him when he's not here. I've Cal Watt started out as an occasional co-host, an occasional additional host on the show who would either substitute when Brandon wasn't here or join in as a third host when Brandon was here. And after Brandon stepped back from the show, he really stepped up and became the main co-host here. And that's what he's been for the entire year 2017. And he's made almost every single show, including some that were very inconvenient, like when he was traveling abroad, he managed to co-host the shows. So... The only thing that can stop Cal Watt is when we start the show very late and he has to go to sleep and do something in the morning. And that's understandable. Cal Watt has a successful business of his own and he uh, he has to do things sometimes. And he's got a family too. He's actually a busy guy. So the fact that he makes this much time for a show that is not his and not paying him at all is actually very impressive. And he does a very good job. And, and people on the whole really like Cal Watt as a co-host here. I've gotten many messages praising the choice of Cal Watt as recent co-host. So I, I do miss him when he's not here. But I can't blame him. Okay, free roll has started five minutes ago, but you have 20 more minutes to get in. There's 25 minutes of late registration in every free roll. Full stack you will start off with. So you can still get in there. So I want to talk a bit about the Merge Network and this very, very disturbing story that they 
stole $4,000 from a trusted winning player. Now, I want to preface this by explaining that sometimes when people come, will come forward with a story about a poker site supposedly stealing from them, there's a lot more to the story, and it turns out that person is not very reliable. So when a new account shows up on any site like Poker Fraud Alert or 2 Plus 2 and says, oh, no, this poker site, they confiscated my money, or they stole my money, or they cheated me in some way. At first, being someone who probably also plays or has played online poker, you're tendency is to sympathize with them and side with them. And it's very hard sometimes to think critically and say, wait a minute, maybe this person is not telling the truth. Maybe they really broke some rules that are serious rules, like maybe they they colluded or multi-accounted or botted. Yeah, serious infractions to where if they got caught and their money was taken, it would be reasonable. And they usually won't come out and admit they did these things. They'll just come out and claim that the site unfairly targeted them or unfairly stole from them. So if it's someone who comes out that isn't well-known and you don't know if they're reliable or not, it's, it's, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. So had this been something from someone that I didn't know that was just a random, I'd probably report it, but I would probably put the caveat of, we don't know. It could really be anything here. The person could not be telling us the whole thing. But fortunately in this case, I guess unfortunately for the victim, but fortunately in this case, I have a lot more clarity on this one. And it's because I know the person who this happened to. And I can tell you that this person, number one, is reliable. And number two, that I think it's very, very likely that the story that they tell is true. That they're not changing around details or leaving out things. That this is someone who's being honest about the situation. And it's it's because I know them. And this is a winning Limit Hold'em player. It's a small community, the Limit Hold'em community. So you get to know people. It's a winning Limit Hold'em player. Uh, Has never had any accusations against him for being shady or for defrauding people or anything like that. Has never made any false accusations against poker sites. And I I can tell you, I very strongly believe this person and I believe everything they say. So this isn't just some person with questionable credentials making a serious accusation. This is someone who I know and someone that I can vouch for and say that they are telling us the truth. I wasn't there to see it. I, I couldn't swear on a stack of Bibles and say that I know in my heart that it's 100% true, but if asked, would you be shocked if this was not true? Yes, I would be absolutely shocked if it were not true. That's how certain I am that this is a true story that I was told, which I was I was told before this person posted it to Poker Fraud Alert. They told me first, and they, they told me they're going to be registering an account on Poker Fraud Alert to post about it. And I very much encouraged it. So, I'm going to tell you this story, and I want you to understand as you're hearing it that this really happened and that Merge needs to answer to it. So this is what the person wrote. They posted on Poker Fraud Alert in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum under the name JJ9917. And you may think at this point, oh, I don't want to hear about this. Who, who cares? You know, Some guy is having an issue with Merge. Who gives a crap? Well, I'll tell you why you should care. The Merge network is still one of the larger U.S.-facing networks in online poker. 
and they outright stole from this guy. They outright stole from this guy, and it appears the reason they stole from him is just because he's a winning player. And this network is already seen as being very hostile toward winning players, but uh, to steal from winning players is far beyond being hostile to them. So listen to this. I wanted to preface this posting by stating I will include all email communication between myself and the sportsbook AG slash Merge Gaming Network support and will tell the story to my, the best of my memory of a big win I had versus a player which resulted in the network confiscating approximately $4,000 of my funds. On October 10th, 2017, around 3 a.m., I was exhausted and was returning from the bathroom. <laughs> Why is he writing that? I was returning from the bathroom. I was about to close all poker games. That's TMI, by the way. Do you want to tell us what kind of bathroom it is? Was it number one? Was it number two? Was it both? You left that detail out, JJ. The games on this night were very slow, and I played a small amount of hands. As I was closing the window, I noticed a player had sat in the 1530 limit hold'em table I'd occupied. I decided to play, and if he was close to my skill, I was off to sleep because I had work in the late morning. So basically what he's saying is he was very tired, and if this guy was a fish, he was going to play him. If he was uh, even a semi-decent player, he was just going to say, not not worth doing when I'm so tired and just go to sleep. So he said, after we played from about 5 to 15 hands, I knew that I had a large advantage on this player. As the game went along, this player was often trying to bluff me with two to three bets and sometimes four bets with very weak hands on the turn and river. I was able to get full value and then some oftentimes when I was ahead, but there were also times he would jam in three to four bets with nothing and would suck out on me and get more value on, on the river for, with extra bets, which is standard for a, a lunatic, lunatic player. So basically this is a very wild player who raises with nothing all the time. And, you know, once in a while he'll really have something or once in a while he'll have nothing but get there. You know, like, for example, he's got... Uh, um, you know, queen 10 high and you've got jacks on a low board and you're just putting in tons of bets against this guy because you know he just raises with crap and then he hits a queen in the river. So, you know, that happens sometimes, but of course you're thrilled to have a player like that because after not too long of a time, the variance will smooth out and you're going to start to kill him. So he wrote, the opening 150 to 200 hands, I wanted a super high rate, netting at about 3,000 in profit. The guy was so psycho that my plan was to play tight pre-flop and chop him up post-flop when I was more likely to have big leads in the hands with strong pairs and two pairs. The entire game, including the posting below, took place over roughly 800 hands, but I do not have the exact number. At some point in the game, he took a break, and I took a break as well to get food and water. When I returned to resume the, to, to resume the play, I had timed out, and he was not at the table anymore. I decided to take an open seat and see if he returned a few minutes later, and he did. I quickly won another 600 from him, and he reloaded again. So at this point, the guy's up 3,600 on this maniac. At some points later, he ran hot, and ran, and ran, and I ran cold, and he went on some $1,500 runs, and I was ahead about $2,000 for the majority of the game. Eventually, I caught some cards, and his style of playing aggressive imploded, and I went in a jet to get ahead $4,000, at which time he sat out, and we both quit. He still had more chips when I left, when the game ended, and I did not break him. Now, when, Actually, he said chips left, so the guy, the guy just quit. The guy quit with money left. He didn't bust. The entire game lasted four to five hours, and I was extremely tired, so I called into work. I woke up seven hours later, and at some point while checking my email, I received the following book, the following from the sportsbook.ag fraud team. So I guess this guy was playing on the site of sportsbook.ag, which is the same as sportsbook.com, but it's part of the merge network. 
Hi, JJ9917. We noticed you performed a willing transfer of funds from player Pocket Pair Stacked. Therefore, we require you to explain the nature of your relationship with this customer and why you folded hand number blah, blah, blah by responding to this email. In addition, we need to... We need you to please explain your relationship with, with player Poncho. <laughs> Until the response is received, we have inactivated your account. Please, uh, thank you for your prompt attention to this matter. Best regards, Daniel from the Fraud Team, Merge Gaming Network. So, this is actually someone at the Merge Network who is questioning whether JJ9917 was playing a legitimate heads-up match or if uh, he was receiving chips that were intentionally being dumped to him from another player. In this case, the opponent whose name was uh, Pocket Pair Stacked. And then they also, for some reason, want to know about some player named Poncho. So, before I continue, let me explain why they're concerned about this. Because they're not accusing him of cheating in any way. And, of course, in a heads-up game, there's no such thing as collusion because there's no one to collude against. So what is the problem with chip dumping? Even if you are chip dumping, why does it bother them? Well, there's a few reasons sites will frown upon chip dumping. Uh, First of all, some of them are afraid that it will bring up uh, money laundering issues from the U.S. government and make the government more likely to go after them. So... They want to make sure that the poker matches being played there are not just a way for one person to transfer money to the other while feigning poker losses, which is often done to launder money. So that's one concern. Another concern is that when there are skins involved, where a bunch of different sites feed into the same network, which is the case with Merge, what happens is when one player on the network loses to another the way the network handles it is through a process called reconciliation where the skin where the losing player came from actually has to pay the skin where the winning player came from in order for the funds to be paid out. So that's, that's how your skin has the money to pay you when you cash out is when it comes from, they get the money from the skin on the network that lost the money. So for that reason, they don't like chip dumping because there are fees associated with processing cash outs. And let's say you're on skin A and your opponent's on skin B and your opponent dumps chips to you. The problem for them is that your skin, skin A, is going to have to process that cash out and, and pay not, not a whole lot of money, but they, they have to pay a healthy sum of money, a healthy percentage to the processor to do that cash out. And they don't want to do that if, if all the... The, the whole point of, of what's being done is just a chip dump. They don't they don't want to pay the fees for these cash outs if it's just a chip dump. So that's another reason. And there's there's various other reasons I won't bother getting into. But b- basically, they want money that goes in and out of the site to be done through the standard deposit and cash out system, not from players transferring one another by dumping chips. In fact, even systems which allow player-to-player transfers, which uh, I don't think Merge does anymore. They still don't let you chip dump because, again, it's something that they want to approve, not something that they want you doing on your own. Another reason, by the way, against chip dumping is that if the funds are deposited with stolen credit cards or something like that, they, they want to be able to examine that and stop it 
So, for example, if someone deposits with stolen credit cards and then they try to initiate a player-to-player transfer, well, maybe the site will catch that and stop it. But if, if the person just sits down at a poker, player, a poker table and loses it to someone else, then they can't take it away from the person who won because they had no idea when they were playing that they were playing someone with stolen funds. So that's another reason they're very concerned about chip dumping is it could be used to transfer stolen funds. And the person who receives it can just claim, oh, I won in playing poker. I don't know this guy. I didn't know I'm getting stolen funds. I just knew I was playing some guy, and I won. So these are reasons that they don't like chip dumping. This is the reason why they try to put a stop to it. And that's fine. That's fine if they do not want to allow chip dumping. But you have to be very careful if you are trying to take action against your players for receiving chip dumps, that when you take such action, that you are accurate. Because it is much worse to unfairly confiscate chips that you claim were dumped when they really weren't, it's much worse to do that than to just miss that a chip dump happened and not do anything. So this is one of these cases where wrongfully enforcing is much worse than missing it occurring and doing nothing. It's one of these, th- these matters where you just absolutely never, never, never should accuse someone unless you've got very strong evidence that they really have done so. You should never take any action as a poker site with confiscating money for, quote, chip dumping if you do not have absolute proof that this was occurring, or very, very likely proof. So that's very important here. Otherwise, it's stealing. So this is what happened. He said, after I read this email, the first thing that crept into my brain is what hand are they talking about? There is no hand included or attached to the email. Remember, they wanted him to explain a certain hand. They didn't attach it. They said, here, hand number whatever, you know, tell us what you did. He's like, well, okay, let me see that hand. <laughs> so he said, the second thing I thought was, why would I pay this much rake to the house and play for five hours if I was doing a chip dump? That would be extremely stupid uh, and with uh, with cryptologic, or not crypto, crypto uh, currency cash outs like uh, Bitcoin – being the new thing and available at lightning speeds, why would I ask the guy to jump chips to me over a long rake fast that lasts uh, five hours? So he's saying, look, it's, you can cash out pretty quickly now through Bitcoin and send the Bitcoin mostly anonymously. So why, why would anyone even bother this and pay, you know, take five hours to do it and pay all this rake when you could just do a cash out and ship the guy Bitcoin? <laughs> the bottom line is this guy was just a massive fish or a drunk guy, so I responded with the truth within 30 minutes of receiving the email. Hello, sportsbook.ag. Pocket Bear stacked I never played with until last night. There is no hand history included on your email for hand number or whatever, so I don't know which hand you're talking about. I can tell you that in general, after playing about 5 to 10 hands, I realized this guy seemed pretty crazy, so I played really tight because I knew after the flop I had the advantage because he was trying crazy plays that seemed like the best way to beat him. The Poncho guy seems like a regular guy on the site, and I like it when he plays because more players join the 6 max games. I have no relationship with either player, I just think I'm a better player than both of them. And that is the truth, he writes. The guy I played with one-on-one stunk, and that other poncho guy who they mentioned is some random guy who plays from time to time who I have a lot of success against. Other facts I would like to include is that I had $4,000 in my account before this game began, and over the previous two months on the site, I was ahead $11,000 and was beating the game consistently anytime I played, whether it was heads-up or full six-max games. They responded with the following. Hi, JJ9917. Thanks for getting in touch with us. Our investigation leads us to believe that you are not being forthright with us. Again, we require you to elaborate on your response and explain your actions in this hand while holding Queen-King offsuit. And then they showed a hand where 
JJ had Queen King offsuit. He raised. The Maniac 3 bet him. He called. Remember, this is a heads up game. So JJ called the 3 bet. Flop was Ace 8 2 Rainbow. And uh, JJ's holding Queen King. The Maniac bet. And uh, JJ folded. So that was it. The hand was over. Does that sound like a horrible hand to you? That JJ, who has Queen King, and the flop is Ace, Eight, Deuce, Rainbow, and he's got Queen King offsuit. Does that sound like a bad fold? Does that sound like an outrageous fold? Queen King on an Ace, Eight, Deuce board? Now, some of you probably don't know Limit Hold'em very well. Some of you are probably saying, well, yeah, it's an obvious fold. You have to fold that. Well, not necessarily true. In Heads Up Limit Hold'em, most people are going to call that. Why? Because uh, a three bet heads up in limit hold'em doesn't necessarily mean the person has an ace. So you may want to take one off and then evaluate from there. Some people will call down all the way with queen with king high. Some will will see what happens on the turn and definitely call once they get the pair. Um, is a but some will fold this on the flop. It's not unreasonable to fold it on the flop. Whereas let's say JJ had ace ten. And the board came king 10 3, so we flopped middle pair best kicker. That would be a horrible fold on the flop heads up. I mean, absolutely horrible fold for one bet on the flop heads up. So if that happened, I would say, yeah, that's very fishy. That's very fishy that someone would do that. This is not fishy at all. He had no pair, no draw. And if his opponent did have an ace, he was drawing extremely thin. So you can't say, oh, you had to call that flop. No, he didn't. It's not unreasonable at all in Limit Hold'em to call with Queen King or to fold with Queen King on an Ace Eight Deuce board for one bet. It's also not unreasonable to call with it for at least one bet. It depends what your particular style is against that particular player. And JJ decided that because this player goes so nuts with crap post flop when JJ does have something. That he's not going to just take the chance and call it down and you know maybe maybe uh, the maniac has something, maybe he doesn't. Uh, he took the attitude of, okay, I, I missed the flop. I could be drawing almost dead. I'm just going to fold it. I'm going to wait till I flop uh, a decent hand and then just punish this guy for several bets. That was the strategy, which is a very reasonable strategy. Very reasonable. Now, I will tell you personally from playing Maniac's Heads Up, I play it a little bit differently. I, I will usually just call this down, and if the guy happens to have me beat or, or stuck out on me, then so be it. So I, I usually will call this down, the Queen King on an Ace-8 deuce board against a Maniac. Uh, and then I would do the same strategy he does when I do have a hand, which is pound him right from the start, just start raising big time, whether I flop uh, top set or or even middle pair, I'll probably just hammer the guy and uh, know that I'm going to get a lot of bets out of him. But I'll also call down any hand that has possible showdown value, which in this case it would. But at the same time, I can understand why he is trying a little bit of a lower variance style, where since he's already inducing such variance by pounding the guy when he does flop something, that he does want to fold all hands where, yeah, yes, you could call it down, and maybe in the long run you'll win, but it's yeah, it's not going to gain you a whole lot and it'll cut down on variance just to drop those hands and wait for the big ones. Or at least ones where he has something. So, totally reasonable the way he played this. Totally reasonable. Not the slightest bit indicative of chip dumping. And the, keep in mind, this is if this is the worst hand they can find, 
in a five-hour heads-up session, if this is the most incriminating hand, then to their accusation that he was chip-dumping, I have to say... (laughs) I mean, I can tell you, no competent poker fraud investigator would ever say that this being the, quote, worst hand of the bunch would be indicative of chip-dumping. If this is the very, very worst example that they can find of what he did, of his play, if this is the one that they say most indicates chip-dumping, which seems to be what they're saying here, is they haven't showed him any other hands. If that's what they're showing him, if that's what they have to say, which what made their decision, then this is absolutely insane. It's absolutely ludicrous that they would claim this is indicative of chip-dumping. So he wrote back, how is I not being forthright with you when you did not include the hand history in your original message? So they said, look, you were not being forthright with us. Here's the hand. Well, okay, but they didn't give it to him before. So he's not being not forthright. He just didn't have the hand to comment on. It's like, hey, you tell us about this hand. Well, I, I don't know what hand that was. You're not being forthright with us. Well, no. <laughs> you have to know what hand they're talking about before you can answer to it. So he says, how is I not being forthright with you when you did not, did not include the hand history in your original message to me? You not only included the hand number, so I had no idea what you were referring to. Here's the breakdown of the hand. I raised a pre with king-queen to 30. He three-bet me to 45. I called the bet. The flop reigns down ace-8-2. He, re- he led into me. I, I folded here is why. I folded because I have no pair and I do not have a backdoor flush draw. My hand is an offsuit king-queen high, and this guy led into me sometimes with big hands with the 500 or so hands we played, so I have no incentive to call him down because it will cost me $60 more to win only 90 and see if my calls are correct. Also, this guy is weak at poker, but he did raise to 45 pre-flop, and even terrible players are going to show up with an ace in this spot, and a pair often when they show strength pre-flop. So if this guy has any ace, I'm beat, and I'm behind any pocket pair, and I'm behind any hand, he possibly raised the 45 pre that contains an eight or a deuce, which is possible considering how bad he's played up to this point. So in this spot, I'm folding a very high percentage of the time. The other reason I won't call here is because I'm playing an exploitative strategy, a strategy where I can exploit the imbalances my opponent has when it, when I have super strong hands. By doing this, I open myself up to being exploited, but I do not perceive this opponent as the type of player who will be able to exploit me back when I play tighter and pound him when I have stronger hands. So basically, he thinks that this guy is not capable of adjusting to him. So even if he's folding more often than others would in a heads-up game, that this guy is not likely to notice that, and he's just going to... Uh, exploit the the big spots where he feels he can make more money. He says, at the end of the day, I'm a much better poker player than pocket pair stacked, and if you look at my results over the past two months, you will see this is consistent. I've been beating most everyone in every game I've played in since joining the sportsbook. A full day later, he says, he gets this back from them. Hi, JJ9917. Thank you for your detailed explanation. We have now concluded our investigation into your account. Hmm. Well, you you think, doesn't that sound reasonable, what he wrote? Like, wouldn't you say at this point you're on JJ's side? Because I, I can tell you, as a 17-year Limit Hold'em player, which is what I am, I've played Limit Hold'em millions of hands for 17 years, that I can tell you that this very, very much shows that JJ is innocent here. Totally innocent here. If this is the, if this is the gotcha hand they have... He's totally innocent. His explanation was perfect. It should have been over. Okay? I can tell you this as an expert in Limit Hold'em. By the way, Mike Reed, a.k.a. Reggie Man, he just registered an account on Poker Fraud Alert. He's also a longtime Limit Hold'em player who won a lot of money in the game. He, in fact, uh, made it very deep in the 1500 Limit Hold'em event at the World Series. He also concluded 
that Merge is completely full of crap on this. So it's not just me. This is what uh, they wrote to JJ. Thank you for your detailed explanation. We have concluded our investigation into your account. Given the way hands played out in your session on October 10th, we have concluded that this was an intentional transfer of funds. What? you got to be kidding me. That was their conclusion? Why? Why? How could that possibly be the conclusion? How? He explained it all. It makes sense. There's nothing wrong. How could this possibly be the conclusion? Please note that we are committed on creating a fair and quality gaming experience, they write. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) We are not able to tolerate a willing transfer of funds at our table. Accordingly, those funds have been returned to their origin. Can you believe that? That means they gave the money back to the fish that he beat. Horrible. Moreover, we are unfortunately unable to allow you further access to our poker games. You may continue using other products or withdraw your remaining balance should you decide to. Can you believe that? So he responded. I won't bother to read his response because it's basically telling you what I just said. But this is absolutely obscene. They took his 4,000 that he beat this guy, this fish he played beat him fair and square. They took it away and gave it back to the fish. So they say. They do not justify it. They have not shown any other hand besides that king-queen high hand that he folded on the flop. They've shown no other hands. They've given no justification for why his explanation does not uh, hold water. No discussion. That's it. They've made their decision. That is absolutely insane, absolutely outrageous, and this is probably the third largest U.S.-facing network right now. The other two being uh, Bovada and America's Card Room. Merge has been banning players who win. They have been kicking winning players off the network. They let them withdraw. They don't steal their money until now. But they say, we don't want your business anymore. Get out because you win. Seriously, they've been doing that recently. So already very hostile towards winning players, but at least they were not stealing from them. They were just uh, denying future business from them, which I think is crappy to tell players you can only play here if you lose. But this is much worse, actually stealing money from players. So there's a few possibilities here. Possibility number one is that this was a house account in some way meaning that either the Merge Network itself owns this account, this JJ whatever, or someone who works there owns this account and decided to free roll JJ, where the person played a very crazy style, and if they got lucky and ended up winning, then of course they keep the money and just pretend as if it was a normal poker match. And if they lose, which is more likely, then they just confiscate the money, claim it was a chip dump, disable JJ's account, And it was a free roll. Especially if they already decided they're going to be banning JJ from the network from poker. So let's say they decided, okay, JJ is winning too much. He's a winning player. We don't want him here. Instead of sending him the email saying, you're banned from poker for winning, so just withdraw and get out. Instead of doing that, they go, well, let's take a shot at him. Let's let's sit one of our players against him, play a crazy style. If we happen to beat him, great. We've just got money from him. And if we don't, we'll just take it back. 
So the worst we can do is break even. It's a free roll. So it's very possible this was a house account where they intentionally played a crazy style to increase variance, knowing that they could take back any losses, which they did. That's one possibility. Possibility number two is that this guy really was a fish. By the way, I asked JJ, have you ever seen this guy before? This pocket pair stacked. He said, no, first time he ever saw him. That also makes it suspicious that it was a house account in some way. Uh, Possibility number two is this is just a legitimate fish who lost the money and that they found this as an opportunity to just steal for the winner. Because the problem is that we don't know who Pocket Pair Stacked is. So we can't contact him and ask, hey, did you ever get the money back? So they may not have returned it to Pocket Pair Stacked. And Pocket Pair Stacked, you know, he, he knows he lost it, so he's not going to be coming looking for it. So that's very possible. That they just claimed they returned it to Pocket Pair Stacked and didn't really and just kept it. Either individual employees just kept it and stole it, or maybe the, the network just kept it. Possibility number three is that they did this because they wanted to preserve money for one of the game's bigger fish. Maybe upon analyzing this, they realized that a very good player beat a very bad player. They want the very bad player to have more money to both uh, keep the games going, generate more rake, uh, induce action on the site. So they much would rather a fish has the money than a good player who's going to cash it out. So they just found an excuse to take it away from the good player and then ban the good player from continuing to play there. Possibility number four, they're just clueless that the fraud team is just stupid and that they legitimately think this is a chip dump. Well, I don't think possibility number four is what's going on here. I don't think they're that stupid because this is so egregious. This makes so little sense. They seem to have made their decision before they contacted him. They didn't seem to want to really discuss this. They just went through the motions like pretending they were, but they really gave him no discussion back and forth, nor did they justify their decision, nor did they explain why his explanation didn't hold water with them, nor do their actions make any sense at all. So I don't believe the fraud team really believes this was a chip dump. So let's throw that out. They also won't provide him any other hands that would be, would be indicative of a chip dump. Even if you want to concede, okay, he played this hand strangely, which he didn't, but let's let's concede that he did. Okay, that's one out of like 500-something hands. That's not in, indicative of a chip dump. To show that chip dumping is occurring, you have to see that the person who's receiving the chips is behaving very strangely to where... They're clearly trying to avoid accumulating chips. So like the ace-10 example I gave, somebody had ace-10 and the flop was king-10-3, and their opponent flopped top pair, let's say top set. Let's say it was pocket kings against uh, ace-10 and the board was, was king-10-3, okay? Well, if you can't see your opponent's cards and you're, you're not chip dumping, then, yeah, you're, you're going to, of course, put action in there. You're never going to fold that. But if, if, uh, if you're trying to avoid the guy uh, with the king is getting many chips, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to fold that ace-10 on the flop, even though you've flopped uh, middle pair best kicker. So that would be indicative of chip dumping, that the guy who you're attempting to dump to is putting in very little action even when he has a hand that would seem to justify the action. 
But that's not what happened here. And they are not providing any hands except for that one where they claim it is happening and the one they did provide doesn't show anything at all. So I don't think the fraud team is that incompetent there. As far as which of the other three it is, I don't know. It could be any of them. They do hate winning players, so it is believable that maybe they just want to steal the money from a winning player and return it to a fish. It's possible also that they just never gave it back to the fish and know the fish will not be coming to look for it. And it's possible this is a house account and they're free rolling him. If I had to say which of those three is least likely, I'd say it's probably the one that they just didn't bother to send it back to the fish because they don't know for sure if he knows the fish in some way. Like they, if he were to post about it and the fish were to come forward going, oh, that's funny, I never got the money either. <laughs> then they'd look really, really bad. So since they don't know if, if the, this fish would be reading forums or would find out about this in some way, they probably wouldn't do that where they claim they're sending it to him and then not send it to him. So while that's possible, I, I have to think it's probably probably the two that are most likely would be that it's a house account and they were free rolling him or that they just feel like taking money away from a winning player and giving it back to a fish who lost to him. Either way, it is outright stealing. There is no excuse for this. And I will make this offer. I'm going to make this offer to the Merge Network right now. Okay, I'm a Limit Hold'em expert. I have played millions of hands in Limit Hold'em. I'm a lifetime big winner in Limit Hold'em, and I can prove that. I have a Limit Hold'em bracelet, as most of you know. I am volunteering to examine all of the hands that you claim are indicative of chip dumping, and just in case you think I am examining them in a biased fashion because I know JJ, I will examine them and then post them publicly for other Limit Hold'em players to analyze. So if I'm full of crap and I'm just uh, defending my buddy, then I will look like a fool. I will look dishonest myself. But I will analyze these, and I will post them publicly with my analysis. And then I will invite other big winning Limit Hold'em players who are experts on the game to come and comment on them themselves, including ones that are not friends of mine. I'll even invite people who don't like me to come do it. That's how certain I am that this is crap. Now, if Merge wants to say, well, we can't trust you. You're friends with JJ. You know him. Okay. Find any respected Limit Hold'em player. Any, just pick any respected Limit Hold'em player that is known in the Limit Hold'em community. Pick any one of them. And have that person analyze them. So so find what you think is the least biased in this situation, limit holding player out there who is experienced and is a winning long-term player and is known and trusted in the community. Have them analyze it and then tell you what they think if it's chip dumping or not. You guys will not do that. You guys, I bet, will not even ever share the other hands that you claim were indicative of chip dumping because this whole thing is a sham. So I'm going to tell you guys this at the Merge Network, is that I am not going to rest until this is made right. I will continue covering it on this show. I will continue tweeting about it, which actually I haven't done yet, but I'm going to be tweeting about it shortly. I will continue drawing attention to the fact that the Merge Network is stealing from people. And if you continue to steal from people, 
I will take other actions that will make it tough for your network to even operate. And I, I don't mean DDoS things like I, I I mean legal maneuvers that will make it tougher for you guys to operate. And you you can uh, figure out what I'm talking about here because this this is really disgusting me. What's going on here? That you're outright stealing from limit hold'em players. This is very close to my heart because I am an online limit hold'em player. I haven't played merged in a while, but I'm definitely not going to after seeing this. And I think if I did, they'd probably kick me off. But can you believe this? This is this is very very offensive and horrible for the poker community. Caller, you're on the air. Yeah, that's horrible. I don't know what that is. Why, why would someone interrupt this segment and do that? It was a Skype call. <laughs> Let me see who this is. I it's someone I've, I think I've communicated with before on Skype. Calling me again. Whoever you are, don't call back until you get that uh, sound out of the way. I don't know what that sound is, but uh, whatever it is, I don't want it uh, on here. So, anyway, Merge, I know you're being made aware of this radio segment. I can tell you that I will press very hard on this one because it really bothers me. Much like I press very hard on Lock Poker. When they were doing their shenanigans, you see where they are now. Not just because of me, but believe me, I had an impact. An impact will be had here unless you make this right. You need, at the very minimum, to refund the money you stole from JJ and let him cash it all out. Now, if at that point you don't want him on your network anymore, that's fine. If at that point you don't want him to do business with you guys anymore, that's fine. But give back the money you stole and let him cash out. Those are my demands here, unless you could convince me that he really was engaging in receiving dumped chips. But the only way I could be convinced is by providing me or the the community or a respected Limit Hold'em player that has no connection to this whatsoever the hands which are indicative of chip dumping. And so far, you have not provided one. Really got me mad when I heard about this story. From uh, I got a message from Bobby Orr saying, wouldn't the fact that they thought they were chip dumping not also mean they would have to, to know each other? I'm not sure what he's asking here, but yeah, they, they were accusing him of, of receiving dump chips from someone that he knew. Yeah. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Yeah. It could just be a big sports better that they're just taking the money back because he's a big sports better and he probably plays poker once a yeah, that's that's not a bad theory that uh, maybe the guy who lost the money to JJ was a big sports better and they knew he would chunk it off in the sports book and they wanted him to get that back for that reason. That's uh, I didn't think of that, but yeah, this is what this was sportsbook.ag. Now that sportsbook.ag was the skin that uh, JJ was using. I don't know which skin the other guy was using and there's no way to know that. But yeah, it could, it could be someone who is betting sports. It could be a, another sportsbook customer and that could be why. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but that's definitely a good okay, theory too. I bet, I bet low limit sports and I just take poker and yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, who, who is this, by the way? 
Hi, my name is Mark. I listen to your show all the time. Okay, well, it's uh, good to hear from you, Mark. And yeah, you, you brought up a great point, and uh, I, I, I'm just so mad about that. I think the reason I'm getting so mad is because this could easily have happened to me. I am a limit hold'em player who plays online and plays fish just like this, and I would just be tearing my hair out if this happened to me. So, yeah, but oh, I got a, sorry for interrupting. Another point I have is. If you're gonna chip dump, wouldn't it make sense to do it in no limit? Because you could say you were going to try to bluff someone on a flush draw. You went all in, they call you, and you drop a couple grand. Why? Why would you? Why yeah, would I mean, you? That, yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. That in no limit, you can do it more effectively because you can drop massive pots and uh, you know wait, get on the phone together and wait wait until you're in a spot where you can. You can do that, where it was reasonable for both people to get it all in, where you know that one is way ahead of the other. So, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, well, thanks for your call. I have another call coming in, but uh, thanks for the point that you brought up, and uh, definitely was a good one. Yeah, great job. Okay, thank you for calling in, Mark. Okay, call you on the air. Todd, Bobby Orr. Yes, Bobby Orr. So what do you want to say? Well, my point was that you said that they would – um, would be afraid if they didn't send the money back in case they knew each other. But there's, if they're saying that they were chip, chip dumping, then they have to know each other in their minds. So they would, they would, he would, they would be afraid not to send the money back. No, because they think he knows him, so he can ask. Oh, him I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, well, but the thing is, they, they may know that he doesn't know him. Is my point. They, they may, they may think it. They may think that chip dumping really wasn't happening, and that it really was just a. Like I, I could look at that hand history and tell these two don't know each other, and it's just two people who are playing. So uh, right, well, that, you know, that hand's terrible. That's what that's, that's what I think they. So, so yes, they they probably could get away with it if they really think this is like a recreational player that's unlikely to read poker forums. But still, you never know. So I think it probably isn't the case that they. But I think it has to prove they didn't send the money back then because they would know that he could ask him. Yeah. So they really have to know that he doesn't know him. Well, they don't have to. They can so assume they, they, it, but and then they can claim like even if they that's found out, they can claim, oh, we we don't know how he didn't receive it. Something must have gone wrong. Okay. Well, we'll we'll really send it now. I, I I still think the more likely possibilities are that either they just wanted to refund someone they wanted to have the money back because they either wanted to lose it in sports or wanted to lose it in poker and or, or you know more slowly or if oh yeah I agree or or, or it's just a house account they were free rolling him, which is very possible too. Right, but I'm just saying, like, I think for sure they wouldn't have, they can't believe it was chip dumping at all, because if they did, then they would know that they have to send the money back, because he would ask him. Yeah. So they can't believe it was chip dumping, because yeah. if they did, then they would know that player A knows player B, and he can ask player B, did you get the money back? Yeah, but that's only if they really thought it was chip dumping. They didn't think it was, they just found it. Right, found, that's found what I mean, so they really can't think it was. What the other two scenarios you've come up is what has, it has to be. Because if they really thought it was chip dumping, then they'd know that he could ask him if he got but, the money. But, but it could – well, no, but what I'm saying is it could be that they didn't think it was chip dumping and they just used this as an excuse to take it from the first – No, co- that's what I'm saying. They have to think it wasn't chip dumping because if they thought for real that it was chip dumping, then they would know that player A could ask player B. Oh, I know, but – so they, they, they know it's not chip dumping but, but, because – I'm saying if they if they were incompetent, the I know. But I'm saying if they were incompetent and really thought it was chip dumping, then by sending it back to player A, even if they knew that the two knew each other or figured they knew each other, if they really sent it back, then fine. Then they're just claiming they're just returning money that someone won in a chip dump. But I, I think that 
I, I think that's probably not what happened anyway. So anyway, thanks for your and, call. And, and, and then, hold on. And, once, and in the case that you're saying, wouldn't player B also be culpable for chip dumping? So why would he get the money back anyway? Yeah, that's and that's a good point, too, of what, why are they being so nice to the first one? If it is a chip dump, why are they being so nice and giving it back to the first one who tried to dump? Yeah, they're both guilty, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's – All right. Uh, thanks, Todd. All right. Thank you, Bobby Orr. He, he's a nice guy, by the way. I've met him in uh, – Vegas before, and uh, he's he's from Canada, but I've met him. He's a nice guy, nice enough guy to I let him come up to my room. I'm not going to just let any uh, radio listener come up to my room. But I, I live to tell about it, so it's okay. No, uh, no Harvey Weinstein type situation occurred there. All right, so that's all the say for now. I'll give you an update next week. The Merge Network is going to be made aware of this show, and I'm sure they're going to listen. So please, guys, do the right thing. You do the right thing. I will report out here you did the right thing. And that'll be the end of it. And in case anybody thinks that I'm just talking about myself, that I was really JJ, I'm not. And Reggie Manic, a Michael Reed, he knows JJ also. And he just registered an account on the site to go to bat for him, too. So it's it's not me, but uh, it is someone I know. You may ask, who is it? You know, why don't I say who it is? Well, uh, it doesn't matter who it is, uh, and 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 most of you wouldn't know him anyway. So, th- giving the name, there's no point to do that. And and the reason I don't is because it's his privacy. You know, I, I don't want people who he beat in the past to know who he is or whatever. If they talk trash and chat, I don't know. Like I I don't want to give away this guy's identity. He's not a he's not a public person. It's not like when I play under Dan Druff, everyone knows it's me. You know, this this is a story where it's someone who plays anonymously online. I don't want to give that away just because Merge is cheating him. So, uh, but I can tell you, I, I know the person, and it, it's a, a winning player. It's someone who's not at all likely to be making up stories here. So, uh, just trust me on that. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Todd. It's Scott. Hello. Hey, well, don't know my name. Um, <laughs> everyone knows your voice. Did you get Come the on. email I sent? Um, let me see. Let me see here. You're going to the Horseshoe Baltimore subject next, right? Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. Let me see. I don't think I've seen an email from you, but I haven't checked in a little bit. I was watching the Dodgers game, and uh, then uh, let me see. It's downloading the emails now. So. You want to start out with the segment, and, and I'll and I'll chime in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine if you want to be part of this segment. It's uh, someone who actually told me, the person who contacted me. Yeah, I see you emailed me. I just see it right now. Um, he told me that you are the one who referred him to contact me. Okay. Something needs to be clarified to start this out. This has absolutely nothing to do with Horseshoe Baltimore. Okay. This was This was probably an advertisement there during their circuit event. Okay, but this has nothing to do with Horseshoe Baltimore. Okay, and the blame cannot be, it cannot go against Caesars. Okay, as it's, much as you want it to. And well, I, know you I, want I, it to. I well, it's funny because I was I was going to I was going to mention that I was going to you know I was teasing the segment about WSOP whatever, but I was going to say that this is not a Caesars run tournament. So, well, let's get to the subject so people know what we're talking about. Uh, this has to do with what was known as the World Series of Poker School of Poker. It was a class, and it was uh, 
a class that was to take place in April 2017 at the Horseshoe Baltimore, which is a Caesars-owned property. And, of course, uh, the World Series of Poker is uh, owned by the Caesars Corporation. So this guy met Scott at, at the Horseshoe, and uh, Scott recommended he contact me, which he did. So this is what the guy wrote. He wrote, I talked to a nice guy at the Horseshoe Casino at Baltimore, Scott, about a month or so ago, and he said you might be able to help me out. I paid for a poker class on November 27, 2016 for a poker prep class to be held at Horseshoe Casino on April 27, 2017. I paid $297, and the payment was processed by Zen Poker Mentoring. As the day approached, I was excited to take my class. I looked on their website, and it was nowhere to be found. I called them several times, and finally, the day before the class, Arthur Ace McFarland, <laughs> Ace, uh, called back to tell me it was canceled due to the Maryland Gaming Commission not allowing the class to go unless it was free to the public. He offered me a free class in Vegas or a free in-home session with a pro at their home in Vegas. He said he would email me after the call. I got no such email. Since then, the website has shut down and Zen Poker Mentoring site has shut down. Zen Poker Mentoring was owned by Brian Rast, so I sent him three emails through his website. I have not gotten a response. I also tried to call my credit card, and they said it's been too long since the initial transaction to dispute the charges. Can you help me at all? Thanks. Well, okay. I know nothing about the World Series of Poker School of Poker. I, I assumed it probably wasn't directly affiliated with the World Series. I, I assumed that they were able to to license the name in some way and, that, uh, and, and rent some space from uh, the Horseshoe Baltimore to teach the class there. I don't know if it's true or not if the Maryland Gaming Commission then told them they're not allowed to do that in the state of Maryland. I don't know the law there. Uh, Scott, maybe you can help out here. So first of all, do you, do you know, was the name licensed, the World Series of Poker School of Poker, was, it, was that licensed to this Zen Poker Mentoring to do? I can't comment on that. I can tell you we don't have – our Gaming Commission is not the Maryland Gaming Commission. It's a Maryland State Lottery. The Maryland State Lottery did step in and say it could not be held. Okay, so that part's true. So, 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 so the class was canceled beyond their control, but that, that doesn't allow them to just steal the money, of course. But uh, so, the, so, but that part's true that it was forced canceled by the Maryland Live, uh, the, the Maryland uh, Lottery Commission, and so, so that happened. And so, what's occurred to this guy? And I believe him. I don't have any proof of this. The guy could be making all this up, but I don't think so. This is one of these things where, first of all, it's only about $297. Like, like would someone really come here and tell me this story over $297 if it wasn't true? I doubt it. Uh, second, uh, he's mentioning very specific things about the Zen Poker Mentoring, the website shut down, and blah, blah, blah. So I, I believe it all. I, I would be shocked, again, not knowing this guy at all. I'd still be shocked if this was all made up. That'd be a lot of work and fabrication to be done for $297. And it's not like I have the power to, to give it back to him. I, the, the, all I can do is, is try to find who's responsible and, and put pressure on them, but I can't. Uh, I have no power to refund that money. Anyway, here are the here's what needs to be uh, figured out here. First of all, it needs to be figured out if the World Series of Poker licensed their brand to be used for this. And the reason this is important is that this would make the World Series look very bad, even if they didn't do it. I know the World Series didn't do it. I know the Horseshoe Baltimore didn't do it. But if they licensed their name, their brand name, and it was used to scam people, then they probably will want to make it right, especially for a small sum of money like this, just uh, to keep the brand intact. The brand is very important to them. And even if they made a bad decision and licensed it to some shady guys – 
I, I would think for a sum of $297, once they would verify that this really happened, they would probably give it back. So that's the first thing is that uh, I would love to find out the situation with this. And if it really was called the World Series of Poker, School of Poker, and was to be held at the Horseshoe Casino, uh, and it was agreed to be held there until it was forced canceled. And is that true? Do you know at least if it was agreed by the Horseshoe to, to run this before that, before the cancellation happened? That I can't speak about. You can't speak or you don't know? Uh, no comment. Okay. Well, I think we have the answer. Okay. So I, I'll look into this myself. I, I, I just uh, received this. I received it a few days ago, actually, but I, I, I had forgotten about it for a few days, and now I'm like, oh, you know, I better talk about this on the radio. So... This is something definitely worth following up, and I, I responded to this guy with with a question, and we'll we're, we're going to figure this out. But first of all, anything that is using the World Series of Poker brand, the World Series should take care of. In fact, there could even be legal claims against them, because the problem is when something is licensed to it, when a brand name is licensed like that, and the consumer is led to believe that it's something directly affiliated with that company, like in this case with the World Series then the brand that's licensing it does have some legal liability unless they make it extremely clear that they have nothing to do with it, which they probably didn't. You know, putting a little asterisk at the bottom with small print does not accomplish that. I did not see the flyers. I didn't see the way it was promoted, so I can't say that for sure. But even ignoring the legality, just the goodwill, the the, the brand value to the World Series, they, they don't want this type of stuff going on. And I can tell you the World Series cares very much about the way they are perceived on social media. Even though they make stupid social media mistakes sometimes, they, they do care the way they are perceived. And I know this because they have had conversations with me before when I have criticized them and they feel that my criticism is unfair. They've actually had conversations with me that it bothers them that when I bring things up out here that are negative about them. And, and my position has always been, and to their credit, they've accepted that. They haven't tried to kick me out of the World Series or put some kind of external pressure. They, you know, they, they haven't tried to pressure me to stop saying anything. But I've told them my position is I just want to be fair. I want to be honest and tell the real truth about what's happening. If they do something wrong, if they do something stupid, if they do something bad, I want it known. If they do something good, I want it known. And if they're falsely accused of something, I want it known too. I want it known that they're not at fault when everyone's blaming them. And I've done that before too. When, when people have gone off in the World Series about supposed scandals or mistakes they've made and then I look into it and I go, no, this isn't their fault. I, I come out and say, no, it's not the World Series' fault. Everyone's panicking over nothing. So I, I try to be very, very fair with this as I try to be with everything. And with this, I'm not blaming the World Series. They probably don't know about it. But they, they do need to know about it and something needs to be done. And, and I'm going to assist with that as well. I have contacts with the World Series and we'll figure this out. Uh, furthermore, Brian Rast... He has a good reputation in poker. He's never been known as a scammer. If he does own or co-own or did own slash co-own Zen Poker Mentoring and they made off with money with people who paid for the class and, and never got it, then uh, I have a feeling Brian Rast will make it right. I don't think that Brian Rast is looking to scam small amounts of money. He may not even know. This may have been done by people under him like this uh, Arthur McFarland who I don't even know. So and why isn't Brian Rast responding to him? It could be a lot of things. It could be he's not getting the email. It could be that he's got an old email for Brian Rast. It could be that Brian Rast doesn't check email that often. Who knows? I don't know him that well. Uh, I'm not excusing Brian Rast, and he, he should answer to this. He should be contacted in some way, and he should answer to this. 
Unfortunately, I don't know him well enough to contact him directly, though I can try to f- figure out a way to do so. But th- this needs to be answered to. The bottom line is the 297 needs to be refunded, and then the bottom line is I'm sure that this person who contacted me is not the only victim. It's very likely that uh, they made off with everyone's money. I think it's very possible that uh, maybe this Arthur McFarland spent all the money already and uh, thought that was fine because they thought they're going to really be holding the class. And then when they couldn't hold the class, he just said, oh, well, I've kind of spent the money already. So uh, I'm just going to avoid these people. So then he finally called the guy back, made up some, you know, made some BS promise about how they'll give him a free class in Vegas and then never went through with it. So this isn't a gigantic scandal, but it's something that is a little bit disturbing because it it has the name World Series of Poker School of Poker. Someone signed up for it, believing that it. I don't know if he knew for sure that this had to do with a third party company or, or if it had to do with the World Series, but whatever. Things called World Series of Poker School of Poker that will be taking place at a Caesar's property should not be scamming people. When you sign up for a World Series of Poker School of Poker at a Caesar's property. The last thing you think is going to happen is you're going to be scammed. And that's what happened here. So definitely somebody needs to answer to this. And I'm going to be working with this individual who contacted me with getting to the right people, whether it's someone at the World Series itself or whether it's uh, Brian Rast. But uh, we will reach somebody and we will get an answer here. And it's important to me, again, that this gets handled fairly and if everyone just gives him the finger, if everyone just says, tough luck, not our problem, go find this uh, Arthur McFarlane and get it from him, I'm going to be very unhappy about that because the, the World Series needs to take responsibility here and Brian Rast needs to take responsibility here. So we'll see. Any, any God, other... I need to cut, yeah, I need to cut you off, but did you check and make sure it's Brian Rast? Rast? No, I didn't. Because I gave, I gave you another name that he gave me. I mean, it's in the email. I don't want to give it out. I don't want to slander. Oh, I see. I, yeah, yeah, I see. You see, you see, you see yeah, I see. Somebody else. Uh, well, okay. It, it, well, I'll say it. It's, it's it's possibly Brian Hastings also, which is unfortunately a little bit worse than Brian Rast. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not Brian Rast. In fact, I'm going to Google this right now. I didn't. That's the name he gave me. And okay. now that I'm thinking about it, you know, this is kind of funny. All these poker classes that are held seem to be by scammers. You remember the Lee Childs poker yeah. schools that he used to have yeah. before Gata? Yeah, you know what? It, what it, 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 sorry, it, it is Brian Hastings. So, sorry, Brian Rast. This one is not your fault. Brian Rast may have made a. Um, wait, you know what? Hold on. No, it is Brian Rast. <laughs> I saw. I saw it wasn't, but then it actually is. It's. It's. It's actually. Uh... Okay, so here's here's an article I just found from 2015. I'm producing the show during the show, and this is an article by Chad Holloway. Chad Holloway himself is very reliable, but uh, from Poker News, February 2015, Brian Rast. On debuting Zen Poker, mentoring alongside Christy Arnett and Vanessa Russo. Poor Christy Arnett keeps getting roped into these things. <laughs> she's not a scammer at all, but I think she's kind of – I think she's someone who can be gullible at times. Anyway, uh, from February 21st to 22nd, this 2015, at Meet Las Vegas Special Events Center, two-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner Brian Rast will debut Zen Poker Mentoring a new training program that will help mold the path to success by aligning the mind, the body, and the soul. This already sounds stupid. That's a, that's a, this is something that already sounds like it's going to end up being a scam. A, a poker training program that will, mold, that will mold the path to success by aligning the mind, the body, 
and the soul. Come on. Come on. That almost sounds like the thing that your former but your former co-host used to like on the other show. <laughs> he used to get on all the time. What was the thing that Negreanu used to? Oh, a Choice Center. Have? Yeah, it, it is going to. In fact, yeah. I, think, I think Brian Rast even got involved in Choice Center. So you're, you're not even that far off. In fact, Christy Arnett got involved in Choice Center. This is very Choice Center like. So that's why it's, it's not even surprising that they scammed anybody. Okay, uh, the course will will revolve around a comprehensive 52 minute instruction session that will feature. Personalized advice from Rast, who will explore all aspects of poker's strategic foundations. Those will be followed by Q&A opportunities with Rast and the Send Poker mentoring team, as well as interactive hand labs and exercises that will transform lectures and lessons into hands-on learning experiences. Part of why I do it is because I enjoy teaching, Rast told Poker News. I've gotten a lot out of teaching in my life. I think if you learn something well enough and learn how to explain it to people, it makes you learn it better. I found that being in touch with how amateur players are thinking in small ways have helped me in World Series events. I get to see how some of the people who come to these seminars think. I don't play against those players in high rollers, but I, I will in other events. I've gotten stuff out of watching them before. Uh, now listen to this part. Rast has a well ex- of experience to draw from when it comes to teaching. He previously developed Pot Limit Omaha contact, content for Poker VT and is featured on Run It Once and used to be one of the World Series of Poker Academy instructors before it disbanded. In fact, that's where he met Arthur Ace McFarland who approached Rast about co-founding Zen Poker Mentoring. So there we go. That's the two of them co-founded. So I, I won't go on with the rest of this, but, uh, yeah, this is Brian Rast, not Brian Hastings. And uh, that who is in, that's who is involved here. This is one of these, uh, it sounds like almost like a hippie uh, <laughs> poker training course. I see what they're trying to get at here. I, I see they're trying to get at, like, teaching you poker is not just about poker strategy, but also just the whole mind approach of the game, the whole mood approach, probably preventing yourself from tilting and, and, and understanding the other players from an emotional standpoint. And there is some value in that. I'm not going to say there's no value in that. But, but I also think you can take it too far. I also think if you turn it into some sort of... Uh, Seminar, which sounds like uh, a, a cult introduction session, then the person's not learning very much. But at the same time, I can understand Brian Rass is a very successful player. And if you feel that you want to use his procedures for becoming a top player and follow his lead, then that's not the worst person to follow. Obviously, what he's been doing has worked for him. But this is very bad. Now, Zen Poker Mentoring does seem to be gone from... Let me verify this right now. I should have done this before the show, but we always produce the show during the show. That's just a hallmark of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And I do, I'm Googling it. I do not see uh, a website for it, though I do see a website called... W-S-O-P-S-O-P, which stands for World Series of Poker School of Poker. And I do see the Zen Poker Mentoring page. You can find through Google. If you just Google Zen Poker Mentoring, you'll see one. You'll see results from WSOPSOP.com. So, and it does have a, a WSOP School of Poker little stamp on there. They're, they're definitely licensing the name. They're definitely licensing the name, okay? There's no way that they will have gotten away with it for this long without having licensed the name or have some sort of association with the World Series. So 
the World Series needs to do something about this. And by the way, they can put pressure on Brian Rass. They can go to Brian Rass and say, hey, you better refund these guys or we're going to kick you from all Caesars properties. They can do that too. So yeah, I'm just wondering, could could Brian could Brian Rass just be getting his name used? I mean, think about the buy-ins that he for his for the events that he plays. Doesn't he play the million dollar one drop? All the high. Yeah, he does play. He does play. He does play a lot of high events. Uh, I haven't followed his career that closely, but yes, I do believe he's a high limit player. And and yes, it, it is a little curious why a high limit player is 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 messing with things where, where it's a a poker school worth two hundred ninety seven dollar buy ins like to the school like a, you know is this really worth his time I know is the the question you're trying to ask here, and yeah and it's a circuit it's a circuit event yeah so it is he's very possible the East Coast for a circuit event doesn't make sense right so it's it is possible that he's kind of the executive director of it but the actual work is done by this Arthur Ace McFarland. Who's, who's kind of a nobody, and that uh, Rass is kind of just the one directing it, and maybe he'll show up sometimes and take Q&A sessions, but that the heavy lifting is done by this McFarland character. So that that's probably what it is or something like that. But nevertheless, he has associated himself with it. He claims that he's one of the two uh, founders of it. So he does have some responsibility here. And I, I don't think it's going to fly with the World Series if Rass says, oh, yeah, well, that, that's a company, and the company is disbanded. So, you know, the, the claims are against a, a defunct company, not me. I don't think that's going to fly with uh, the World Series. So I will be contacting – I think I'm going to be contacting the World Series about this and asking for comment. And uh, if they won't give comment, at least put them in contact with victims here so they can get the money back either through the World Series or that the World Series can perhaps pressure – those behind Zen Poker mentoring, even Brian Rast himself, to do it. So, fortunately, this is not just some poker school that rented the conference room out at the Horseshoe and has no brand association. Fortunately, because it's called the World Series School of Poker, there is some recourse. And even if not legal recourse, there's definitely brand-related recourse. And since and it's a good thing that like these weren't like ten thousand dollar schools that people were paying for. So at least the World Series can feel like they can make people whole without really eating a lot of money. Because if we were dealing with, like millions of dollars here, the World Series may balk at it and find ways to get out of it. But uh, for this amount of money, just I get out of bankruptcy. Yeah, <laughs> for, for this sum of money, which I think couldn't be all that much for a corporation like Caesars, I, I think they'll probably if even if they can't get the Zen poker to cough up the money, I think they'll just cough it up themselves. So I, I will not condemn the World Series for this and their handling of it. They may not even know yet, but I will let them know and I'll give you guys an update. So thanks, Scott, for the help you've given me with this segment and the information that uh, you've provided here. I'll, I'll send you a little more, but I got two questions for yeah. you. Did, uh, did little Benjamin get to watch the Dodgers win tonight? He did. Uh, you know what? Never has Benjamin concentrated on a televised baseball game as much as tonight. Because uh, Benjamin is one of these people. It's funny. I hear this from adults, too. Uh, Some adults will say to me, I really enjoy going to baseball games live in the stadium. But when it's on TV, I can't watch it. Like they, it's too slow. It's 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 boring to them. They can't. They they just can't sit there for hours and watch the game. And I can do it. But but uh, some people can't. 
especially kind of like casual baseball fans. But then yet they'll really enjoy going to the game itself. Now, I will concede that it's much more exciting to be at the stadium than to be watching it on TV. Much more exciting. It's a, it's a totally different experience. But oh, they're two totally different experiences. Yeah, and you gotta like one or the other. And uh, but so Benjamin, when he goes to baseball games, he really likes it. In fact, when I almost didn't go to that game, game number two against the Diamondbacks uh, last during the NLDS, which was uh, about a week and a half ago now, when I almost didn't go, he he was actually about to cry. That's how upset he was. So <laughs> so that's so I actually went and got the tickets and, and we went. So, and like totally at the last minute, like I, I was breaking it to him, we're not going, the traffic's terrible, the, you know, the, the, I, I was just going to give up on it and, and he wasn't having it. So that's how badly he wants to go. This is not a kid who's like being dragged there by his dad who wants him to like it. He actually, we, we went because he was demanding we go because I, I told him we're going and then I told him we're not going and he was very, very upset about that. But yet on TV, uh, I'll tell him it's on and he'll, he'll kind of look up and he'll, he'll comment on the score and say, oh good, the Dodgers are winning. And he'll be happy about it, but he won't want to sit and watch it. And today, uh, he actually watched most of the game all the way to the end and, and watched it very closely. The reason, unfortunately, is because he's sick. Uh, he, he got pretty sick tonight and uh, was throwing up, and he, was, he wasn't in, be- in good shape. So he actually had so little energy that all he wanted to do was just lie there and, and watch the Dodgers. Because he didn't have energy to do anything else he normally likes to do, so he actually watched it very closely. And he, was, new... and he was he was happy to, he was happy to see the Dodgers uh, make it to the World Series, and he he knows it's the first time since '88. Does he know know how far how far? I mean, how long it's been? Yes, yes. I mean, he, besides yes. saying 1988, does he actually understand? Oh, yeah, he does. As smart yeah. as he is, yeah, yeah, he knows. He knows. He and does he have a new does he have a new favorite player named Kiki Hernandez? <laughs> I didn't ask him that, but that was crazy. You know what's funny is I posted on Poker Fraud Alert. I think Kiki Hernandez must read Poker Fraud Alert because I posted on Poker Fraud Alert that I was you know, I already posted I was upset about the game five lineup that the Dodgers put a crappy lineup out there and then couldn't score runs. And then they they lost. So or sorry, the game four lineup, not the game five. So I said for the game five lineup that this is better, but I'm still unhappy that Kike Hernandez is batting six. I said I don't know what the problem, why they keep putting him in in these crucial spots. That you know what's going on here. So I, I was really giving a hard time to Kike Hernandez for being in the lineup and complaining about it. So of course he hits three home runs and drives in seven runs. So that's, so he must he must have read Poker Fraud Alert and got inspiration and decided he had to show me up. So okay, oh, Scott, one last thing about Benjamin. Does he? Yeah. Has he been to Vegas lately? Uh, he was last in Vegas in... Oh, crap. I'm trying to think when he was last there. You know, it may have actually been a little while. you got to tell me if he still thinks that half of Caesar's um, property is still in bankruptcy. <laughs> Next time he goes. He didn't understand the bankruptcy. He just knew it was the good Caesars and the bad Caesars. That's all he knew about. He didn't understand the bankruptcy. I'm sorry. The, the good, tower and the good, good tower and bad tower. The good Caesars and right, bad I'm Caesars. I'm going to hang up so you can okay. get on the rest of the show. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, good night. All right, so that's Scott from the East Coast. and uh, yeah, He's the one who referred this guy who was the victim of the World Series uh, School of Poker. Uh, I, I think it's possible. I, I see. I don't know much about the World Series of Sco- Poker School of Poker, but I think it's possible that Zen Poker mentoring is not the entire World Series of Poker School of Poker. It may just be a portion of it. 
I don't even know how this works. If anybody in the chat room knows how this works, like is Zen Poker mentoring the entire World Series of Poker School of Poker, or is it just a portion of it? Someone explain this to me if you know, if anybody has any idea. Whatever it is, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. The good thing is I I have a dialogue with the World Series of Poker. Whenever I, I have a question about this sort of thing, I go to them. And the truth is when I've brought things up to them, where things are shady and and someone within the company or associated with the company has not acted right, I have gotten a proper response where they take care of it. Like a good example was uh, this year at the World Series when the vendors were being very, very aggressive in the hallway and harassing players. And when the massage girls were being over aggressive and and going up to players in events and asking if they want a massage instead of uh, letting players come to them. And I reported these things, and, and the World Series of Poker took care of both of them immediately. So they, they, don't have, they don't tolerate third-party companies abusing players. I'll give them that. And I get a response from them. Not all big companies are this responsive. So at least they're responsive to me. And I think part of the reason they're responsive to me is because they know this show exists. And they know this site exists. And they know that it would look bad if they were not. So they're doing the right thing to be responsive to me and being responsive to concerns raised on Poker Fraud Alert. So that's that's what's good about sites like this existing, is it gives the players a, a way to fight back when they're mistreated. So we're going to follow this up again. Just to be clear, I don't think this was the fault of Caesars, the fault of Horseshoe Baltimore, the fault of the World Series. I think that someone licensing their name uh, has been acting either unethically or irresponsibly. Here's a question from the chat room. Druff, are you going to open up the Jew wallet and attend a World Series game? I see Trader Ruski was ready an hour ago, and I never called him. I I thought he would just call in, but... Okay. I think he waits for me to call him, because I tell him usually I can't connect him on, but... I just can't connect him on when he calls in when there's already someone here, but there's nobody here. It's just me. So let's see if, we can, see if we can reach him. But the World Series, uh, because the Yankees... Uh, Trader Risky, hello. How you doing? Hi. So because the Yankees are up 3-2 to two now, which is amazing because they went from down 2-0 up 3-2 for the second time in a row this playoffs, they... Uh, they're the favorite right now to be the ones facing the Dodgers. And if they do, unfortunately, it's going to be very expensive because the, a Dodgers-Yankees World Series has not occurred since 1981. But then prior to 81, there were a number of those. So people got used to this Dodgers-Yankees World Series rivalry, and then it hasn't happened since then. But so many people in L.A. once lived in New York and either are both Dodgers and Yankees fans or... Still Yankees fans. There's going to be a lot of Yankees fans who are going to want to see this. And just people who find it exciting that the Dodgers and Yankees will be up against each other and will want to go for that reason. So I think there's going to be a lot of demand just for that, on top of the fact that the Dodgers haven't been to the World Series in 29 years. So I think it's going to be very, very expensive. Obviously, I won't be sitting in the great seats you saw me posting about uh, for the NLDS you know, I'm not going to – I paid uh, – I, I think I tell you what I, what I paid. Those were great seats. I paid uh, $229 for them, each one, which which is a very, very good deal for a playoff game. 
Now, yes, it was only the first round of the playoffs, but to, to get seats like that, these great field-level seats right behind the visitors' dugout with a, with an amazingly good view in the sixth row of the field level. I mean, that was a, to have seats like that, or the fifth row of the field level, to have seats like that at the playoffs for 229 each, uh, I think is, is great. But not only won't I get a deal like that for the World Series, it won't even be close. Like, it... it those seats will be so expensive, it would not be worth paying for them. I'm sure it'll be four figures for those seats at the, at the World Series. And possibly mid-four figures. I mean, it could be very, very, very expensive for seats like that. Could be a, could be 10, 20 times, 30 times more of what I paid for the NLDS for those seats. So I'm willing to sit in worse seats than that, but I, I don't want to sit on the top deck or, or, or way out in right field or in the bleachers. I, there I'd rather just stay home and watch it on TV. So, like, what I'd be looking for is, like, Loge seats that uh, are, are between the base, between first and third base, something like that. And if I can get that for a reasonable price, I'll go. If I can't, I'll just stay home. Trader Ruski, what is your? I know you said you were considering the World Series, also. What is your feeling on on this? I'm with you. It's going to be expensive, so I'm going to have to look at some of my contacts and see what I can dig up. Yeah. And, and by the I way, I agree. I don't know if I'd want to sit in the nosebleeds for sure. Yeah, that's what I say too. I mean, the bleachers might would probably be better than that. They, they are a little bit better than that. Yeah, the the, the nosebleeds are the worst. I, th- I think the worst seats in the park are the ones all the way in left field or all the way in right field that are high up. And uh, and then the second worst is the top deck, and then third worst is the bleachers. So I, I'll tell you what I also don't like, even though these are closer. I don't like on the field or load level where you're under that overhang. That kind of pisses me off too. I hate those seats. Like I, I don't want to. Yeah, like at the top of the loge or whatever. Yeah, I don't want something obstructing my view, and I also don't want to feel like I'm not in the over, open air stadium. I don't want to feel like a, a roof like right over my head. That's a, unnerving in a stadium. So uh, I wouldn't want one of those either. But you know, I would take a a, a normal loge seat that's between first and third base, even if it's not right in front of the loge, like I, for a reasonable price. Like I would take that and say that's good enough. But beyond that, I don't think I want to go up to the blue reserve level, even one that's behind home plate. You're just too damn high. You're, you're, you're high up. Everything looks too small. I, I I like having a good view of the game. So, like, I, re- I used to sit up in that blue reserve level. My, my parents used to take me there, and they they thought these seats, they had these seats right above first base that they got from someone who my dad knew at work. And they thought these were so wonderful because you're right above first base, so you, you have a good angle. But we were high up, so I remember having such a hard time being able to tell balls and strikes. And I thought it was just me. I thought, like, wow, why, how, how come I can't tell balls and strikes? But the reason was you, uh, you're too high. You can't see anything. So once I moved down to the load level for the first time, I'm like, oh, my God, the players all look so big. They look so close. Wow. And, wow, I can tell if it's a ball or a strike. So it, it just was so much of a different experience. You just feel like you're, you're close to the game down there where – uh, on the blue reserve level, you, even if you have a good view of everything, you're just too high, and you just don't feel close to it. You just feel like so distant. So I, I just the, the thought of just paying a lot of money, even to be there for a World Series game, to sit in those areas, it just would bother me. So I'll, I'll have to see what the prices are. It'll also be interesting to see if they do fall at the last minute on StubHub, as they often do, or if because it's the World Series, if they don't fall, or if perhaps even get more expensive. So, uh, because, of course, at the beginning, I'm sure it's going to be, like, really overpriced. Everyone's delusional what they're asking for. Because they don't really have a baseline of what 
to ask for because this hasn't existed in 29 years and there was no StubHub back then. So. So now are you rooting for Houston so that the tickets will be cheaper? Yes. Well, yes, I actually kind of am. <laughs> because I want to go to a game and, and uh, I don't think either team will be easy. So it's not like I – like I – if I thought the Yankees would be really easy – then yeah, I'd want the Yankees to win. But look, the Yankees have been tough. They they dispatched Cleveland, and now they're about to dispatch Houston. These two really good teams in uh, in the American League. These were not crappy teams that they they beat. These are two excellent teams. One is already gone, and the other one is a, a game away from being gone. So, I, it's not like I feel the Yankees will come in and the Dodgers will crush them just because they were the wild card team. They're playing great right now, so maybe, maybe it is better the Dodgers face the Astros just for as far as who they beat. So so honestly, I, I would rather see the Astros because I do think it would be easier to see this, and, and I, I really do want to go to a World Series game. And I've said since I was an adult that I've wanted to go to one because they have not been in the World Series since I've been an adult. But at the same time, I, I've got to have a, a sane limit as to how much money I will spend. And I, I haven't come up with that figure yet, but... If, if I'll, I'll know it when I see it, so. Uh, but anyway, Trader Ruski, if you uh, you know, I'll, I'll if if you want someone to go with and uh, and you can come up with seats and you know, if I, of course I pay for mine. Uh, that's that uh, that would meet this criteria. Then uh, I'll be happy to go with you, or uh, whatever. So so we'll see. You can uh, get for in touch sure. with me if about this, and I, I do very much have interest in going, and. Uh, we will see what happens. So that it's uh, it does feel good here to do this show and know that the Dodgers are finally in the World Series. I've been a big fan of the Dodgers my whole life, and I, I've watched so many times, especially in the last uh, nine years, that they've made the playoffs and made the NLCS and just uh, could not get past it. And not only did they get past it, they did it in very dominating fashion this time. They've they've won they won seven of the eight playoff games they played so far, and and. Truthfully, uh, not many of them were close, especially not today. And the one they lost was close. So let's let's move on here to the next topic here. I know some of you don't care about baseball, but uh, yeah, the Dodgers just made the World Series for the first time in 29 years tonight. So it's worth mentioning. Okay, now time to go on to the. Leon Sukunik story, and then then we will have our big list of of. Poker players acting crazy this week. We have a number of them. There's a lawsuit that was filed, and we talked about it before on this show, by a poker player who's known as Aussie Matt. And he was suing uh, Leon Sukernik, who is the owner of King's Casino. Aussie Matt's real name is Matt Kirk. And... He sued Leon Sukernik, the owner of King's Casino, for taking a loan to play heads up and then losing and then not paying. Which has happened before, by the way, both with Sukernik and with others. This is unfortunately something that people will pull in poker where they'll say they don't have money on them at the casino. They'll be willing to play high stakes with you. You'll know this person's not very good and that you're better than them and that you're willing to take the chance and uh, loan them the money to play. You'll beat them, and then they will not pay you what you loan them. So you'll basically have just won your own money back, and they will have free-rolled you. You would think at first 
someone like Leon Suhrnick could never be one who would do that, given that he owns a casino called the King's Casino in the Czech Republic, and that the King's Casino even has a marketing agreement with the World Series of Poker to the point where the high limit room at the World Series of Poker was called the King's Casino Room. The King's Lounge is what it was called, actually. So of all people to, to cheat someone, it's uh, Leon Sukernik. But his excuse is that he felt he was cheated, which is crazy. It was a heads-up game. But he, he felt he was cheated. And I think it's even possible that Sukernik can afford to pay this. It could just be that his ego does not want to let him pay this because he doesn't want to see himself as a fish. And if he pays it, it's like he sees himself as admitting that he was beaten. And that uh, he thinks that by not paying it and saying that he was cheated, it's it's the justification that uh, he was cheated. He didn't really lose. So instead of saying, "Hey, I'm a fish. Uh, a good poker player just took me for three million. Instead, oh, a guy who's supposedly good just cheated me, and now I'm not paying him. Then you don't have to feel bad about yourself. You you didn't lose fair and square. But I highly doubt there was any cheating. And in fact, Leon Sukunik has been known to have done this before. So Aussie Matt filed a lawsuit against Leon Sukernik for $3 million. And this case was filed in early June. He was represented by the high-powered Las Vegas law firm of Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, and they, they really are very, very powerful lawyers in Vegas. They're the ones who represented Brian Mikon. Mike claimed he paid them $100,000 to represent him, which is possible because they are very expensive. And for whatever reason, they seem to have a lot of power in getting things done there. I don't know if there's some corruption or they just know how the system works. But whatever it is, when you hire them to defend you, if you're accused of any uh, criminal act there, especially a uh, financially related one, they seem to be able to pull off miracles even when the DA has you dead to rights, as they pretty much did with Mike you get some real sweetheart deals if accused of a crime when you have Chesnoff and Schoenfeld representing you. They're very expensive, but I'll tell you, if I was ever accused of a crime in Vegas, that's who I would hire. So in this case, it's actually the plaintiff hiring them in a civil case. And... um, Sukernik actually... uh, acknowledged that he did receive these four loans. He received four loans that totaled uh, $3 million. Uh, Two different people witnessed him acknowledging this, and in texts he uh, acknowledged this. And then uh, minutes later, he told uh, Aussie Matt that that all he would do is pay one of the $3 million owed, owed, owed back to him. The other two he would just have to give up. And this actually happened. What's even more offensive about this is that the day before, this uh, this basically uh, reverse ha- was on the reverse, where uh, Matthew Kirk borrowed from Sukernik and to play him, and lost one point five million dollars in the previous session. So Sukernik actually spotted. Kirk, $1.5 million during their match by the time it was over. And Matthew Kirk paid him back. <laughs> so then the next match, they, uh, you know, the next day, the reverse happens and, and Leon Sukernik won't pay him. So it was pretty bad. And I believe, I believe Aussie Matt's 
accusation here for several reasons. This apparently also happened to European poker pro Elton Sang, who has since gone on radio interviews and uh, has explained what happened to him. So Sukernik has this uh, pattern of screwing people this way for whatever reason. So that's all old stuff that goes back to the summer. But there was a ruling involving this. Now, before I give you the ruling, here were the 10 allegations. It's a 10-count uh, civil suit against Leon Sukernik by Aussie Matt, known as Matt, that's, uh, Matt Kirk. Count one is breach of contract for the first 500000 loan. Count two, breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing for the first $500,000 loan. Count three, breach of contract for the second $500,000 loan. Count four, breach of implied covenant and good faith for the second $500,000 loan. Count five, breach of, contact, breach of contract for the first $500,000 loan. It, it seems like the same thing as count one, but whatever. Uh, count six, breach of implied covenant and good faith at fair dealing for the first million-dollar loan. Count seven, breach of contract uh, for the second million-dollar loan. Count eight, breach of implied covenant and good faith and fair, fair dealing as to defendant uh, for the second $500,000 loan. Count nine, fraudulent inducement. And count ten, unjust enrichment. So what they're going for here is $3 million plus punitive damages. Punitive damages are it's additional money that's awarded to the plaintiff to basically punish the defendant. So this way it's not a free roll. Because let's, let's say you cheat someone out of $3 million, and they say, okay, sue me. They figure, well, they might as well just not pay you the $3 million, and then if, uh, if, if you lose in court, then you, you basically break even as if you paid them in the first place. So punitive damages are there in the legal system to disincentivize such behavior to where the judge can award – the judge or jury you – know, they can award uh, – actually, I'm not sure if the jury can do it. I, I know the judge can do it. can award punitive damages above what's – just being sued for of what is in question. So he's looking for $3 million plus punitive damages. So there's no trial date set yet. But here's what happened to those 10 counts I just read you. Of those 10 counts, a judge has ruled that eight of them are dismissed. It's not good for Aussie Matt. Eight of them have been dismissed. So I'll tell you why that is, according to the judge. Because the judge stated a reason for why eight of those ten were dismissed. You you think on the surface it looks very much like Sukranik is guilty. So why would a judge ever dismiss eight of those ten counts? Well, Judge Linda Marie Bell, she's a district judge in Clark County, she has dismissed eight of the ten claims because these are considered gambling debts. And gambling debts are not enforceable by the courts. This is what she said. She said, Gambling debts are not enforceable whether in the form of casino chips, cash, or gold bars. Mr. Sukernik received a loan for wagering against Mr. Kirk. So what she's trying to say here is that you, you, you're not allowed to sue 
someone because you uh, you gambled against them and then lost, and then they won't pay you. So you know, like one individual can't sue another in that way. A casino can sue you, but one individual who gambles with another cannot sue the other for non-payment on gambling debts. So that's not what they claimed they were suing for. They didn't claim they were suing for gambling debts. They claimed that this was first a loan, and then they happened to gamble with it, in which case you can sue. So if, let's say you just come up to me and say, hey, Todd, can you loan me uh, $10,000? And I say, okay, and I loan you $10,000. Shortly after I loan you the 10000 you go, you know what? You know what would be cool is if I could double this ten k to become twenty k. Hey, how about we play heads up, limit, hold them? Ten k freeze out, and I say okay, and we play, and I win, and now I have the ten thousand dollars back I loaned you in the first place, and then you don't pay me. Well, in that case, provided you admitted that's the way it went down, the judge actually would rule in my favor that you'd owe me the ten thousand because I loaned you the ten thousand first, not for gambling, and then. Later on, you had that idea of let's gamble with it. So it's no longer a gambling debt. You first borrowed the money from me, then you chose to gamble with it. But she's saying in this case that the loan was specifically for gambling. That this was not just an unrelated loan to Leon Sukernick, that Matt Kirk gave him the money so they could gamble against each other. And unfortunately, that decision is going to probably resonate for a long time, and that others in this situation will probably be hesitant to sue in the future, seeing that this will be the same ruling. So definitely, if you're playing anyone, even a known fish, even a known fish who who typically will pay up and seems to have a lot of money, do not ever loan someone to play you money heads up. Don't ever do that, unless they're really, 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 really known to be trustworthy. Because I know someone else this happened to, and the person who stiffed them was not someone who was known to be shady, but it was just a fish who played all the time in commerce, and um, he lost a lot of money heads up at a different casino, and he would not pay the person who beat him because people at commerce kind of convinced him that he was probably being cheated when he really wasn't, so he just wouldn't pay. So just in general, do not loan people money to play you because you may never get it back. It may just be a free roll. But anyway, back to this one. Since this was loaned specifically to gamble, she ruled that this is a gambling debt, not a bad loan. And that's why she said that they're unenforceable, whether they're in the form of casino chips, cash, or even gold bars, she said. That no matter matter what is being loaned to someone to gamble, if it's being loaned to them for the purpose of gambling with you and they lose, you cannot sue them to repay that loan. So any count related to that is out. However, she said the rest can go forward, as well as the potential punitive damages. And that was for counts 9 and 10, fraudulent inducement and unjust enrichment. Why? She said, if Sukernik entered into the contract intending to use his unenforceability to refuse payment, if proven... This could place Mr. Sukernik at the greatest moral fault in this matter. What she's trying to say here is that if Sukernik went into this 
believing that he could get out of having to pay because he knew that gambling debts could not be enforced, then that's a whole different matter. Then he went in there with an attempt to defraud. And that's where the fraudulent inducement and unjust enrichment comes in. If they can prove that he really went into this knowing that it could not be enforced, and that's why he took the loan, knowing that he could decide later not to pay and there'd be nothing that could be done, then if if they can prove that, then Matt Kirk will win, is what she's saying. So that's why she's allowing those two to go forward. Now, this was not ruled... Like this lawsuit's not over. All she's saying is that these two counts can go through because what happens is in these lawsuits, there's a bunch of counts, and then the judge will rule on what can go forward, and the parts that are thrown out are, are immediately over, and then the rest is not decided upon yet. But it's basically saying what, how many of these counts can actually be tried in a court of law, and how many are just going to be tossed out right away. So everything having to do with the loans is gone. The only parts that are left are the fraudulent inducement and unjust enrichment. But if it can be shown that he knew that this was unenforceable and that's the reason that he entered the contract with uh, with Matt Kirk and that's the reason he took the loan is that he knew he could get out of paying, then, then Matt Kirk could win anyway. Because then this was just fraud. However, if it is determined that Leon Sukernik entered this not realizing that it was unenforceable by a court of law and really entered this intending to pay his losses and then decided after the match was over that he was cheated and just didn't feel like paying, whether or not he was cheated doesn't matter. If it's shown that he just decided later that he doesn't want to pay because he's suspicious about something and it just is going to stiff him on the debt – then unfortunately, because it's a gambling debt, it cannot be enforced in a court of law. So I hate to say it, but it's looking pretty good for Sukernik right now because it's very hard to prove what was in Sukernik's head. I believe he was really shady. I would love to see him lose this. I think the guy's a piece of crap. But, and he's done this before, but I think he'll probably get out of this one. However... The fact that he did do this to someone else in the past, as Elliot Sang, could hurt him. Because it can, show, it's, it can be shown through Elliot Sang's own testimony that Sukernik already has done this before. And this is a pattern that he engages in. And that might be enough to convince the jury that this really was fraud. This really was intentional fraud. This, this really was a free roll. Or at the very least, that when he did this, that he knew this was an option available to him. Because he has experience with it and has done it before. So, Matt Kirk does have a chance. I'm not saying he's dead in the water here, but... I would say this ruling from the judge is is more favorable for Sukernik than Matt Kirk. I'm definitely rooting for Matt Kirk here, but... I'm not sure how far this goes, but he does have... Chesnoff and Schoenfeld in his corner, and they seem to work miracles in Vegas, so you never know. Trader Ruski, any commentary here? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, is, you know, as far as, like, the first things being thrown out, the first eight counts or whatever, things that he sued for, 
I think a lot of that is just them checking against the law. Yeah, it is. So the fact that he still has a couple that are alive, that's probably what it's going to be all about. It, it is. It is. And it is checking against the law. That's exactly what they're doing. But what I don't like here is that there's two ways to look at this. When you loan someone money to play poker against you in a legal card room, this isn't like a, a home game or something. This is a, It took place in an actual card room, a licensed card room. It's just one person loaned money to the other to be able to play with each other. It can be looked at two ways. It could be seen as a personal gambling debt between the two of them, or it could be seen as a loan, which was then used for gambling. And I really like the interpretation of the second one. because I, I don't think it's fair that just because the loan was used for gambling, that suddenly it's a gambling debt. I see it as two transactions, a loan and gambling. So I think once you take a loan from someone for whatever reason, you should owe it. And I, I don't think the law should be used to protect this. I think the, the unenforceability of gambling debt is meant to uh, is meant to protect people from, from bookies, from illegal bookies. Or, or those who are exploiting people with gambling problems. But uh, those that are playing in a licensed casino where one loans money to the other so they can play, to me that's just a loan. And that's what it should be. It shouldn't be about gambling. It should be about a loan. He loaned him three million. He didn't pay back three million. Okay, judgment for three million plus punitive damages. That's what I'd rule. So, but the judge didn't see it that way. The judge decided that this is all part of gambling debt. So that's well, and I'm sure in Vegas though, there's got to be a lot of case law with similar things around that that's happened over the years. Yes, it, it right. could, it could so. be that. It could be that in Vegas they're very sensitive about any kind of loan or any tra- financial transaction related to gambling, even if it does take place in. Licensed Vegas casinos, they just uh, they just really want all the money to flow through the casino, and they don't like players loaning each other. So maybe that's why this isn't very favorable for people like Matt Kirk, who did choose to loan the money to the other player in the game. So it could be that. So we will see. The trial date has not been determined yet. By the way, this took place in Ivy's room in the Aria. That's where this all took place. People did witness it. So there's there's little doubt. I don't think Sukranik w- will be able to deny, nor will he try to deny, that he was given these loans. In fact, he's already admitted in interviews. He's going to acknowledge he got these loans, but he's going to claim that he felt he was cheated. And he doesn't want to pay it back, and he has the legal standing not to pay it back. That's what he's going to claim. That's what he has been claiming. And I guess would they check like his browser history, or if he ever had a past experience with it to prove he knew it ahead of time? Uh, they can't check his browser history because it's not uh, there's not a criminal case, so they can't force that to be turned over. Uh, they, I think, they could probably get this Elliot Sang to testify on the plaintiff's behalf that. Sukernik did this to him 10 months before it happened with Matt Kirk. So basically, Sukernik knows what he's doing. He knows he can get away with it. He knows that whenever he takes these loans to play, that there's always the option on the table not to pay people. So if they can show that and convince people that that's what he did, that he, he actually went into this knowing, okay, I'm going to play, but if it doesn't go the way I like, I just won't pay. Like if, if that is what's shown and what seems to be proven to the court, that, that, that the approach that Sukernik's been taking, then he will lose. If if it was if the if instead it's shown that he 
you know, if it can't be proven that when he took this loan that he thought that there is a possibility he won't pay, then uh, Matt Kirk will lose. And the problem is it is difficult to prove someone's intention, what's in their head. But the biggest strike against Sukarnik here is that he's done it before. So that, that might actually beat him. If this is the first time it happened, I think he'd probably get away with it. Now it's kind of questionable. So, but it, but it is still a, a big ruling in his favor that the first eight counts are out and that these loans were seen as a gambling debt rather than a bad loan. Okay, so I want to move on to a lighter subject here. I want to talk about some various stupid things that we're seeing from poker players this week, mostly on social media. There are certain poker players that we talk a, a lot about on this show in that context, ones that we seem to always focus upon that are saying or writing stupid things on social media. Ones that seem to bring out the cuckoo bird. That sound effect I like to play when we deal with people who act in such a fashion. By the way, can you hear the sound effects, Trader Risky? Yep. Beautiful. Yep. Okay. So, Justin Bonomo, he's a very good poker player, very successful poker player. Had a very good year so far. Travels the world playing very, very high roller events. He was dogged by a multi-accounting s- scandal back in 2006, but since then he has not had any kind of scandal like that. But what he has been doing is kind of pissing people off with very sanctimonious uh, social justice warrior, far-left type uh, rants on social media. Usually along the lines of proclaiming what a great feminist he is. And I always was very suspicious of and thought very little of male feminists. Now, on the surface, you may think, what's wrong with a male feminist? That's just a a male who who just uh, wants to treat women well, wants to treat women as equals, wants to make sure that women have the same opportunities as men, wants to treat women with respect. These are all noble sounding attitudes to have. The problem is that most male feminists, I find, are hypocritical and are trying to overcompensate. They're trying to cover up for the fact that uh, they either don't like women, don't respect women, like using women, uh, or, or they want the, the title of being a male feminist so they can get laid or, or, or earn the trust of women who would be impressed by that. A lot of times there's an ulterior motive, whether conscious or subconscious. And a lot of times they're just doing this to pat themselves on the back about what a wonderful person they are. But uh, then they will often not engage in such uh, actual beliefs in the way they conduct their real life. It's, it's one thing to go out on social media and claim you have such and such social or political beliefs which are aligned with feminism. But uh, it's another thing to actually act like that in your real life. And I, I've heard so many stories of male feminists who treat women very, very poorly in their personal lives behind closed doors. I've known people personally. I've known women personally who have dated so-called male feminists, and the stories are all incredibly similar. 
of how uh, disrespectful these guys are behind closed doors to women. And uh, does not match it up at all with what they write on social media. So, I, you know, being a male feminist is very different than just being someone who treats women well, who doesn't look down upon women, who treats women as equals. You can do all of that without being a, quote, male feminist. In fact, I think being a male feminist is stupid because as a male, you can't – you don't have visibility into what it's like to be female. You, you can't – you were never a female. You won't ever be a female. So you can't really be a feminist because these are not issues you actually live. You may observe some of them, but you don't actually live them. So at best, you can be supportive of certain women's issues if you agree with uh, – with these issues themselves and if you you agree with the feminist side on these issues but that's the most you can do and you can't call yourself a feminist i think i think only women can really be feminists and i think the male feminists uh they're usually doing this for reasons which aren't as noble as they claim now justin bonomo he's an interesting one because even though he's always claiming to care so much about feminism in fact he complained i think it was last year that he witnessed three microaggressions already in the first 45 minutes of his first World Series of Poker event. The microaggressions were against women, he said. And when he described them, they were they were all stupid. It was all stupid, harmless stuff that he was already crying about on social media. That had nothing to do with him. It had to do with like a woman at the table and, and, and the way some guys were talking to her. So he loves to wave the feminist flag, but yet at the same time, he brags about being involved in a lifestyle which I feel is very disrespectful toward women, and that is the polyamory lifestyle. Polyamory is often equated with swinging, but it's a little bit different. Polyamory is the concept of having several relationships at once, several romantic relationships at once. So it's not, it's not just sex. That's, that's swinging. So like, let's say you and your wife decide that... Uh, yeah, you you both want to have sex with other people. There's what's known as an open relationship to where just individually each of you can go and uh, have sex with others, but that you're not going to have relationships with these other people. You're just going to have sex and then come back home to your, your spouse. And then there's, uh, there's swinging where it's actually more organized, where it's kind of like uh, couples swapping or whatever. I've never been involved in that stuff. That stuff has no appeal to me, but uh, there are people who like it. Uh, usually it's more of the male pushing this for obvious reasons. But polyamory is different in that it goes one step further in that it actually involves real romantic relationships that exist. So let's say you have a girlfriend or a wife. You actually can have a relationship, a loving relationship with another woman. And I, I think that's just insane. Because it's, it's one thing to just... Uh, Swing and involve empty sex in the whole thing, but 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 to actually have a, another or more than one additional relationship where you're having feelings and and you're treating them like you know like a girlfriend while you're already with someone, that's very very difficult and I think in most cases impossible to do as a human being. And. One of the biggest problems is that uh, it's hard to maintain all of this. It's, it's hard to maintain the love and excitement for someone that you're with currently if there's someone new on the scene. Because one will start to take away from the other. 
And I always thought that polyamory was selfish because relationships are work. The first few weeks, few months of a relationship are very exciting and you always think about the person and everything's new and great. And then, then time passes and you get to know the person, they get to know you and the excitement goes away and then it, it becomes more of a, a long-term kind of stable thing where you love the person, but you, you don't have the daily excitement anymore and nothing is new anymore. You've learned everything you've ever going to know about that person. And there can be the temptation to recapture the excitement of someone new, of a new relationship, by uh, meeting other people. But if if you... uh, Resist that, that temptation, then your existing relationship will remain a lot stronger. But if you don't resist that temptation and you, and you do go forth with meeting other people and and seek that same type of excitement, I'm not again. I'm not talking about just like sex to to feel physically good. I'm talking about uh, the the excitement of of a new person that you're really getting to like. If you pursue that then it does take away from whatever you currently have. Now, maybe whatever you currently have has some problems and uh, it's on its way out. But uh, in either case, you can't really do that and maintain a healthy relationship. I just, I just don't think it's possible. I think uh, it, it will detract and detract and detract from your existing relationship to which point it will replace it. And then, if, you know, of course, if there's other people, if there's third and fourth and fifth people, then again, the, the, the third person you're with will detract from the second, and so on and so forth. The bottom line is, I believe this whole thing is disrespectful to women. The whole polyamory concept is disrespectful to women, because you're basically saying, uh, I want to I have sex with other girls, I, I want to even have the love from other girls, you're not good enough for me by yourself. I need to get this from other people too. So when I get bored of you, I'm going to replace you in every way possible. I'm going to replace you in the sexual way. I'm going to replace you in the romantic way. But I'm not going to be at least willing to get rid of you at that point. I'm not, I'm not going to cut you loose so you can go be with someone else who, who, who really would like to be with you and really uh, wants to love you. I'm going to keep you here. I don't want to give you up, but I want to mostly replace what we had going on. But you're still stuck with me, too. I think it's very manipulative. I think it's uh, very disrespectful towards women to engage in, in polyamory. So someone who does that, I can't see how he can call himself a feminist. And you could say, well, you know, maybe the women want to do it, too. Well, I have found in these cases that the women who are into this are more into it because they've either been pressured to or they've been uh, brainwashed into believing it's a good thing. But, but th- there's very few women who approach relationships and they say, you know what? You know what I'd really love is I'd love to be in a relationship with a guy and, uh, you know, and, and we all just uh, ha- have relationships with other people. It, it's, it's very uncommon that a woman wants her man not, just to, you know, not only just to have sex with other women, but also to have feelings for these other women. And has no problem with that. Even if she can do it with other men. 
it's very uncommon for a woman to truly want that, and I think the ones that are okay with it kind of go along with it, but it's not something they love. Sometimes they'll go along with it because the person they're with, that's what they really want. So, you know, to be with that person, they go along with that person's desire. So I think it's stuff like that. I just don't think this is a respectful way to treat women is to engage in, in polyamory. And, and he does. That's a lifestyle that he has bragged about that he is involved with. So I, I, I think, first of all, before reading his latest rant, that when you hear all this and then think about this is the guy who's engaging in polyamory, who, who can't even stick with a girlfriend without not only having sex with other women, but, but having loving relationships with other women while he's already with the first woman, I think that's pretty bad. And, and by the way, human beings are, are jealous and competitive creatures. and you, you can't just take this out of your makeup. So can you imagine being in a relationship with someone and then you get to watch how excited they are and they have the glow of excitement and, and, and uh, anticipation about being with somebody else, not just physically but also romantically? And all they can think about is this new person. And in the meantime, you look at yourself and go, yeah, they're looking at me like I'm a nobody. Like I, I don't matter anymore. Like it, it's very, very difficult to not think that if you see the person you're with is so excited about being with someone else and not that excited about you anymore. So before I I read what uh, Justin wrote, we are going to take a break. And the reason we're going to take a break is because I forgot something. I knew I forgot something when I started this show, and I just realized what it is. I forgot to plug in this computer. <laughs> so uh, I did not uh, plug in the computer. It's about to run out of power. And if I don't get the power cord and plug it in, then we're going to have no show. So fortunately, I have something I can play for you guys while I go do that, and that is a word from our sponsor. Eric Bensamokin, who is our attorney, or not really our attorney, but our attorney sponsor, who is offering services to mediate and arbitrate any disputes between poker players. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money... Or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. 
And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. So I thank Eric for sponsoring the show. And I really do believe in the service he offers. And uh, definitely keep that email around. You just never know when you'll need it. And he really is perfect because this is someone who totally understands poker. He's a licensed attorney, and yet he's an outsider. He doesn't really know anyone, so there will be no bias. You'll get a fair decision, and it's exactly what you would need if you're in that type of situation. You never know when one will come up. That he could have been uh, useful in the... Aussie Matt versus Leon Sukernik situation. Though I, I think I know which way he would rule on that one. <laughs> anyway, here's what Justin Bonomo wrote. He posted this on Twitter three days ago on October 16th. And he actually posted it from Macau. So he's all the way in Macau, which is very far away. All the way in Macau. And he decides that he's going to post this rant on Facebook, which then he copied onto Twitter. Thank you to everyone who is posting Me Too. Now, before I go on, Me Too is something that women have been, it's a hashtag women have been using ever since the Harvey Weinstein thing happened. And it's a hashtag that women have been using to say that they have also been sexually harassed at some point in their life. It's a show how often sexual harassment has been occurring and how frequently women are victims of it and, and you know how many women you might know personally that have been victims of sexual harassment. And, and I agree, there, there is a lot of it going on. There, most women you know at some point have probably been receiving unwelcome sexual advances from people, including situations such as work where it's kind of tough to say no or tough to uh, deal with after you say no. And I know it's a real problem, and I know women personally who have dealt with it and, and it is a very bad thing. And I, I think it's, it's good that this discussion is coming out and that people are – where people are being shamed for doing this to women and that uh, those like Harvey Weinstein are getting named and suffering consequences for it. And, and hopefully in the future, uh, this stuff will become less and less common and men like that will learn not to do it. So I, I think the, you know, the Me Too hashtag – I understand it, and I see the point of it. 
But unfortunately, social justice warrior types have taken it and are trying to use this to advance their own agendas or get attention for themselves. So listen to what Bonomo is writing. And of course, Bonomo is a guy, so this is not a, a woman who's hashtagging me too that she was a victim in some way. This, this is Bonomo who is coming forward to admit that he was actually a sexual harasser. So listen to this. Thanks to everyone who's posting Me Too. I'm proud of every woman who I've seen share this, but I'm also ashamed of men right now, including myself. No, not because of any of this being new information or surprising, but rather because this shouldn't be a problem for the victims to fix. It shouldn't be their responsibility. This is, this is incredibly hard for me to share, but that's why it's so important. It's easy to go out there and say rapists are bad. This isn't about rape. It's also about every tiny propagation of rape culture. If you're not part of the... If, hey, guys, oh, I'm Carly... Oh, jeez. Trying to get a damn sound effect here, and it didn't work. Get Carly Kloss instead. Pisses me off. Okay, let <laughs> me go back and read this. I ruined my, the sound effect I was going to play, too. Okay, so it, it's also about every tiny propagation of rape culture... If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. He's already losing me here. Then he quoted Martin Luther King Jr. But the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and a cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. This is a Martin Luther King quote that he quoted right after he wrote what I just read you. Let me tell you why he's already losing me here. Um, first of all, I don't like this term rape culture. Rape culture, at first you'd think, oh, well, this, it, you know, what's wrong with the term rape culture? It's, it's trying to prevent a culture where rape occurs. You know, isn't rape bad? Shouldn't we do all we can to prevent rape? Yes. But unfortunately, rape culture has been extended to anything that could be slightly seen as sexual or, or even something that can be slightly seen to be slightly encouraging some unknown men to rape or sexually harass women. To the point where you have to watch every little thing you say or every little joke you make or every little thing you write on the internet because that could be rape culture. And, and that's my problem. First of all, it's, it's taking something that even if you want to say it's inappropriate, it's equating it to something terrible like rape, which you, you, you can't uh, equate to one another. So, like, like for example, there are feminists who believe that uh, one guy who sees a girl walk by who comments to his friend, oh, that chick is hot, that that's rape culture. That, that's propagation of rape culture. Why? Because it's, it's reducing the woman to a sex object. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, people are going to be attracted to what, you know, whatever gender they're attracted to, and, and they're going to make comments to other people who share that attraction. And, and you, know, you see a hot chick walk by, you want to say something to your friend, you should be able to. That doesn't mean you, you're going to rape her, you support rape, or you see her as only a sex object. It just means you see someone who's attractive and, and, and you like seeing it. And, and there are feminists out there who think that's wrong, who think you should not be able to say that. That you should never be able to comment about a woman's looks, even if it's good. So that's what I – unfortunately, the term rape culture usually has to do with just harmless things like that that are somehow equated to supporting rape. And then he writes, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Well, that's not true either. I don't always believe that to be true either. Now, if you are personally witnessing something 
and don't report it, then that's that's a different story. Like, let's say you're personally aware of or witnessing a child being molested, and you just say, "Well, this isn't my business. So I'm not going to report it." Then yes, you're part of the problem. Then that it is your social responsibility. It is the right and moral thing to do to report this. Okay, that's for sure. If you witness a rape occurring, yes, you should come forward about it, even if it's not of a child. But uh, if you're not direct witness to actual crimes occurring, you can't demand that others, quote, become part of the solution. There, There are so many different injustices in this world. There are so many different bad things that happen in this world. You, you can't take all of them on your shoulders as things you're going to solve. So you don't have to be part of the solution. You, you can be very much against uh, rape and sexual harassment and all that and not, and not have to actively be, quote, part of the solution. As long as you act right yourself, and as long as you report anything that's, uh, any crimes you see occurring or stuff like that, uh, th- that should be where everybody's minimal responsibility ends. And then beyond that, it's, it's, it's whatever they want to do. So that's where he's already losing me. Let me go on, though. This gets more interesting. Instead of hashtag me too, he does hashtag I did it too. So this is taking a turn where he's saying that he actually did it. He's actually one of these bad guys. Okay, let's let's hear about it. He wrote, when I was 12, I was extremely sexually explicit with you, even though you gave... Absolutely no indication that you were comfortable with it. I'm sorry. So this is to some girl that he knew when he was 12 that he was, quote, sexually explicit with her, whatever that means, even though she gave no indication that uh, she was comfortable with it. So I don't know if this means actions that he took, like, uh, you know, touched her in some way or or if he uh, just talked sexually with her and she didn't really want to hear it. But he's apologizing to someone from when he was 12, some girl from when he was 12, that he was uh, sexually explicit with her when she didn't give indication that she was comfortable with him being sexually explicit. He does not name who this is or describe further. 14, he's saying, age 14. I was in the pit in a crowded concert. I saw older boys getting away with it, and I tried it too. The most shameful part of this to me is that I didn't feel guilt over it until years later. I cringed so hard just thinking about it. I'm sorry. So I think he's trying to say he was groping girls in a crowded concert as in, in a pit somewhere. They did, you know, he saw older boys just kind of like grabbing girls' asses or whatever as they're jammed in the pit together, and he started doing it too. Oh, cool! I can grab girls in here. They're all so crowded. Like I, th- I think that's what he's trying to say, and that now he feels bad about it. Twenty. I read the game, which is some book about uh, how to basically trick women into dating you and being interested in you. Uh, and learned that women have no idea what they're attracted to. I studied how to convince women of what they want rather than to ask, listen, and learn what they want. I'm sorry. 22. Again, these are ages he's talking about. 22. I broke up with you, and I was surprised you didn't show any signs of sadness. I convinced slash begged you for a sexual encounter before you left. You eventually gave in. It's obvious to me that you absolutely did not want to do this I'm sorry. You have to think, like, why is he writing all this? What's the point of all this? If if he wants to contact these women directly and say, hey, you know, uh, I realized that I was a jerk to you back when I was 22. 
I probably should not have uh, pressured you to have sex with me before we broke up. I, I know you didn't really want to do it, and you kind of just did it because I was pressuring so much, and I, I think back to it, and I was a jerk, and I'm sorry, and I was younger then, and I all I can do is apologize to you. That's that's good. That's I, I think it's great if you think back to people you wronged a long time ago, and you want to contact them and apologize to them. But he's not contacting these people directly. He's posting this up for the world to see, which seems like he's actually taking things that he believed he did wrong and is trying to use them to show off what an enlightened guy he is now. Mid-twenties. I knew you weren't excited about hooking up with me. I encouraged you to drink more, hoping that it would make you more willing. I'm sorry. (laughs) 27. You gave me verbal consent, but there was no enthusiasm, and I knew it wasn't what you wanted. I finished anyway. I'm sorry. (laughs) I finished anyway. Wow. Wow. So, I, I guess some girl that wasn't that into him kind of, like, reluctantly let him have sex with her, and then he, he finished anyway. He, like, he could tell she wasn't into it, didn't really like him that much. He's like, eh, I'm going to finish. I'm going to get off. He goes on to write, every stage of my life, you know, colon, like, you know, the, the, not just specific years, but every stage of his life, colon. He was being inappropriate, and I didn't do anything to stop it because that was the easy thing to do. I'm sorry. So he's saying he witnessed other guys being inappropriate to women, and he said nothing because it's easier just to say nothing. And he's sorry about that, too. Many times during my teenage years, he was being appropriate. In, he was being inappropriate, and I laughed and maybe even thought it was cool. I was actively encouraging and reinforcing his behavior. I'm sorry. So, again, it's, he was witnessing someone else being disrespectful towards a woman, and he kind of laughed along with it and didn't stop the guy. Many times, colon, I was skeptical of what you said. I'm sorry. So I think maybe he's referring to you know, claims of rape or sexual harassment or whatever, that he's skeptical of some, some stuff that women told him throughout his life, and he's sorry for that too. I vow to be an ally going forward. Isn't that sweet? I don't think that Kate Hall and other poker social justice warriors don't think that they didn't uh, praise him and pat him on the back for this because they did they there were some people telling him how beautiful this was and how much strength this took for him to come out and admit to all this no this this was totally being put out there number one for attention number two to score points for uh, how sensitive he is and how introspective he is and and how even with mistakes in his past that he can contrast that with showing that he's so enlightened and so respectful of women now that he's not only going to change, but he's willing to put out his uh, own bad behavior for everyone to see. So, uh, first of all, most of these aren't that bad. Most of these are just you know, range from trivial to mildly inappropriate. Like, let's let's look at all these here. So, okay, let's put aside whether he stopped other people from uh, being disres- disrespectful towards women, because that's really, again, not his responsibility to, to do. If if, uh, if he wants to stop other guys from being disrespectful towards women, great, but that's not – he doesn't have to do that, okay? Looking at the stuff he did personally – 
Uh, yeah, reading that game book and then trying to manipulate women, yeah, it's not very nice. Uh, that, that's probably the worst thing he admitted to. Or may, maybe the groping women in, in a concert in, in the pit when he was 14. But you can say he was 14, so okay. You know, it's uh, not that he should have, but you, you can see how it would happen. You can see how a 14-year-old boy would see that happening and think, oh, cool, I, I get to touch ass. Like, I, I can see that. Not saying it's right, but it's, it's a 14-year-old, Okay. Uh, but, but the whole thing of like I, I, I broke up with you and I, I convinced you to have sex with me one more time before you left. Well, okay, this is someone he's been having sex with for a long time, and and uh, you know, so he got her to have sex with him one more time. Okay, yeah, you know, she she said okay. He's not saying that he he, he scared her into doing it or, or wouldn't let her leave until she did it like that. That would be pretty bad. Here it's just like he broke up with her, and then in, in the midst of both of them being kind of depressed, he he uh, he thought, oh yeah, you know, I kind of want to have sex with her one more time too, and and asked her to, and she said yes. Okay, you know. Maybe he shouldn't have done that, but it's it's not the worst thing. It's it's not a big deal. Uh, he, and now are all people that have done that, you know, part of this thing? And like he's making a judgment that that's like the worst thing. That's that's on the level with all the Harvey Weinstein stuff. And right, everything. right. And also he's showing he's hoping you read this and go, wait, wait, I kind of did this too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I once encouraged a girl to drink who I thought may want to, you know, maybe more willing to to mess around with me when she had a little liquor in her. Oh man, I, I guess I'm a bad guy because I I did that. And and wow, Justin Bonham is such a good guy. He did it too, but he's admitting he was wrong, and he's not going to ever do that again. So, so like this way he can come off as more superior because even though he did it like you did it, he's the one who's coming forward and admitting he did it and is swearing never to do it again. So he gets to be above you in that way. So, so you know, exactly. So there was, you know, that, and then uh, you know, you gave me verbal consent, but there was no enthusiasm. I knew that's not what you wanted. Well, okay. What were the circumstances? If if yeah, you have to look at the women. Why? Why did she give him verbal consent? Which you know, if she was afraid of him, if she thought that she she had to do that, she'd get hurt in some way, or or, uh, or so, you know, then then that's a different story. But if she just kind of you know went along with sex because she wanted to feel attractive uh, that he wanted her, even though she wasn't really that into him, just like oh, this guy wants me, so that makes me more attractive. Okay, I'll say yes, but then she really wasn't that into it. Okay, you know that happens, but she she has to look at herself or why she make this decision. If there was not like. If there wasn't uh, so much pressure to where she felt like she had to say yes or something would happen, if he just got a woman to, to have sex who wasn't all that into him, for whatever reason she was okay with it, and then he could tell she wasn't that into it, okay, you know, maybe he should in the future not have sex with women unless he can tell they really like him a lot. And, and that's what I do, by the way. I've, uh, I, I don't even want to have sex with a woman if she's not that into it. Like if she, if there's a woman who just doesn't really want to be with me, but she's kind of very reluctantly willing, I, I don't want it. Like it's not even appealing to me. So I, I think that's a good policy to have, to not have sex with a woman unless she's enthusiastic about it too. But if you do it, is that rape? Not no, not even close. Uh, that's where there is some personal responsibility on the other end that she should say no. It's, you you don't have to constantly assess if the other side is enthusiastic about it before continuing, provided you did not put some kind of pressure or or, or kind of threatening or pseudo threatening behavior to get them to say yes. Yeah, and probably or if you're in a position of power. Yeah, or a position of power. Right, right. But if it's just like you know some girl you meet somewhere and and then you just, uh, uh, kind of keep progressing things and she's not like super into it, but she's not stopping you and she seems like, like moderately okay with it and goes along with it. And, and you could tell that she she knows she can say no at any time and isn't afraid of saying no, then 
Fine. If she says yes, she says yes. You know. Again, I wouldn't do it myself, but but this is nowhere near rape, and it's nothing you have to go publicly uh, lash yourself for, and then brag about how enlightened you are now that uh, you would never do this again. So, uh, again, had he gone to these women directly and apologized for them, I would say that's that's great. But this is not an attempt to apologize. This is an attempt to grandstand. And I think it's such a strange thing to do to write this, especially because he's writing about mainly mundane things that, that a lot of people have done. A lot of people who are not bad or rapists or support rape. Like, like he's writing a lot of basic things. Oh, I, you, I got a girl drunk hoping she'll want to do more with me. Okay. Like, if you get on top of and have sex with a girl who's blackout drunk and doesn't know where she is, doesn't know what's going on, doesn't understand that she's even having sex, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, if, if there's a girl who you think if she drinks a little bit will be a little more willing to mess around with you than when she wasn't drunk, well, okay. Lots of people have done that. And again, that goes along with personal responsibility. I, I, I've seen before where feminists say that uh, it should either be a crime to have sex with someone who's drunk or that uh, that is equivalent to rape to have sex with someone who's drunk, and I say, well, it depends what level of drunk. If they really are incoherent and have no ability to even understand what's going on, or even worse, passed out, then yes, uh, I, I could agree with that. But if it's just that someone is drunk and uh, and not making the best decisions, uh, that doesn't make the person who is having sex with that drunk person a rapist. That just makes the person who's getting drunk uh, stupid. It makes them it's them they are making poor decisions to get drunk. To the point where they don't make these good decisions You, you can't uh, If you get drunk and are, and are willing to have sex with people When you're drunk Then you can't blame the person who wants to have sex with you Provided that you're at least coherent enough To understand what you're doing Even if it's a decision you wouldn't make when sober So There, there has to be personal responsibility there And uh, but, but what I don't like here is he's, he's naming all these things that are Not all that serious And Trying to make everyone else feel guilty if they have done something similar, and then trying to show how he's not in the same category as them because he is publicly lashing himself for this while they are not. And if he were to come out here and say, "Look, I, I, uh, I was a routine sexual harasser of women, and this whole thing has really made me." Look at myself, and uh, I don't want you to praise me at all because I've done I've done some bad things. But I'm I'm going to change from now, and this has opened my eyes, and I'm going to change from now, and I'm going to be a different person because I see how harmful this really is. I, I would not be praising this person and say you're so wonderful. It's like like what if what if a scammer came forward? What if a poker scammer came forward and, and posted a whole long list of people he scammed and said uh, I did this, I'm sorry. I scammed this guy, I'm sorry. I scammed that guy, I'm sorry. But from now on, I'm not going to scam anymore. From now on, total straight and narrow for me. Would you say he's a good person? Would, would you praise him and say he's a wonderful guy? No. You'd say, well, how about you just didn't do all this in the first place? <laughs> it's great you're changing, but we're not going to pat you on the back for realizing it's wrong. So even if you want to say all this stuff that he, he's admitting to was wrong, and you know, there's different degrees of wrong of what he's admitting to. You know, this, I, I don't think any of these are terrible. They kind of range from uh, nothing all the way up to you know, kind of moderately wrong. 
But, you know, don't put all this out there. Just change. And if you do put it all out there, you, you shouldn't be asking for – he's not directly asking for it. But you could tell he was expecting praise, and he got it. And you're not setting an example for people. Just uh, it, it's so amazing that he puts stuff out here like this, and I and I don't think he understands how stupid all this looks. This this is not you know, putting stuff out here like this is not being supportive of women. It's just, if he makes it all about him, it's supposedly supportive of women. But look, the whole thing's about himself. Now it's funny. I talked before about Justin Bonomo when I played with him at the in the World Series in the past, and I talked about one particular table at the 10K limit hold'em where he was very obnoxious to me for no reason. And this is way before I was criticizing him on this show. But he uh, he showed up at the table and was just really uh, rude and, and nasty to me, and, and kind of to others at the table too. He just came and acted like a complete jerk. That was a few years ago. I played with him this year at like five different events. It's funny. I think I entered like nine events and he was like at five of them, including the main event with me, like at my table. And I will say that none of that happened. He was actually very soft-spoken, very polite, seemed like a nice guy, didn't talk about politics or, or, or social justice warrior issues. So he was very pleasant to play with this year. So for that, I'll give him credit. Uh, he wasn't the same jerk I played with before, so that's that's nice to see. But it's not nice to see he's still doing this, this stupidity. Is it really harming anyone? No, but it, it's just stupid. And unfortunately, this is really what male feminism is all about, and it's just about patting yourself on the back for how enlightened you are. And the funny thing is, female feminists are actually getting tired of this. I've now Kate Hall isn't, but I've seen I've seen other feminists complain about people like this. That. The male feminists are really in it to pat themselves on the back. And my biggest question is, why in this big list is he not talking about the polyamory at all or claiming to end it? Because that, that's the most disrespectful thing he's doing in his life toward women. If he really wants to be introspective, he should say, okay, let me think about the women that I've been engaged in relationships with where I've uh, asked or pressured them to be part of this whole uh, polyamory lifestyle. Let me think about what this has done to them. How, how has it affected their emotional state? How have they really felt about it? How, have I ever made women feel jealous or unwanted or not good enough? Or one of many other negative emotions. Have, have I ever brought this on to women by my polyamory? Is, is my polyamory itself perhaps misogynistic? Is it perhaps disrespectful towards women? But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't want to stop it. <laughs> so, of all people to be posting these mea culpas like this, uh, not only does he not. But, but drop as far as that part goes. I mean, if he's in relationships with these poly, polyamory relationships with girls that also want to be in it, and he's not lying to any of them. They all know about it. You know, I I don't know that that's, you know, that's kind of the way I guess some people think. Well, but I've I've talked... Yeah, go on. What's that? I'm I'm just saying, I'm with you on it, but still, 
I just don't. I think it's just if it's two people choosing to do something they want to do, and whether one, you know, the guy could be manipulating it, the woman could. I'm sure it could probably goes both ways. But well, I've just, I've just, I don't know too much about it. Well, okay, I'll Sorry. tell you. I'll tell you how I know about it. Uh, for the most part, is like for my time in chat rooms and stuff. I actually encountered people who were into this, and people who had once been into this that were no longer, and very consistently. What I saw was it was mainly the men who were driving this. It was mainly the men who were pushing for it. Because men typically are, are, are much more into sex, much more uh, – they're the ones who really uh, are, are more likely to get excited by something like this. And it's usually the men who are pushing for it, directing this, advocating for this, and usually the women are ones who kind of go along with it or are, con- or are convinced it's a good thing. But in reality, aren't that happy, and the ones that are no longer part of it all seem to have the same view of it. The women I've spoken to, in that uh, it was basically just ways for dudes to avoid monogamy and to avoid uh, uh, getting bored with their relationship, to, but yet maintaining the positive parts of uh, that they like about having a relationship. They 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 get to have their cake and eat it too. They get to have someone that they they can come home to every night that's consistently with them that that can listen to them. Uh, you know, they can do go do things with, but at the same time, uh, whenever they start to get bored with someone, then uh, that they can go out and uh, and find both sexual and emotional satisfaction with another person. And, and and that it's not even cheating; it's it's allowed. And and every woman that I've spoken to about this that was once involved in it, they all have the, basically the same opinion of it that it was just a manipulation tactic. And they're, they're convinced by the guy that this is a wonderful, this is open minded, this is the, the way of the future. Uh, monogamy is is not natural for human beings. Blah blah blah. And then the, when the whole thing's said and done, they realize the whole thing is just for uh, dudes who really just don't want to put the effort into a successful relationship, but also don't want to not have relationships. They, they like certain aspects of relationships, but they don't want to put the efforts in it. It was kind of like the, the lazy way of going through a relationship rather than fixing any problem or, or, uh, or dealing with the fact that nobody's perfect. Whenever you run into something that uh, you either don't like about your partner or that your partner lacks, you go, oh, let's, uh, I'll just put them aside and go get this from other, another person. And that's, uh, and, and it makes people feel bad. And, and are there, Women who like are truly really into it, and maybe it's their idea, and then the guy goes along with it. Yeah, I'm sure that happens. But but from what I've overwhelmingly seen, it's the man pushing forward. And if you think about what you just generally observe uh, observe over time with men and women and the way they approach sex and relationships, it's that, that's believable. Because uh, you know, if, if a woman put a, an ad on Craigslist and was serious and wasn't a prostitute or something and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just a horny girl. I like having sex with guys, you know. Who wants to come meet me tonight and have sex with me? No strings attached. No money, no strings attached. She'd probably get like 2,000 messages that night on Craigslist. I'm not even kidding. If a guy puts that out there, he'd probably get zero messages from women. So that's, uh, that pretty much speaks to it right there. So men are just much, much, much more sexually driven and... Uh, This, this polyamory is, is kind of uh, an extension of that, but it's, but it's masked as something that's about love, which makes it seem more legitimate in cer- certain people's eyes. But uh, you know, do I, I don't think this should be illegal. I, I think people can do it if they want. I just don't think it's I, – I don't think you can engage in that and then claim to be so uh, respectful towards women. I, I don't think you can claim to be a feminist or someone who uh, 
believes in fighting for women and then live that lifestyle because that's I, I think there's a certain selfishness to it and a certain disrespect for women in that whole thing and and especially toward women that you, you really seem to like uh, so that that's Justin Bonomo's little uh, rant on Twitter and on Facebook before I go on I want to see what the chat room's saying about this Alpha one okay, two, and then then I have another scenario for you after that, Josh. Okay. Alpha one two four three says he's showing third pair no kicker. His polyamory stance is just advertising. Okay. Uh, so okay, what's what's your scenario? Well, you know, because I, I think with a lot of this stuff, like I was on a conference call. Excuse me. Um, last week, with this new company I have, and then so the you know one of the guys on the team, a lot, a lot of the people involved in this have known each other for many years, and we have this one woman on the so it's one woman and four guys on this call, and we're talking about who's going to go to this meeting with investors. So you know, the the guy made a comment that oh Val, we should bring you for diversity. You know, because we want some diversity or something, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, and this woman is fucking genius smart, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was just, I mean, I took it as like such a, ter- the, the fact that he would say that and how she would feel, you know, and I'm going to have a talk with him in person. I, I didn't want to do it over the phone, although if I don't see him soon, I might. But it's like, I just feel like I should say something to him. And in work environments, like when you were a software engineer, were there any women on the team or the manager might have been hitting on or something? If that scenario happened, do you feel it's your responsibility to say something to the guy? And obviously, you can always go to HR. Maybe you don't need to blow it up that much. Well, okay. So I, I don't think it's a, a responsibility. Well, it depends what position you are. If, if, it's, if you're uh, in management there in any way, and you see that happening. It is if if it's just uh, a coworker or even someone above you. Now, if it's something really egregious, then yes, I think that something needs to be said or reported. Uh, if it's if it's something like what you described there that's kind of disrespectful, uh, I, I don't. I think it's nice if if someone wants to take it upon themselves to uh, to take the other person aside and say, "Hey, this is inappropriate. You shouldn't." Talk to women like that, or shouldn't treat them like that. I think, I, I think that's a noble thing to do. I think that's a, a good thing to do. It's helpful. I'm not going to criticize that or say it shouldn't be done. Uh, but is it a person's responsibility to do it? I, I don't think so. I don't think it's it's with, with things like that that aren't major, that aren't uh, uh, directly harmful. They're they're offensive but not harmful. I, I think that. Uh, a case can be made from someone who says, "Look, I, I don't. I have enough of my own problems. I don't. I don't feel I have to rock the boat involving two third parties." So that's. I don't think it's a responsibility, but I think it's something that uh, if you'd like to do it and you'd like to get involved and uh, tell the person you, th- you think their behavior is inappropriate, I, I think that's good. Yeah, and I and I do think you know, as far as it not being harmful, I think a lot of times it can be. You know, in companies, and here what's going on, all these tech companies and everything else, there's a lot of issues. 
So, you know, you could even talk to the woman and say, hey, I saw what he did. I'd be happy to say something. What can I do? Well, that's good. I mean, it's good if you want to do And that's that. kind of what I did to this woman because I didn't want to just blow up at the guy without making, you know. It's, Sometimes people have relationships you don't know about. They're very close. They can tease about that stuff, but still. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's good that you did that, and it is true that in work environments, there are many times things like that happen and where women are not treated with respect in the work environment by certain men there. And even when they think they're doing it, they're really not. So... And, and I'm sure it can be demoralizing for, and I've known women who have been in these situations and have told me about them, and I agree with them. I say, yeah, that was inappropriate. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I can, I can see why it's frustrating to work uh, where things like that are happening or working with that person where he's you know, saying such things. Uh, so I, I'm not denying these things exist and that they're happening and that they are a problem to some degree. Uh, I, you know, I, I did see, I saw a list of all these different things that, People, you know, men need to change on how they treat women. One of them said, do not ever, if you're in a position of power, do not ever use that to have sex with women that, uh, that you want to have sex with. And I said, okay, I agree with that. But there should also be the converse. There should also be, if you are a female, do not use sex to get additional benefits from someone who's in a position of power. Because that's just as bad. So it, it should go both ways. It should go that uh, men who are in a position of power should not uh, try to use that power to get sex. And at the same time, uh, a woman shouldn't say, hey, I, I bet this guy's going to want to have sex with me. I bet, if I, I bet if I have sex with him, then uh, I'll get what I want. That's, I think that's pretty bad, too, and that contributes to the problem. That's, that's rarely discussed. But, but it does happen. In fact, there's, there's also women that I've known that have especially younger ones that uh, they're attractive or even semi-attractive, that they're, they're very aware of the fact that there's a lot of men that uh, find them attractive and they will flirt with them or, or do whatever to, to gain favors or to get what they want, things that they could never get away with doing if they were other males. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I feel that also contributes to the problem. So it, it can't be both ways. It's, it's, you know, it has to be either really seek to get sex and, and, uh, and, gender, uh, and gender awareness out of, out of the workplace where you, you're basically treating everyone the same regardless of uh, what gender they are. That really should be the goal. And if that's not the goal, then uh, you, you can't really have one without the other. So if, if women are going to complain, hey, you're treating us differently, you're not treating us respectfully because you don't think women are as capable or whatever, uh, but, oh, it, it's okay for me to flirt to get uh, farther in the workplace, it's not. If, if you want gender out of the workplace, you want gender considerations out of the workplace, we're, uh, same thing with the pay issue, with it, you know, uh, is... There really a gender pay gap, and I don't know if there is or not. Yes, there. Yeah, I think there definitely is. But but but, but for every person that got the offer, 
there was another person that accepted it. Yeah, th- th- I was going to say that. And, and also, just uh, really what, what we should be seeking is not for there to be exact parity in gender pay. We should be seeking that the pay that is offered has nothing to do with gender. And if it happens that men make more, then okay. If, if really they're not making more because they're men, then it's correct. If they're making more because they are men, then it's incorrect, and that's the right. Right, but it doesn't. But it, look, it's 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 that stuff more comes from, you know, early on in the fifties and sixties, the man was always see, seen as the breadwinner, so maybe they got more. You know, I think fast forward to where we are today, it's probably like when people are going into these companies, they don't have the training to negotiate correct as as well. There's definitely like old boys networks and a lot of the big Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies. I think a lot of that stuff just comes from that type of thing. It, it does. There's a lot of different factors going into it, and I think that there's, I think there's an oversimplification from those that, uh, that that complain about this that they just think there's some conspiracy where all men have gotten together and say, hey, we're just going to pay women 77 percent. Uh, uh, of whether we pay men because women are worth less, and that's that's not what's happening here. There's, there's a lot of different factors that feed into it, and uh, and de- definitely salary negotiation has to do with it. I've I, I've told people before how, how I I th- I've given people advice on how to negotiate salary, both men and women, and if they don't do it right, they're going to be paid less regardless of what their gender is. Yeah, and to the next job and the next job and the next job. Yeah, so because they're usually only going up x amount of percent. So uh, I think sometimes people can manipulate statistics to where it, it says something that it really doesn't say. So, But, but anyway, I, I, I think it's good that this uh, Harvey Weinstein situation has brought out the discussion of the sexual harassment or objectification of women, especially in the workplace, and that uh, it especially should never be expected that women should do anything sexual for a man in order to uh, either move up in the workplace or to not have what they've accomplished derailed, like in the case of Harvey Weinstein. So, you know, that stuff's obviously very inappropriate and should stop. And if, if there's a light being shined upon it now as there is, then that's good. Uh, I, I do think that men who... Uh, who either aren't doing it or feel they've done it in the past and, and want everyone to know that they're not doing it anymore. I, if you're ever using this as an opportunity to brag about yourself or grandstand or show how sensitive you are, then don't do it. That's not. Uh, this shouldn't be about showing off. If anything you post about this subject on social media is about showing off, you shouldn't do it. Okay, so, so moving to the next subject we have, the next... Uh, Wacky poker player, totally different thing. Vanessa Russo. Last we heard from her, she abruptly flew to South Florida to visit her family because that's where she's from, and then had a freakout at a Seven Eleven in Hope Sound, Florida, where she was convinced that her family was being held hostage, and it wasn't happening at all. It was all in her head. And she called 911, and she felt that 911 wasn't taking her seriously. And then she started tweeting about what was happening. People got very worried. She's saying, you know, my family's being held hostage, and 911's not taking me seriously. Anyway, we, we talked about this all in another show a few months ago. Later, it was put out there 
by uh, Vanessa's sister that what actually happened was her account was hacked. (laughs) That none of that was actually her. It was a hacker, which is not true. It was her. So she clearly had some kind of meltdown, and we we even you know poker fraud alert. We we're good at uh, we're good at getting to the facts and and breaking down a situation and looking at all the uh, internet forensic evidence. So we came up with a lot, and the working theory, which I think is pretty close to correct, is she had some sort of fight or falling out with her girlfriend, and she got up and flew to uh, back home to Florida for support from her family. And then from all the stress, maybe in addition to taking some kind of medication, she uh, had some kind of hallucination or wrong belief that her family was being held hostage, probably called 911, probably was incoherent, they weren't understanding, they weren't able to help her, and then she went on Twitter and melted down over there. And then by the time the she got the help she needed and the police got to her and they brought her back to her family and... We're trying to get her right. Uh, by, the, by the time she probably came down and realized what happened, then the, the, they decided to put out a story to save face that it was hackers. So that was the last thing we heard from Vanessa Sel- Vanessa Russo, not Vanessa Sel- so we're, we're going to talk about too. That was the last thing we heard from Vanessa Russo. And I had always thought she was never quite emotionally right. I, I just always thought she was a little bit off. So this story didn't surprise me all that much. We haven't really seen her play poker in a long time. Like she doesn't seem to be at the World Series of Poker anymore. There's no there needs to be no evidence that she is even playing poker anymore. One thing I haven't looked up and I should have, but I'm going to right now, is her Hendon mob. And that is if Hendon mob is even up because it's down half the time since uh the GPI bought it. Let's I want to look at her most recent cash. And let's see what that is. Her most recent cash, yeah, it was in uh, April 2017. So she has one cash all year for $3,000 in in Sarasota, Florida, in an $1,100 buy-in event. She finished 18th. Big deal. So she only has three caches in the past two years. One in March 2016, one in June 2016, one in April 2017. This was a very prolific tournament player. So clearly uh, she's not playing much poker. She does have a fan base from when she appeared on Survivor. There's a lot of big fans of that show. Or Big Brother, not Survivor. When she was on Big Brother, there's a lot of fans there. And in fact, uh, the fan base she has is mostly Big Brother fans now, not really poker fans. Though she is known in poker, of course. But it just seems like she doesn't play much poker anymore. So people have wondered, what is she even doing? Now, she, she and her girlfriend tried to start this uh, electronic music company or something called, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, let me forget what it's called now. Let me go to her Twitter. They, they suspended it, whatever it was. They, they, uh, she got very into like the whole DJing scene as Nightlight. So Nightlight, which is supposedly based in Las Vegas, it's supposed to be like a... Electronic music uh, DJ company. I'm not even clear what they do, but it was, it's it's Melissa and her girlfriend uh, uh, Melissa Olay. Her her girlfriend is is a a French Canadian from Montreal who was not in poker at all. I don't know how Vanessa met her, 
And this is, to my knowledge, Vanessa's first uh, lesbian relationship. But she's been with a girl for a few years now. Uh, they, they do seem to still be together, despite what was apparently that spat when she went back to Hobosound and had that meltdown. I think that was back in May. And they've they've really done nothing with this nightlight in the last several months. So that seems to be pretty much done. So the question is, what is she doing now? What is Vanessa Russo doing with herself these days? How is she making money? Uh, what is she doing with her life if she's not really playing poker? Well, here is the answer. This is a tweet that she sent out on October 17th, just two short days ago. She writes, Officially resuming my law studies at Miami Law School. She's going back to being a law student, which she was at one point. And she put hashtag back to school, hashtag lawyer to be. She goes on to write, Poker will always be a huge part of my life. Not really. <laughs> doesn't seem to be anymore. But I have my sights set on new goals to conquer and focus for the time being. Someone asked her, okay, well, what type of law are you going to go into? She said, corporate litigation or entertainment law, not sure yet. So... That's that's where she's going now. She's she's going to Miami Law School, and she's going to return to be a, a law student. Um, let me tell you what that really probably means. That probably means she's she probably hasn't played poker in a long time. She probably I don't even know if she could be a winning player at this point. She seems to have given up on poker. This is basically saying my poker career is over. My reality show career is probably stalling. I, th- I think probably after appearing on Big Brother, she was hoping this would be this would lead to more lucrative opportunities, such as when she was a GoDaddy girl and stuff like that. I, th- I think she was hoping that she would keep appearing in uh, TV shows or commercials or whatever, and that would sustain her. I-, I think that she probably hasn't had anything since Big Brother and realized that's not going to be a good long-term career choice and feels that... She's not going to be able to beat poker anymore. And she's decided to go back to law school. Who knows? She may not even have any money anymore. She, you know, Maybe her parents are paying for it. Who knows? But she's decided that she's basically going to abandon all that and return to a, a traditional career. Which is fine. She, she can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But... When people do that, it's usually because whatever they're doing is not currently working out. And it's one thing if you decide to go into a direction that's something that was likely be your passion, like a, you, know, you quit poker to start a restaurant, or you, you, you quit poker to uh, go start a charity, or something where you think, okay, this is something someone always really wanted to do, and something that wouldn't even feel like work to them. But going to be a lawyer, I mean, going to be a lawyer, it's not fun. Law school is not fun. Being a lawyer is not fun. There's a lot of uh, busy work to it to where it's, it's very tedious. So 
it, it can be a lucrative position. You know, it, being a lawyer can make a lot of money for you if you get in with the right firm or uh, happen to have a very successful practice of your own. But a few people enter law for fun. It just isn't a fun thing. So I think when you return to law school at the age that Vanessa is, she's like 32 or something. Let's see how old she is. Let's see how old she is. I think she's like 32. No, she's 34. In fact, she'll be 35 in a few months. So at this age, when you return to law school and, and try to get a whole law career going, and she'll be like being in her late 30s by the time that, that happens. Actually, I, I don't know how far she, she was, so maybe she doesn't have much time left. But whatever it is, even if you want to say she'll be done with this by the time she's 36, it's, it's, you know, to start at that point, it's not super late, but it's already on the late side as far as getting that career going. And it's just something you usually don't do unless you feel everything else, all the other options in your life are, are not really working out at the moment. So I have to imagine that she thinks that poker just is not a winning proposition for her anymore. Because she still would have a big edge in poker in that there would still be sponsorship opportunities. She's already known. There aren't that many females in poker. She has the additional fan base from Big Brother. So she'd definitely get a lot of coverage and could still get sponsorships if she were to return to the tournament scene and do well. But I, I wonder if she's out of money and can't do it or, or whatever. It's a, she doesn't strike me as someone who lives a very responsible lifestyle. I could easily see that she could have... Uh, blown through the money she made over the years from the different things she's done. But there's there's something just very unstable about her. In fact, I, I've always wondered if, if this uh, lesbian relationship she's in is, is is she even really a lesbian or did she just decide to you know, try something different and go that way? I, I could see someone like her just kind of deciding, oh, you know, I want to try something different and try to date a girl. Like I, I could see that. I could see that with someone like her. I heard they were both with Justin Monomo. <laughs> I bet he'd like that. Actually, I don't. Even th- I don't know if the two of them are friends. I don't. I've never really seen that the two of them really know each other that well. So, so that's the Vanessa Russo update. Going back to law school, I- I'll tell you. Even though I think Vanessa Russo is uh, is smart, I wouldn't want her representing me. I just don't think she's emotionally stable enough that I'd want her as my lawyer, even if academically she was competent. I just I, – I, I wouldn't trust that she could uh, represent me in a sane fashion. I, I generally wouldn't want to hire a lawyer who's in, in 7-Eleven hallucinating that their family's being held hostage. That's not the lawyer I'd want to hire. I guess I have to worry. Did she, she start? Did she start law school and just not finish it, or is she going four years from nothing to it? I think I think she started it, but I don't know how far she got. Let me see, let me see if I can figure this out by reading about her. She uh, sometimes have you ever seen that a lot of people like to claim they're like one class or one credit away from graduation? Mm-hmm. I've seen Seems that. Like everybody, everybody's like that. Yeah, everybody's one credit. How does this happen? How, like, how could anyone let this happen? Like, if you're that close 
even if it's something you really don't feel like finishing, like why not just finish it off? If you put, if you put three and three quarter years into a four year degree, like why would you ever stop at that point? But but so many people like to say there are a few credits away, and I I just I don't trust it anymore when I hear it because I, I hear it way more than I think I should hear it. So. I can't even trust if she were to like if I find them on a bio somewhere that she finished almost all of law school. I, I don't know if I could even believe that because people lie about that so much. So let's see. It says Russo began law school in 2004 and was the inaugural recipient of the Chaplain Scholarship from the University of Miami Law School. So she's going back to the same law school she was at before. Um, during school, she served on the editorial board of the University of Miami Law Review. Okay, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't mention when she dropped out. It just said she started in '04. But oh, I, this is also interesting. She finished. She claims to have finished Duke with an economics major and a political science minor in two and a half years. She claims she uh, graduated in 2003. After entering in, uh, I guess, the fall of 2001. Hmm. She claims it's the, the fastest anyone ever graduated in the history of Duke. Though, let me think here. 2003, she would have been... Yeah, no, I guess... Okay, she was born in February 83. Yeah, so it, yeah, so she would have been twenty or yeah, something, yeah. right? So, so, so that's right. Okay, so so yeah, I guess I guess she did finish it fast. But the thing I don't know is she could have like taken courses in community college like while she was in high school and, and got a number of, of college credits, and that that could have accelerated. I've seen people do that before. In fact, there's someone I know who finished uh, a computer science program in three years at uh, University of California. And that would be me. So I didn't do it in two and a half, but I did it in three. But I'll tell you, that's not something I brag about much because I regret it. I I found that I, I needlessly put myself through uh, too much stress to get it done and for no good reason. Like, like what was the point? Yeah, it saves a little money, but what was the point? Especially back then, it was, it was pretty cheap to attend college. So I didn't even save that much money. I just I just stressed myself out for three years. So like, why? Anyway, she uh, she's going back to law school. I don't know how much she finished of it, but that's the plan. I I, I don't even know if she's going to finish either. I, I could easily see where she doesn't finish and drops out and does something else. I don't know. I give her props for doing it. I mean, that's what she did at Duke. That's impressive. And well, yeah, I, I I think she's smart. Like, there's no question that she she has intelligence. I just think she's not emotionally stable. That's why I, I'm wondering if she'll even see this through. She, I, I wonder if about her girlfriend, who I, I don't know. I've never met before. I don't really know her. I've just kind of observed her on social media. But the girlfriend seems kind of, I don't know. She doesn't seem strange at all. The girlfriend kind of just seems like, you know, just some regular chick from Montreal who happens to be a lesbian. So, 
I wonder what the girlfriend thinks of this. Like she, she was with this at first. She's like with this poker star who then becomes the Big Brother star, the GoDaddy girl. And now it's like, uh, now nah, I'm throwing all this away. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go. Uh, now I'm going to be a law student. And I suppose if she graduates law school and becomes a successful lawyer, then that's fine. But I, I wonder if the girlfriend is thinking like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize when I got with her that she's this unstable. And I've actually, I've seen people before who go through so many different career changes, and they're rarely happy. There are some people who just, uh, they can't sit still, they can't ever stay in one position, and they're not doing it for variety. They're doing it because everything makes them unhappy. The grass is always greener on the other side of these people. So, I just, everything with Vanessa Russo to me just kind of screams emotional instability. That's why the thing that happened at that 7-Eleven was not the least bit surprising. It was weird, but not the least bit surprising. So, she did do a good job marketing herself, though. I'll give her that. She she really, I mean, to, to end up on Big Brother and uh, the GoDaddy girl from uh, being a female poker player. It, uh, that was pretty impressive. So, I'll give her credit for self-promotion. Let's see here. The next person we'll talk about, now that we're done gossiping about Vanessa Russo, let's gossip about the other Vanessa, who's a poker lesbian, Vanessa Selbst. Vanessa Selbst went off on Mike Matisau on Twitter. This is, uh, is what she said. Well, first, uh, let me tell you what Mike Matisau tweeted. And Mike Matisau, he does tweet some stupid things. He does say some uh, things on Twitter that uh, are very questionable or or stupid or kind of ill-informed. So this is what he said. As sick as the Harvey Weinstein story is, everyone in USA pretty much knew you had to do sexual favors to make it in Hollywood. Hashtag hypocrites. So... Vanessa Selfs responds back, You are a disgusting, delusional, and downright pathetic human being. Every tweet you make is somehow worse than the last. <laughs> Vanessa Selfs on Twitter is, is very aggressive. Like, what you just wrote there is, is not uncommon from her. But what the worst thing is about Vanessa Selfs on Twitter is that if you even disagree with her political or social views, which again are are of the social justice warrior variety, then she will block you. She will actually block you. I am blocked by Vanessa Zelbst. Never once insulted her. Never once uh, said anything offensive to her. I was blocked simply for responding to some political message she posted and disagreeing, respectfully disagreeing. I forgot what it was, but it was very respectful my my message to her. And I was blocked. And I didn't chronically do this. It was like the only time I've ever responded to her. And it's not just me. She she blocks tons of people just for disagreeing with her. But yes, she'll write stuff like this. So it's not even like she's someone who wants to quietly express their views and then wants to block people who are, are going to uh, disagree or, or try to uh, 
Yeah, she just doesn't want to see the other side, which I don't think is good, but it's not even like she just wants to quietly exist on Twitter. Like, she'll write a lot of inflammatory statements like that, but block anyone for anything as simple as disagreeing with her. So, that's what she wrote to Mattisau, and... I... I, yeah, I think what Mattisau wrote was kind of stupid there. But for her to write, you're a disgusting, delusional, downright pathetic human being. That's that's overkill. And especially uh, he wasn't trying to even be offensive there. He, he was just basically saying this has been known for a long time that this goes on in Hollywood. So people who are acting outraged are, are hypocrites. So. The the way he wrote the tweet is kind of dumb, and and the point he's making, I, I understand it, but just because people knew it was happening doesn't mean everybody agreed with it. It's just like even people who are aware this goes on, yes, there usually is an incident that happens that makes something people are aware of going on stop and go, you know what, this isn't right. I mean, even look at something like slavery way back when. Like, people knew there were slaves, people knew there was slavery in the U.S., and then at some point, it was it started to become more and more of an issue of like, hey, you know, maybe this is wrong. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And then, you know, then there were the, there were the debates about it and the Civil War and everything like that. So all things that change go through a period between people being aware something's occurring to large public discussion of it to where it's evaluated whether it's right or not. And then change starts to happen. So that, that's why Mattisau's tweet wasn't very good. It wasn't very uh, smart, but Vanessa really overreacted there. And I, I just, I have a problem with people on Twitter who want to be inflammatory but refuse to take it back. They, you're not allowed to say anything that slightly bugs them, but they can attack you, and that's that's what Vanessa does, and I don't like that. Kate Hall does the same thing, by the way. She she blocks everyone. For some reason, I'm like the only guy she will not block. She'll she'll barely acknowledge I exist, but she won't block me. Why? I don't know. I don't really care. It's just kind of weird. So, that was Vanessa Selp's tweet. Then we have a series of tweets from Olivier Bousquet. Some of them surprised me. He He did 30 tweets in a row. Where he was pontific- pontificating on life. Now, I had always seen Olivier Bousquet as another one of these social justice warriors. In fact, he wore one of these stupid, like, free Palestine shirts to uh, a Poker Stars event and then was mad that uh, he wasn't allowed to wear that because they just didn't want anything controversial on their EPT broadcast, which totally was in the, within their rights, and Poker Stars was correct to tell people not to wear controversial political shirts on their televised final tables. And you know, they, he acted all pissed about that. And the, the Poker Stars was right, but but he and Daniel Coleman did that. So I always saw both Olivier Bousquet and Daniel Coleman as like li, limousine liberal social justice warrior types, kind of uh, do as I say, not as I do. It's like uh, when Daniel Coleman was, was complaining that poker was such a harmful game and People are losing money they can't afford to lose, blah, blah, blah. But then he makes his money from beating people who can't afford to lose. 
So Olivier Bousquet wrote this two days ago. The trend of Twitter rants consisting of unpopular and contrarian takes is too irresistible to me, so here goes. So then he started on a 30-tweet rant that he claimed to be takes that were either unpopular or contrarian. But that's not really true. Only some of them were. But uh, I'll go through them, and some of them surprised me given previous things I'd seen from Olivier Bousquet. Number one, the majority of things people do and say are various attempts at ego protection slash defense. Okay, that's, I guess, on social media especially that's true, but uh, that's very true about him and his buddy Daniel Coleman. So <laughs> that was an interesting first one. Number two, the world is so much better than, it, than it's ever been, and people who disagree suffer from a lack of historical understanding and perspective. That's an interesting point. That people who talk about the good old days or things were better 30 years ago or 50 years ago, that uh, they're not really uh, looking at the way the world is and, and all the improvements that have been made. That right now it's better than it's ever been before. Um, I, I think that's somewhat true, but it's also false in that there are things that have gotten worse. There are things that have changed over time that are not necessarily positive changes. You can't say that just everything is constantly progressing and getting better. For those of you that disagree with me, that may be of the uh, left-wing persuasion, such as Olivier Bousquet, uh, do you think the world has progressed in, or in the U.S. has progressed in electing Donald Trump over previous presidents that have been in charge of this nation? I bet you'd say no. So there are things that get better over time. There's things that get worse. There's some things that get temporarily worse. There's trends. A lot of things that uh, there are some things that you could look at in the past that are legitimate that you kind of wish were back. That or or things that are happening now that didn't used to happen a long time ago that. Uh, is actually better when these things weren't happening. Number three. Jesus is simultaneously not the son of God, but also the most important human of all time. Now, see, see, he's trying, now he, he, really, he really is trying to be uh, controversial. So he's trying to take a swipe at all Christians here, saying that uh, Jesus is not really the son of God, but he's the most important human of all time. I wouldn't say he's the most important. I would say he's uh, probably the best known human of all time, maybe the most influential. Most important, I don't know about but uh, he, he's, he's trying to sound deep here. He's the most important human of all time. But, but he's not the son of God. So you Christian sheep out there, notice that I, I don't agree with you guys. That's what he's trying to say. Number four. The two most insufferable and pretentious self-descriptors are foodie and entrepreneur. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that, especially especially the entrepreneur. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Now, there are people who falsely use that term, who who just say they're an entrepreneur because they're unemployed and they, they try get-rich-quick schemes that don't work, and they say they're an entrepreneur. But if someone really is one, that's uh, they can say that. Number five. Now, this one is actually surprising to come from him. Conservatives are mostly right when they focus on the importance of family. Uh, and the dignity of work. 
And he also put next to family dash the patriarchy, which I'm not sure what he means by that. But I think he's trying. I think he's trying to say that uh, when conservatives say the family's important, even even in the context of the male-led family, what he's saying the patriarchy and the, and the dignity of work. Uh, this the conservatives are mostly right. He's saying when they say these things are important, they should focus on this. So surprising to see that from him that he's actually praising conservatives for uh, these views. Number six, getting older is awesome. Trader Ruski, do you think it's awesome getting older? I do not. I don't either. I, I now There's some advantages you get from getting older. Uh, you will tend to be more financially stable when you get older. Not always, but uh, that often does come with age. Also, you sometimes will get more respect when you're older, when dealing with other people or when dealing with companies. But uh, beyond that, no. <laughs> you, you have a lot more health problems. You, uh, you're, you're closer to death. Uh, if, if you're still in the dating scene, you're not as uh, physically attractive anymore. There are very few people who uh, get better looking as they get older. The, a lot of things become harder to do, even just recreational things you might enjoy become harder. Anything that's physical. So no, it's not awesome. Yeah, maybe getting older between you know, 23 and 27, you could say, is awesome, but uh, not, not much beyond that. Number seven, most externally directed anger is a product of dissatisfaction with the self. And for some people, but uh, no. I, I've, a lot of times I get angry, it's dissatisfaction with the way other people are acting. Not, not, not dissatisfaction with myself. There are people who do take it out on others who don't deserve it when they're angry with themselves in some way, even subconsciously. But that's, you can't just say that most of it is that. I would, I would not say most anger is because you're mad at yourself. Number eight, the world is so much better than it's ever been. Wait a minute. That was already number two, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, he he just he just repeated number eight, at number two, and number okay. I'll skip that one. I guess it was really uh, twenty nine tweets because number eight, and number two are the same. Uh, number nine, if you think that No Limit Hold'em is boring because you already pretty much know how you, how to play, you're wrong, and I want to play with you. Okay, so he's he's trying to show off what a great player he is, and that he he's so good at No Limit Hold'em. Even if you think you've learned everything you can about the game, he's a level above you. He's trying to say, and he's challenging you to play with him. I don't think people who think No Limit Hold'em is boring, it's because that uh, you, they think they know everything. I think that people think it's boring either because there's not much action for a long time, or just fold, 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 or see the flop fold. That's one big complaint people have, or, or the, the hands take long is another complaint. Or just that there's too many people who are generally competent at the game, and that uh, in some No Limit Hold'em games there's not much action unless both people happen to have a big hand. That doesn't mean that having that feeling means that uh, in order for it to be valid, you have to play a, a really good player heads up. That's that's just lame poker arrogance this guy is exhibiting here. Number 10. We will merge with our technology before it can destroy us. Uh, see, I, I, I hate things like that. We'll merge with our technology. So I, I think he's trying to say that, 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 that our technology will become part of us. Maybe you'll have... Uh, Mechanical body parts, whatever. He's trying to be too deep here. 
I, I don't think our technology itself will ever destroy will ever destroy us. Or uh, I, I don't think that uh, those science fiction movies where that is the case. I think of the Matrix, for example. I, I don't think that will ever come true. I don't think humans will lose control of technology to where te- technology itself turns against us. I can see where technology advances to a point where bad human beings can use it to cause massive damage. That I can believe. But I, I don't see technology itself deciding on its own to destroy humanity. And, and we can't stop it. Trader Risky, how do you feel about that one? Uh-oh. Sorry, Drop. I, I think I dozed for a oh, second. You dozed. Okay. Well, that's, that's not important. Part of the getting old thing. What was it? <laughs> that we will merge with our technology before it can destroy us. I was asking if you ever think the technology will get to the point where the technology itself will, will attack us like they did in the Matrix. Do you think that will ever happen? I, I think we're way far, far away from but, that. But, but, but we are. But let's say like even like just sometime in the future, like a thousand years from now or 500 years. Oh, Do you think that yeah. – I, you know, I mean, I think would there be, would you say no human element to it? Yes. No, it, it just decides on its own it's going to destroy us and we can't stop it. I don't think that ever happens. I don't. I mean, I would argue that that would have to be called by a human. Right. Well, I was saying that we could, have, we could have technology to where it's so advanced that too many people who are bad would have access to use the te- technology to do massive damage. But... Uh, not uh, not the technology itself deciding the machines are going to destroy the humans. Okay, uh, number 11. Productivity is massively overvalued. No, that's not true. I, I would say the opposite. I'd say it's undervalued. I, I've seen before where I've seen many times where those getting a lot of credit didn't really do very much. And those who are very productive uh, don't get much credit at all. I see that much more than uh, where where someone who is productive is getting overvalued in some ways. That's such a poker player's thing to say. Productivity is massively overvalued. Yeah, because he doesn't – he's not productive. He doesn't do anything but play poker. So people say, oh, you should be productive in life. Okay, well, that's overvalued. Well, that's not true. It it may be – productivity may not be lucrative, but it's not – it's not overvalued. I, I think what he's trying to say is that people who criticize him for being a professional poker player and not being productive and, and, and they pat themselves on the back for having a job where they are productive, that, uh, that's overvalued in society. But, that, I, you know, I, 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 I think it's fine to be proud of yourself or proud of others for being productive. That doesn't mean you have to be. That doesn't mean if you can find a way to make money without being productive that uh, you shouldn't be able to do it. But uh, he shouldn't look down on it. Number 12. The one thing that we all crave above anything else, though in different forms, is direct human connection. Hmm, I don't have much opinion on that one. 13. The best part of dating apps isn't the sex. It's the exposure to a broad cross-section of people that uh, than otherwise possible. Well, that may be his opinion. <laughs> it's, uh, some people would say it's the sex. I, I will agree that the... Uh, internet dating, you know, any kind of electronic form where you get to meet people 
where you otherwise wouldn't be able to interact with them because they live far away or you just don't have an opportunity to meet them, uh, this opens up more people to you. And that's usually a good thing because not just for dating, it can be for friendship too or for, for business connections, whatever. You get to encounter people that you would never know that you're happy you got to know. And so, yes, it does open up more opportunity. And as I can't argue with that statement, there is a downside to it, though. It also opens up opportunity to meet people you don't like or ones that may be a problem for you that you otherwise would not know. Number 14, our culture influences us unconsciously to overvalue abilities slash forms of intelligence that lead to monetary gain. Uh, well, yes, but that, that's the way it is. If you have a capitalist society, then yes, people will gravitate towards things that can make the money. So, yes, but what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you can't really complain about that. Number 15, people who value contrarian opinions tend to overvalue them. I, I think people who value any opinions tend to overvalue them. People always want to believe their opinions are right. Uh, 16, beauty is only partly in the eye of the beholder. I agree with that one. I It always bothers me. And I'm glad he wrote this. This is something I wouldn't expect him to write. But but it always bothers me when, when you hear a statement like, oh, everyone's beautiful. Or, or you know, it, it, beauty is, is totally subjective that uh, there's no such thing as beautiful or ugly. That's not true. That's not true. Now, it is true it's subjective in that uh, people just decide, you know, there, there's no absolute of what is beautiful or what's ugly. But... Uh, there is there there are factors that cause us to see something as beautiful or ugly, and uh, just, just like there's a factor, you know, there's, there's a natural factor that makes you enjoy smelling good food and hate smelling a piece of crap. Like, yes, that's subjective too. You could say it's subjective that that a piece of crap smells good and that and that uh, tasty food smells bad. But but that almost nobody would say that because there's there's a way our a reason our brain is wired to not want to smell feces and, and, and does want to smell good food. So same thing with, with, with beauty. That we actually are naturally wired. It's, it's not it's it it's not just society that's making us judge what's beautiful and what's ugly. That might be happening to some degree. But I believe to a large degree you, you have a certain type you're attracted to. And in fact, that does also explain why why some people are gay. That uh, Because otherwise, if it was all uh, society, then, then uh, before it was seen as acceptable to be gay and before gays were, were really in the media, uh, then no one, no one should have been gay then. Everyone should have found attractive what the media was telling them to find attractive but but they didn't that's there were some who were attracted to the same sex and and even taking out that factor there are people who have all different types including some who like those that are not traditionally beautiful so yes in that way people have different types in that way it is in the eye of the beholder but at the at the same time there, there are people who are just uh uh if you're ugly physically to the vast majority of people that see you then you're ugly if you're beautiful to the vast majority of people who see you then you're beautiful if it's kind of now most people kind of fall into the range where uh it's kind of in the middle of that some people find them unattractive some people find them in the middle some people find them attractive 
and uh, that's how people, you know, who aren't uh, beautiful, still manage to find people to date who are legitimately attracted to them. So, but yeah, I, I, I've never liked where people say, "Oh, everyone's beautiful." It's a, or, or even blame you for thinking that uh, certain people who are, are mainstream or traditionally beautiful, that you, you, it's, it's wrong for you to think that. No, it's not. You can you can find whatever is beautiful that whatever you like, whatever appeals to you is fine. And whether the media influenced you at some point, or whether this is all on your own, whatever you find to be attractive is totally fine. Number 17, counting calories is neither an effective nor a sustainable strategy for losing weight. Uh, I don't agree with that. You definitely cannot lose weight by dropping the calorie intake. And it is sustainable as long as you continue to keep it low. Now, at some point... It does get tougher to lose weight. At some point, your body will will uh, stop dropping the weight very quickly or at all, and you'll get kind of stuck unless you really starve yourself, which isn't healthy. But if if you look at the calories you're consuming every day and find ways to cut that down, maybe by cutting out uh, certain snacks or certain high calorie drinks or, or certain uh, desserts you're having, whatever just eating less at your meals, just you know, finding ways to get the nutrition you need while cutting out unnecessary calories that you're ingesting and you engage in self-control for a long period of time or even a semi-long period of time, yes, you'll, you'll probably lose weight. And yes, if you continue that behavior, your weight will stay off. So that's not true. Usually what happens, the reason people lose weight and gain weight is they will go on a diet, they will count cal- calories, they will not they'll be burning more calories than they're taking in and they will uh they will lose weight now it's not as simple as it sounds your your body will try to maintain the weight it's at that's why like people will sometimes go like on a cruise ship and pig out and then be surprised that uh they really didn't gain any weight and that's because your body actually does try to not gain weight and it also tries not to lose weight it tries to maintain the weight it's at so you kind of have to shake it off of that uh, and, and But once you do that and you start dropping the weight, then yes, you will lose weight. And then it, you know, it'll basically, basically go to a point and then stop. And the reason most people gain it back is that at that point they kind of drop the effort. They go, okay, great. I got to my goal weight. Now I, now I can ease up. This has been tough, but okay, now I can, now I can snack a little bit more. And then they start to slip. Well, okay, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I'm still being good. Okay, I'll, I'll have a little bit more. Yeah, I'll have a little bit more. I'll make an exception here. I'll make an exception there. Oh, I'm out to dinner. I can't, I can't say no here. Oh, it's a holiday. I can't say no here. And then, you know, eventually they, they just slide back into old habits and all of a sudden everything's back to what it was and their weight goes back up. So that's what happens. That's, but, but it is sustainable if you do it. It's just, it's just hard to sustain. I lost 24 pounds about four years ago. At the, at the beginning of 2013, well, actually about five years ago. At the beginning of 2013, I, I consciously made an effort to cut down on the calories I was consuming every day. And I lost 24 pounds in about uh, two and a half months. 
And then it stopped, and I couldn't get it down any further than that. But I, I was still mostly maintaining what I had done to bring it down, so I was not gaining back. But slowly over time, you know, I started to do some things again to take in more calories and go back to certain things I had stopped, and, and I started to gain weight back. So I, I'm not quite back there, but I, I've probably gained back about uh, two-thirds of it. So I speak from experience. Number 18, you should need a permit to own a gun. Um, that sounds good in theory, but it's you know it's, it does place a lot of burden. And the other problem is a lot of times people will buy a gun because they feel that uh, they're under threat in some way. There already is that like five-day waiting period. But if you start making requ- requirements to take classes, which takes a few weeks, like a, if somebody needs a gun soon because they're getting threats or whatever, you don't you don't want to put them through all this. So I, I can see the arguments for and against. Uh, something that could be reasonable is that uh, you can buy a gun, but then you have a certain number of days to complete a class, or otherwise you'll get fined in some way. So, so this is a way if you need it immediately, you can get it, but then. Uh, you have to go get the permit within 90 days or something. I, that, that I could I maybe get behind. I really don't know how much that's going to really do other than preventing some accidental shootings. Number 19, you don't have to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. We're all capable of love. Yes, that's true, but if if you have a lot of issues with yourself a, a relationship probably will not be successful you have to at least be at peace with who you are and and not have self-loathing or otherwise your relationships will fail 20 religion on net has been positive for the world and most people who disagree fail to imagine or articulate counterfactuals so he's trying to say religion overall has been a good thing even if it's resulted in some bad actions I think the reason he's arguing this is that religion does encourage people to act moral either because the religion tells them they should or because at a fear for going to hell or some kind of unpleasant eternal afterlife. And I've heard those arguments before. A lot of wars that have taken place have been about religion, so that part's bad. But man, a lot of the terrorism we're getting these days is about religion, so... Is it a net plus for the world? I think probably. For the reason he stated. 21. The majority of the poker world overvalues the importance of rationality at the expense of listening to and following emotion. It's kind of hard to follow. The the majority of the poker world overvalues the importance of rationality at the expense of listening to and following emotion. Okay, but Sometimes listening to and following emotion will relate to tilt. <laughs> that's a bad thing. So I, I don't think that's overvalued. I think that's. Uh, I think if poker players were more rational, there would be a, a better thing for them long term. I think the reason so many poker players are broke is because they don't act rationally. Twenty-two. Professional sports is mostly a waste of time and a way to distract people from how they're being exploited. Ah, see, this is that's the Olivier Bousquet I know, and no, I don't agree. That's a stupid thing to say. It's a. That's. It, Something people enjoy uh, enjoy following and enjoy rooting for. It's it's something that uh, it's an escape. It takes your mind off other problems you could have. And uh, so yeah, it's a distraction, but it's not about you being exploited. It's just that uh, 
it's it's something that you can enjoy, you can passively enjoy, and uh, even uh, encourages camaraderie in, in, from people in your own uh, locality. Twenty-three, xenophobia and racism are part of are part cultural, improvable, but also inherent, inherent, not going away, to the way humans relate to one another. Tribalism. So he's trying to say that uh, as much as you try to make racism go away, as much as you try to get end xenophobia, being uh, afraid of people from other countries or other cultures, that it's, it's uh, these are actually inherent in human beings, and that uh, humans have always engaged in some kind of tribalism. I agree with that somewhat. That uh, it's always going to be tougher to. There's always going to be different societies within the U.S. and that it's always the natural tendency is to believe yours is better and to not trust ones who are not like yourself. But he's, he did concede they're part cultural. So, yeah, I think that's probably true. 24, seriously, nobody gives a shit how many chips you have. Mm-hmm. Twenty-five. Cognitive bias is still the most undervalued dynam- dynamic in disagreement, dialogue, interaction. I, I don't even know what he's trying to say here. I'm going to skip that one. Twenty-six. Some things happen for a reason. Some things don't. They just happen. True. Twenty-seven. Chipotle is healthier than ninety-five percent of the shit most people eat for lunch. Yeah, provided you don't get food poisoning. Twenty-eight. Successful people dramatically underestimate how much of a role luck has played in determining their success. That is true. 29. Students should study more humanities, not less. Uh, No, I don't agree with that. I I always felt it was obnoxious that colleges force you to take certain courses that really have nothing to do with the major you're there for. It's this strange thing that colleges believe that they have to turn you into a well-rounded human being. But but really, a lot of this is just uh, forcing you to listen to, and in some cases, parrot the opinions of of the professors teaching these courses, and uh, the students have no choice. So, I I think that you know all these college students are adults. I I think that uh, you should really have more freedom in what courses that uh, you will take in college aside from ones that are directly related to your field. But as far as general education courses, it should be much broader of your, your uh, of what you can choose. If they, if they want you to take some general education in addition to the ones that you're made, you're fine, but there should be a much broader group you can choose from with much fewer requirements. That's, that's how I feel. Number 30, the real problem with leftist, with leftist politics is the overwhelming level of smug, condescending moral, cultural, moral and cultural superiority? Well, that's true. But I'm surprised he wrote that because that's he and his uh, buddy Daniel Coleman have been uh, engaging in exactly that. They they were those smug, condescending, morally, culturally uh, superior in their opinion leftists. But he's correct. Uh, that's the main reason that Hillary lost last year that many on the left were basically taking the attitude, either agree with us, or you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a misogynist, you're a bad person, etc., etc. 
and also you know any of the concerns you have uh, not valid you know listen listen to the way we say things are no matter what you think you see it's wrong just listen to us your problems don't really exist that was also uh, a lot of the left's uh, message that they were putting across and that turned a lot of people off including a lot of people in the middle who didn't uh, a lot of whom didn't traditionally vote Republican so he's correct that there is a lot of that in leftist politics and, and the right has issues of their own but that's that really is a hallmark of the left is the overwhelming level of smug condescending moral and cultural superiority and this this is from a guy who's leftist by the way Olivier Busquet so that, that was his uh, 30 Tweet rant. Should I have read it all on this show? Probably not, but it's too late. I've done it already. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number to the show. You can also text that number at any time. Here's some texts we received during the show. Hey, Todd, it was Northern California guy trying to call in. Sorry for the fail. I guess that I guess that's who it was, that person who with a, with a sound that was uh, in the background at the beginning. No idea what's wrong with Skype. I survived everything completely burning up around me, but maybe my cell reception didn't survive. I just wanted to say that's total BS on Merge's part. Would you recommend trying to cash out any money on that site? Yes. I would say uh, leave there before they do this to you. If you're a winning player there, your days are numbered on Merge, so definitely get your money off. They are still processing cash outs. That's not the problem right now. But good to hear Northern California guy survived the fires because he he was kind of in the area where that was happening. From the 716, I got a message just HF. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. From the 602... You sent out a tweet saying the show is starting. I called the, call the listen line and said the show is not available. Please call again later. Yeah, sometimes it takes a few minutes to kind of catch the show's running. So if that happens, just try a few minutes later. From the 773, a Chicago Cubs fan, I believe this is BallHawkNet, congrats, hope they take it all. That's in reference to the Dodgers. Uh, he also took a picture of uh, outside, of Rig- outside of Wrigley, where I think he is, uh, where the Dodgers were up 7 nothing. It showed on the scoreboard outside of Wrigley. From the 847, uh, not Larry Laffer, by the way. I thought it was Larry Laffer. It's not him. Uh, Congrats on your Dodgers making it to the World Series. Thank you. Uh, From the 505, if Ben Affleck spoke up to Weinstein back then, I doubt he'd be around. Hmm. Depends how far back. From the 530, who was happy that we're having our radio show tonight. My birthday present is going to be listening to PFA. So I guess this guy's in 530. His birthday is tonight, so happy birthday. Let's see, from... Uh, someone sent me a picture here. I'm not sure the significance of the picture. I, I see the person in the picture who sent me the picture, but I'm not sure what they're sending me. So if, if you're listening still, tell me why you sent me this picture. <laughs> Other than that you're in it. I don't recognize the other people. Okay, I love when people just like send me a picture. I'm like, what? What? Why? Why are you sending me that? I'm gonna send a message. Uh, uh, what is that picture of? Okay. From the nine one six, gun permits are specifically for carrying the firearm, concealed carry, not to actually buy a firearm. 
Yeah, that's fine. I, I he was arguing that they should you should have one to carry any firearm. So those are the texts we received on seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. You can text me at any time on that number, before, after, or during the show, and I will answer you. I may even read it on the air, unless you ask me not to. Uh, disposition says that racism and xenophobia is cultural. We're not born this way. Tribalism is good. It's not the same as racism. There's a difference. The, the problem is that there, there is a natural tendency to, when you see people who look different than yourself, even if you're not taught racism, to just, uh, see them as different, which can lead to distrust to those people. I'm not saying it's good. It would be best if everybody could just uh, treat everyone else as human beings and ignore the race of that human being. But the question, is it realistic? And same with even taking race out, looking at uh, xenophobia. Is it really possible to have a country and then not have some sort of fear of distrust or distrust of people from other countries? That can be tough, too. And that's what he was referring to with the tribalism, that it's, it's similar. So uh, our final discussion on poker players being weird on Twitter. Donnie Stern is claiming that he is quitting poker. That he's, he's done with poker... Seemingly forever. So let's let's find the tweet here where he says this. Uh, I had it and I lost it. He's all to find it again. Oh, here I, I here it is. I saved it. He wrote on October 13th, Farewell, Poker World. It has been a wild and crazy ride, and I will miss it. On to new adventures. Now, unlike Vanessa Russo, he's not stating what he's going to be doing. He just uh, said he's on to new adventures. And so someone asked him, do these new adventures involve more button clicking? Genuinely curious. He said, well, I'm not really cut out for manual labor. And then he jokingly said he's running for president. So people are asking him what's next. And uh, even Greg Merson gave him a wish of luck, saying, Good luck, homie. Always looked up to you. Mm. So uh, I'm scrolling through here to see if he explains what he's going to be doing. But it looks like he's being cryptic. A lot of people giving him love. They're saying, I always admired you. And uh, you, you have to understand, a lot of people who are giving him so much praise are the ones who see him as like the, the hero for standing up to poker stars and giving them a hard time about the supernova elite changes they made, which I agree. He was right on that one. He was right to be complaining about that. He was right to be bringing that up. It was uh, I, I was behind a lot of what the players were saying about that. Poker stars did 
act unethically there. But Donnie Stern was one of the people who seemed to be unrealistic about what poker stars really owed to poker grinders. He was really one of these people who seemed to believe that poker stars owes a lot to the poker grinders. And they don't. They don't owe anything to them. Poker grinders are customers on poker stars, and they they are not owed anything. It was in some ways a symbiotic relationship at some point, but but not really anymore. Poker stars doesn't really need grinders like like winning winning grinders like uh, Donnie Stern. And if poker stars wants to get rid of them or make the rewards for playing their less lucrative, or to basically drive them out, whether directly taking them out or just kind of pushing them out, then that's poker stars' right to do. They're not owed anything by poker stars. And I, I felt that people like Donnie Stern got the wrong idea that they were just entitled to very high rake back and other benefits because they raked a whole lot on there and because they they got games going. But the, the thing is, poker stars got large enough to where they d- didn't really need these grinders anymore. And these grinders were more just taking money out of the poker economy. And poker stars tolerated their existence, but they, they weren't seeing them as a good thing. And and people like Donnie Stern were delusional in that they believed that poker stars needed to kiss their ass and owed them something. That they, they've done so much for poker stars, but they really haven't. They they didn't play on poker stars to help poker stars. They played on poker stars to help themselves. And at the same time, when poker stars are smaller, I guess they kind of help poker stars, but but not anymore. And they were not required to do that. They, they chose to do that. They chose to be customers there. And they're not owed anything. So in that way, I, I felt that Donnie Stern was being unreasonable. But at the same time, Poker Stars was even more unreasonable with how they screwed the Supernova Elites, which uh, is a discussion I won't go into again. But he was the one who really objected to that the loudest. But uh, apparently he's quitting poker. I don't know... If there's more to this than what we're seeing here, again, a lot of times people don't quit or leave unless it's not going well anymore. There have been a few people who have left poker on top. They've left poker after just winning and winning and winning, and then they just get up and leave. But most times people leave poker, it's because they've been on a downswing. Or they, they find it's gotten too hard. It's a, The win rate they're achieving is not as good as it used to be. It's gotten too low. They realize that they, they may be better off in another career. But they don't like admitting that. They don't like admitting, hey, you know, I, I beat the game for a lot more five years ago, ten years ago, three years ago than I can today. I, I, I keep trying and trying. I'm just not getting very good results anymore, and uh, it's time for me to leave. That's like admitting failure. That's like admitting you're not good enough to, to still win today. You're a has-been. So... Rather than saying it's gotten too tough or it's not as lucrative as it once was because the there's too many good players and not enough bad ones, they, they say, oh, I'm just moving on to other things. On to new adventures. So I'd have to guess that maybe he's not doing as well anymore as he once did. And he's decided it's not worth continuing. Also, I wonder if he's really going to stick to it. A lot of times we have these public farewells in poker where people don't really leave. It seems like it's more common that someone leaves by just, by just disappearing. 
the ones that announce they're leaving poker, I see usually come back. <laughs> Someone said in chat, bots are getting unbeatable. Yeah, maybe that too. Disposition says, uh, in reference to the Free Palestine shirt, he says, I have a, ca- a comment for you, Druff. Commenting that a Free Palestine patch slash comment is stupid is incredibly ignorant for you, an intelligent person and a Jew, to say. No, it's not. You've, you shouldn't be wearing political statements at a televised final table. Nobody's watching you to see that. And and all you're doing is creating hassle for the company that's broadcasting it. Or the company that's putting it on in the case of poker stars. That's not your stage. That's somebody else's stage. You should not be the one deciding that you're going to use it to make controversial political statements that have nothing to do with poker. That's why I think it's stupid. I'm not even getting into whether the statement of free Palestine is stupid. That's that's a whole different discussion. But he shouldn't wear a shirt like that there to a final table. If you were to wear a shirt to a final table that makes an issue of something happening in poker, that's a different story. That's relevant. He says, sorry, genocide is a hassle. Well, that, first of all, that's not really true about genocide, but... It's not about a hassle. It's just this is a controversial subject, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. And it's not your place to do. You can't just decide to take over someone else's stage and, and because you find a cause important. And I'm seeing too much of that. I'm seeing it where, where people will block a freeway because they want you to pay attention to their cause. No, you don't have a right to do that. I don't have to pay attention to your cause. You may want me to, but you can't force me to. So I, I don't like that where people feel that if their cause is important to them, they can force it on me. Okay, so let's move on. I got a question from someone posted on the Poker Fraud Alert Poker Discussion Forum. And this person wanted to know if it's going to be a problem tax-wise for them that they've won a few thousand in 2017 on America's Card Room. They won and cashed out a few thousand on that site. So they're wondering, is this going to trigger an audit for them? Is the IRS going to say, come on in and we're auditing you? Are they going to get in trouble in some way? Should they declare this on their taxes? Because when you win on something like America's Card Room, you don't get any tax forms. They just send you the money. So I'm going to give you guys some answers here, but these are not answers from a tax professional. These are answers from me. I'm not a tax professional. You should not take these as anything given with authority, but just my opinion. By the way, I was just given... A message from uh, I've sent a message from someone that I trust pretty much. He says that Donnie Stern is down 1.5 million dollars in the past year. Yeah, that that could 
Drives one from poker. Oof. There's a line from a country song that I like, which goes, for every dream is shattered, another one comes true. And that's very, very true in poker. When someone wins money in poker, somebody else is losing. Sometimes the person losing is just a recreational player, like a very rich guy who doesn't really care. But many times the money being won is coming from other people who were once winners. Especially at these very high stakes. So it has to come from somewhere. And sometimes fortunes can turn. So yeah, I, I bet Donnie Stern just got tired of losing and said, okay, I, I can't afford to lose at this pace. I've got to hit the brakes. Hopefully he has money left. But, you know, let's say he had $2 million to his name and lost a million and a half. <laughs> at that point, you got to put the brakes on and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, maybe, maybe I better take my last half million and go do something else. Okay, so anyway, back to the tax situation. I'm going to be just honest and real with you guys, and I'm not going to be encouraging tax evasion. Everything you do is on you. Don't ever blame me for this. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not encouraging anyone here to commit any crimes or to file their taxes improperly. I'm just going to tell you the way that the IRS has treated poker players from what I've observed in my 17 years in the poker community. And then it is up to you as an adult to decide the way you're going to handle your own taxes. So, very quickly, to understand the way income tax laws work in the U.S. regarding gambling, is that you are responsible to pay taxes on any gambling income in a calendar year. But it's net income, meaning that you're only responsible for to pay taxes on the total amount you won in that calendar year. So if you win $1 million in the combined months of January through November 2017. Let's say uh, on November 30th, you are... One million dollars. ...up for the year. And then in December, you go on a horrible downswing. And you lose $995,000. So the total that you were up for 2017, once the year is over, is $5,000. Because you won a million, and in the same calendar year, in the final month of the year, you lost 995000 back. So that's what you've won, is 5000 And that's what you have to pay the taxes on. That's the amount you have to add to your other income, and then that will change what you owe the government in taxes. And you file that in April of the following year. Now, the reason that's important is because if you lose more than you win, as most gamblers do, then you don't owe any taxes 
for your gambling winnings. So let's say you lost $1.1 million in December after winning a million in January through November. Then you will owe zero taxes because you lost more than you won. You were a net loser for 2017. And this also applies to all forms of gambling combined. So even if you're a winning poker player but lose it all back in sports betting or lose it all back uh, in pit games, you still owe no taxes if it all occurred in the same calendar year. If you win a whole lot of money on December 31st and then lose it back on January 1st, well, bad news. Uh, You still owe the taxes for what you won in December. And that's unfair, but that's the way it is. Everything's by the calendar year. So let's go back to this guy's situation. He won a few thousand dollars on America's Card Room, cashed out. He did not tell me if he has any other gambling income or if he has gambling losses in 2017. But the reason the IRS will not bother to audit you, even if they are aware that you won a few thousand from an online poker site, which they're not made aware by the site itself. It would have to be like your bank tells them or something like that. But that doesn't seem to happen. Or if it does, they don't seem to take note of it from what I've seen. But let's say they knew. Let's say they knew and they were aware that you won a few thousand from America's card room. If you gambled in any form in 2017 and were a net loser of that amount or more, like let's say he won 3,000 on America's card room, if he lost 3,000 or more combined in all other forms of gambling for 2017, he does not owe any money tax-wise. Now, how do you prove you lost money back? Well, the good news is you don't really have to. The good news is they have to prove, the IRS, that is, if they audit you, they have to prove that you didn't lose the money back. The burden of proof is on them. Now, they will ask you questions if they audit you, and you have to answer them. And if they can disprove what you're saying, or if, uh, if what you're saying uh, is found to be unlikely to be true, they can rule that you owe the money to them, along with penalties. So you, you can't just, if you win a million dollars, you can't just Say, oh yeah, uh, I lost a million dollars back playing at Bellagio. Uh, go prove I didn't. Like you can't just say that. They 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 can uh, uh, then they can press you to say when you were there, who 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 saw you lose the money, see see if they can contact Bellagio if they had any record of you being there, and if they can start disproving what you're telling them, then yes, you'll be responsible. But. It's very easy to lose a few thousand dollars in a casino without there being any record of it. I've done it many times. I have lost money in a casino playing blackjack with there being no record of it because I don't give a card when I play blackjack. I have lost money playing poker with no record of it. I've brought a lot of cash to play poker before and lost, and there's no record it ever happened. Seriously. So... When I'm deducting that from my income for the year, when I'm declaring you know, my taxes and my income, uh, if I like, if I took a big live loss, yes, I'm subtra- subtracting that from my online wins. Can I prove that I lost that money live? No. But I have the date down I was there. 
I, I can remember who was in the game if necessary. They may not remember me, you know, that not everybody remembers everything, but, but I, I can give all the descriptions of where I was, you know, what day it was, you know, what game I played, and uh, I, I can defend it. And again, you don't submit all this with your taxes. This is only if you were to be audited. But the point is, there's a lot of different ways you can lose money gambling that don't leave much of a paper trail. And if it's a relatively small amount of money, then it is difficult for them to disprove. So, I have never known any poker player to ever be audited over a matter of winning a few thousand dollars online. Why? Number one, it's not worth the IRS's time. Number two, they probably don't know about it. Number three, even if they audit you, it's very easy for you to say you lost the money back at at a casino, whether it's true or not. And they'd have a very hard time disproving it, since it's so easy to lose relatively small amounts of money at a casino without there being record of it. So they, you can say, you know, I, I yeah, I, I just sat down at a blackjack table and and, and you know, fired it off one day, three thousand dollars. Okay, that's that's not unreasonable. People do that all the time. It's very hard to disprove that that, that they. It's very hard for them to say that didn't happen. Whereas, if you say you lost five hundred thousand without detection, without anyone knowing, that's a lot harder to say because casinos will will tend to have records of this in some way. They'll take note of that. That's not an easy amount of money to lose under the radar. But three thousand is so. You're not going to be audited, and. If you ever are, as long as you lost the money back in some way gambling, then you don't owe it. In fact, you don't even have to declare it. If you cashed out 3000 from America's card room, but you lost more than 3000 total gambling in everything else in 2017, then you are a net gambling loser, and you do not have to declare it. The same way that you would not have to declare it is if you, if you took a trip to Vegas and won $1,000 in the first day, lost 600 on the second day, and lost 800 in the third day. So you actually come home a net loser of 400 I doubt you would think that you'd have to declare that first 1000 you won. You, you would go home thinking, okay, well, I lost 400 on this trip. I, of course I wouldn't have to declare this income. The only time you do have to do that is if you receive a form stating you won something. So if you hit some kind of jackpot on a slot machine or a video poker and you get a W-2G form, then yes, you, if, if you don't want to pay taxes on that, then you have to declare gambling losses against that. But if there are no forms, then you don't have to declare anything. Again, I'm not a tax professional, but uh, that's a real – I don't know a single poker player who was ever, ever, ever audited about a, a, a relatively small amount of money. And when I say relatively small, I, I mean like, like like 20K or less. I've never known anyone to get audited. And in fact, even people who, who do large cash-outs from online poker sites, I, I've, I, audits just don't seem to happen even when I think they should. I, I know people who've, got, who've cashed out hundreds of thousands or even millions from online poker sites and still somehow they don't get audited. I think they should. I think it could easily happen. But I don't even, I don't even know a poker player personally who ever got audited. For, for poker winnings, to be honest. So that shows you how uncommon it is. Not that it can't happen, but it, it just seems like the IRS doesn't seem to be focusing on doing that, at least not at this time. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Todd, what's up? It's Marty. Yes, Marty, hello. What's going on? Not much. What's happening with you? 
Now, where are you right now? Where, where physically in this world are you? Uh, about two days out of Egypt. I'm on the middle of the Arabian Sea right now on my shitty internet. Really? So you're actually calling us from the ocean? I certainly am. Wow, that's that's. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually, in, I'm in my cabin. I'm in my cabin right now on my laptop. Uh, my Google Voice is working. I figured I'd bust off a phone call. Interesting. So, so we actually have Marty, who's a a. Uh, now, what exactly is your position? I, I was never 100 percent clear on what what you do. I know you do something with the food on the ship, but you're on you're on some kind of a merchant marine ship, and you uh, do something with the food there. What what exactly is your job there? Well, the ship I work on is a car carrier. It's actually we haul a lot of military cargo, like um, helicopters and tanks. Uh, we're going to load a lot of cargo in Italy and uh, uh, actually Belgium as well. We're going to be in Antwerp. But my job is uh, I'm a what they call a chief steward. It's basically a hotel manager. Uh, I write all the menus. I order provisions. I supervise a crew of five guys. Um, I do. I basically manage all the inventory and do the menu planning. Um, I really don't do a lot of cooking. I just, you know, I do breakfast in the morning, but I have a cook that does all the, uh, that does all my entrees and uh, that basically does all the cooking. I, I still have to babysit him. The chief cook right now I have is fucking clueless, but uh, so I have to kind of babysit him. But um, you know, for the most part, it's pretty kicked back. That's about it, though. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I'm basically a, a floating hotel manager. Now, now you actually make pretty good money doing this, isn't that true? Yeah, it's really good money. Um, it's really good. <laughs> I'm not on the best contract right now. Um, I'm on a kind of a lower tier contract, but uh, I might be getting off of this ship right before the holidays when a lot of these guys that have more union seniority are going to be getting off. And some of these guys that ship in my position on what they call a standard contract ship, those are companies like uh, APL, American President Lines, um, Maersk, uh, which is – I'm, Maersk is famous for the Alabama, which was, you know, the Captain Phillips movie. And then there's a, there's a few other companies that are standard contracts and guys in my position on the standard contracts are making around close to 20,000 a month, 18 to 20,000 a month. So I'm hoping to get off. <clears throat> I'm hoping to get off this ship in uh, right before Thanksgiving and take a few weeks off and then get back out right before Christmas time. So I, see, I don't understand anything about the standard contracts and all that. So, so you are you, now you're not making that right now, though. You said this contract you're on is not as good, not making as much money. Now I'm I'm making about well, it's about fourteen right now before taxes. I'm clearing around ten, so it, it's it's good money, but it's not great. I mean, it could be a lot better. I mean, the, I'm, there's about three different tiers of contracts. There's kind of a lower tier, which is what I'm on now, and then there's kind of the medium range companies, but. The high-end uh, standard contract ships, that's where the real money is. You get a much higher overtime rate. You get more overtime. You get a much higher vacation pay. Um, you know, those guys are clearing close to 20000 a month. That's after taxes. Now, so um, I'm th- hoping to get on one of those ships. Now, here's, here's something I wondered. How do you get Go these ahead. jobs? I, I have to think that a lot of people, even though there are some downsides to this job, and basically you're, you're, you're trapped on a ship that goes – all around the world, and that's you just have to live that job for long periods of time. But, but still, it, 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 since it pays so well, I, I think there's a lot of people who would want this. Uh, so, h- how are you getting this job over other people? How, what 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 qualified you to get this job uh, versus others who who may want it? 
Well, um, when I started, well, this is kind of a long, I'll keep this short, but when I, I was living in Australia back in 1987 and on my way back from Australia, I stopped in Hawaii and I started working on the cruise ships in Hawaii, the, the, the independence and the constitution. I was working as a waiter and a cabin steward or a cabin steward and a bartender. And that was a cruise ship. And that ship did basically a, a seven day cruise around the Hawaiian islands. So I did that for almost two years and I quit working on those ships and our union has a, a training academy back in Maryland and they actually train three different departments, deck, steward, and engine, where you can essentially go and upgrade your skills within your department. So I was in the steward department. My rating was basically OS, which is ordinary seaman. I didn't have any qualifications. So when I went to school, they had three different courses. There was uh, cook baker, which is one, you know, basically there's, there's four ratings in my department. There's um, steward assistant, there's cook baker, there's chief cook, and then there's chief steward. And at our school, uh, those courses are three months. They're three months each. So I had all this unemployment insurance saved up from Hawaii, and I just stayed in school. I, I, I completed my, my cook baker. I, I got a job on an AT&T ship, which was a cable, like a, it was, they laid fiber optic cable. I did that for about two months. I went back to school. I got my chief cook, and then I worked for APL, uh, American President Lines, for about a year and a half. And then I went back to school again, and I got my chief steward. So after seven years of sailing as steward, I just quit. I was kind of fed up. I was overseas during the holidays a lot, and I just kind of got tired of the lifestyle, and I, I quit back in 2002. So to, uh, fairly recently, about two years ago now, a little, a little under two years ago, and I, you know, as you, you know, my life was kind of stalled, and I, I wasn't making any money, and I just, so my friend Marcus told me, he said, look, Marty, you need to think about getting back on the ships. The contracts are really good now. So I called the training academy in Maryland and I said, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, because I had a chief cook rating. I, I, I completed all my endorsements. So I called the union or I called the union's training academy and I said, look, are my, you know, this is 15 years later, almost 15 years later. And I, and I thought that my endorsements were going to be expired. And I thought I'd have to start from scratch as a steward assistant again. But they said, no, no, you, you still have a Stuart Baker rating. And I went, really? So at that point, you know, I was able to just, you know, I had to still complete all my other paperwork. I had to take, a, you know, I had to get my TWIT card, my transportation workers ID card. I had to get, I had to go through what they call basic safety training where I took a firefighting course and water survival and anti-piracy. There was all kinds of shit I had to do just to get to the point where I could be eligible to ship again. So to answer your question, you know, it's not like anybody can just pack up and go, Hey, I want to get on the ships. You know, it's, it's a long, arduous process. You know, if, if someone was just coming off the street to try and start sailing again, they'd have to start from the bottom and, and, you know, they, the guys from the bottom, like the steward assistants or, you know, the regular deckhands, they're not making a lot of money. And I'm just fortunate enough that I still had my ratings intact. So I was able to just jump right into a department head position after 15 years. So um, that's kind of where I'm at now. Okay, so, so, so you're saying here that uh, you're not just one with uh, ordinary semen. <laughs> no, no. I, I, oh, okay, I get it. God damn, are you still running that laugh track? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, okay. So anyway, uh, so. Uh, 
Like, interesting. I, I was I've I never really had the, the full I never had the full story about I know we have a delay talking to each other because you're you're over the ocean and it's uh it probably takes a few seconds to hear me and then for me to hear you. But I I never had the full story on exactly uh how how you were getting these jobs and I know some people were curious about that as well. So okay, and you you also mentioned on the forum recently that well, you the way, the way- well, actually, I was going to say the way it works is, you know, my union represents about a dozen or more different shipping companies. And basically, you know, it, it's separate. My union membership is separate from my employer. So, in other words, like the job I have right now is with a company, you know, I have the permanent, what they call a rotary position. I'm supposed to do 120 days and then I can take 60 days off. Now, I have the option of breaking my rotation. So, and I'm not going to be penalized by the union. So in, in short, basically when I'm ready to work, you know, I go to the hall, our union hall, they're scattered throughout the United States. We have them in Oakland, Seattle, Honolulu, they're in Philadelphia, they're all over Texas. We have about 20 different union halls within the country and the jobs get posted. So say, for example, someone in my position who's selling as a chief cook on another ship decides to get off. Well, that job goes on the board and it's basically a board. It'll, it'll have the job posted. For example, ship XYZ, uh, chief steward, uh, 60 day relief job. So there'll be guys in the union hall. And, you know, when I go, when I get off the ship, I register in the union and then I actually have to, I have to, I throw my card in to bid for the job. And I'm fortunate right now because, uh, there are a lot of, there's an abundance of jobs in the steward department right now. They're definitely not hurting for personnel. 10 years ago, I'd have a lot of, a lot of difficulty shipping out, especially as a department head. But right now, for whatever reason, they're really they're really hurting for steward department personnel. So for me, it's pretty simple just to go in and pick up a job. It's not like I have to I don't have to go through a, a hiring process or apply to the company. I mean, I use my union seniority and my and my credentials to to throw in for that particular job. I see. Uh, so there's uh, some someone has uh, sent me a question here from in the chat room. They said that. Uh, they wanted to know. There's been some questions recently about uh, the first job you had with this uh, Diego Garcia ship that that it ended uh, fairly quickly, and uh, the pe- people have been curious to know about what what what, what, what happened with that. <laughs> oh man, I don't know if I want to tell the story on the air. I was actually going to make a thread about it, but I guess I can tell the story. Um. <laughs> You really want to hear it? Yes, yes. Let's, let's hear about the, the Diego Garcia ship and how that ended abruptly. What, what happened there? Okay. All right. All right. I, I was going to write a post about this, but um, actually before it was that bomb was dropped in uh, Hupmaster's little thread, I was actually planning on, on telling this story. All right. So I'll try and keep this as short as possible. But basically – um, that was my that was my first ship when I got all my credentials. Um, it was on a, a ship going back and forth from Diego Garcia to Singapore. It was a 28 day round trip, and basically we spent two weeks tied up in Diego Garcia, <clears throat> and then we spend eight days at sea back to Singapore. We'd load cargo and then we'd head back to Sing- uh, Diego for eight days, and then we tie up for two weeks. It was actually pretty sweet because we had two weeks in port. So she is really beautiful. It's a, it's absolutely beautiful Island, but there's not a lot going on there. 
it's um, there's a lot of Filipino contract workers and um, there's a lot of military personnel. There's a lot of it's it's basically a, a military. It's a territory that's shared by uh, British the British Navy and a lot of intelligence personnel for the United States. There's a lot of secrecy surrounding the island. All kinds of black ops shit goes on there. Anyway, so, so wait, wait, which so, which which island was it? I missed so, that. You know, I had. It's it's called Diego Garcia. It's near the Maldives. It's actually between. Um, you just have to look it up. Okay. It's, it sounds just like it's spelled, or it's spelled just like it sounds. It's Diego Garcia. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of intelligence guys. There were a lot of CIA and uh, MI6 guys there. There's a, a lot of government subcontractors. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, half the island is basically blocked off to tourists and. They're, they have a lot of ships there that are, they call them Roros, and they're basically floating bombs. I mean, there are five Roro ships that are docked offshore all the time. It's just, it's actually a strategic stronghold for, uh, to safeguard the U.S. from attack in Hawaii, or it, it's, it's really strategically located. That's why there's all this stuff going on there. But anyway, our ship was basically the supply ship. We were, we would pick up shit in Singapore, like, you know, beer and food and bananas and all kinds of stuff. We were the, actually the food supply ship. So, all right, long, let me get back to the, get to the good stuff. So, um, as you know, in the past, I've had a uh, slight uh, problem with alcohol. So, um, when we got to Diego, um, you know, we tie up in Diego Garcia, and there was a Siemens Club there, where um, it was just basically a bar. They had a little casino with slot machines, and and so my routine when we were there was, you know, I'd work my shifts, and work lunch and dinner, and I'd get off around six o'clock, and I'd they had a little bus that took us up to the Siemens Club. And I'd just sit there and go pound drinks and watch TV, catch up on CNN, and and then head back. But the drinks were fucking expensive. They were like $9 a piece. So I was blowing through all kinds of money. I mean, I'd go through, I'd go through you know, 80, 90 bucks every day just, just drinking at the Siemens Club. So so we there was also a PX, which is a kind of a supply, a supply store for the military, like a little grocery store, and they have alcohol and shirts and all kinds of stuff it's it's what they call a px and the booze was just extraordinarily cheap there and you know i could buy a whole fifth of fireball or jim bean for like 13 bucks i mean it was just dirt cheap so but there's a strict policy on most ships which is a zero what they call a zero tolerance policy you're not you know in theory you're not supposed to drink while you're uh, on duty or while you're actually signed on your articles when Technically, while I'm working, I'm not supposed to drink. But um, so anyway, I went ashore one day, and I was sick and tired of, of um, I was sick and tired of spending all this money at the Siemens Club. So I took my backpack ashore, and I came back to the ship with um, two big old bottles of Fireball and a bottle of Jim Beam, and I brought it to my cabin. And um, so, which wasn't a good idea. I, in hindsight, it was fucking stupid, but I did. So. Anyway, fast forward, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of drinker that I just don't stop. You know, people used to tell me, Marty, why do you, you know, why do you always buy these small bottles of alcohol? I said, because if I buy a big one, I'll drink them. So, so as soon as I got back to the ship, I started pounding my cocktails. You know, I got off work at six o'clock and I went to my room. I killed like three quarters of my bottle of Jim Beam. And I woke up and I started doing shots of fireball. So like by nine o'clock, I was, I was hammered, you know, this is nine o'clock in the morning. And I was doing, I was already doing shots of fireball. So he smelt it on my breath. This is like 70, I was like 75 days into my contract. 
And, you know, I was supposed to work 120, but I'd, I'd already been on for two and a half months. So um, it's not like I had just gotten on. But um, anyway, I guess someone smelt it on my breath and the captain came down to the galley when I was working and, and I guess he smelled it too. So next thing I know, they're calling the British police. They have them coming on breathalyzing me. I had to sit, you know, they had, they had, it was a big deal. They had British police come on and the captain was there. The chief mate came down and there were two witnesses and I'm in this room and I'm still halfway totally smashed. And they wanted me to submit to a breathalyzer test. And, you know, I knew I was busted. So I didn't, I didn't try and, I didn't try and hide it. I, I was pretty cooperative throughout the whole process. I knew I was fucked. So it was just better to cooperate. So <clears throat> I submitted to the blow test and I, I blew a uh, 0.13. And, uh, so that's pretty much it. I got, I had to leave the ship and, um, but the, here, there's a couple of funny parts to this too. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I signed off the ship. Um, I wasn't escorted off the ship. I mean, I, they, they, they had a, a bus waiting for me and take me to the airport, but I flew back on a military transport plane. I had to fly to Korea and then back to, then to Dallas and then all the way to Sacramento it was a 32 hour journey. But the funny part is this, is that, um, so I said, I blew 0.13. And, and my first thought was like, oh, okay, that's not too bad. I mean, one through one point one three, I wasn't too hammered. But I found out later that that, that was um, by British standards. They, the British have a completely different uh, blood alcohol level testing. Um, I guess their testing kit, they measure it completely differently. So if you translate the point one three uh, to British to British from Amer or from British to American, I actually blew closer to like point. Uh, 0.35. I mean, I was completely torched. I was like four times over the legal limit. So, uh, so anyway, I got fired by the company and I had, to, when I got back, the, the thing is they had to report all this to the Coast Guard. So I was kind of screwed. I, you know, I, but um, when I got back to Sacramento, you know, they hadn't reported this to the Coast Guard yet. And so I, I just basically jumped on another ship really quick. And then the Coast Guard, you know, I finally get this email from the Coast Guard saying I had to cooperate I had to go down and, you know, long, I could go into this further, but long story short is I, yeah, I, I got terminated by, by that company, but I wasn't penalized by my union. And I basically had to, I had to uh, meet with a Coast Guard investigator and I, and I was facing a one year suspension of my uh, merchant mariner credentials, but I was really cooperative. You know, even the captain was saying, you know, the captain wrote over uh, the ship I was on, he wrote a re report saying, you know, he wasn't showing any habitual signs of alcohol abuse and, he did a really good job. He, he was actually really charitable on his review. So the Coast Guard read the report and he says, look, you know, this is here's my first offense and I hadn't shown any history before. So I kind of got a slap on the wrist. They, they suspended my, um, my suspension was, it was actually for four months, but um, I was ready to go on vacation anyway. So I spent three months in Mexico and I only had to serve a, a 30 day suspension. But one of those provisions of my suspension was that I had to attend um, six Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, <laughs> so I had to I had to <laughs> I had to meet with this uh, I had to meet with this this alcohol. Uh, there's a, an entity called SAP. I don't know what it stands for, stands for, but it's like a, a SAP has all these qualified personnel that evaluate alcohol abuse. So I had to meet with this guy, and you know I had to fill out this questionnaire like you know do you rely on alcohol? Do you get alcohol withdrawals? There's like 150 questions. He's trying to test me to see, you know, how severe my alcohol abuse was. But anyway, he concluded that, you know, I was fine. It was an isolated incident. So, 
then uh, that guy charged 450 bucks just to come and evaluate me. <clears throat> so I, I actually met with him at a, a Mexican restaurant. Um, I don't know how that's relevant, but it was right next to the bar. So, all right, anyway, so but you guys wanted to know what happened. So anyway, um, let's see, how did it go from there? So, yeah, so I, I had to go to these, uh, these AA meetings before the Coast Guard would release my, my credentials back where I could ship again. And so, you know, I, I get back from Mexico. I, I served my, my, my 30 day suspension. You know, the, the penalty was four months and they, they basically suspended three of those four months and it was actually only a 30 day suspension, which was fine because I was on vacation anyway. So, so anyway, I, I went to the meetings and when I'm at these meetings, you know, I'm thinking to myself that these people are a bunch of pussies that can't handle their alcohol. And, uh, you know, one of the prerequisites for AA is that you have, you have to you have to have a desire to quit drinking, and honestly, I think drinking is awesome, and I have no I have I do not want to quit. I, think it, I love it, but it did, it was a big wake up call for me not to mix alcohol with work, and since then I've been pretty chill with that. And so anyway, long story short, I did my six meetings, I got my credentials back, and and that's it. I mean, I served my suspension, and I just have to watch my ass now. So if it happens again, I I I probably lose my my credentials for about a year. But um, other than that, that was about it. I mean, I can actually go back and work for that same company again because I already completed my my program. Now, wait, now didn't but you didn't you that, say um, though? You said recently in a post. You know, on, and I'll, on, I'll say this too about it. on Poker Fraud Alert. You made a post that you have not drank in a month. Now is that because you've been on the ship for a month? Yeah, it's actually not bad. Yeah, I've I've been on this ship now for fifty days. I, it's it's. Uh, Actually, the first stop we came, I flew out to Singapore to meet the ship, and I did go ashore in Japan. Uh, we were in Hiroshima, and I did go ashore and have a uh, drink in, in Hiroshima, but that was uh, 40 days ago. So and I'm, I'm over 40 days. I haven't had a drop of alcohol. feels pretty good. And, and it's been 40 days since you've set foot on land? But, um, but I did want to – no, no, no. We've, we've been at sea for like two weeks. We left um, – uh, what was our last port? Um, our last port was in uh, – we had to go back. Oh, yeah, the last part was Singapore. We went back to Singapore from after Japan, and we've been at sea for almost two weeks now. But when we left Singapore, okay, we've been just cro- we're in the Arabian Sea right now. We're actually getting ready to enter the Gulf of Aden, and then we're going to go through the Suez Canal. We stop in Egypt, and then we're going to be hitting um, a, a city called uh, Piraeus, Greece, which is close to Athens, and then we're going to uh, Antwerp, and then we're going to Bremerhaven, Germany, and um, Bristol, England, and then. From there we're going. Excuse me. From there we're going back to the Middle East, and then I, who knows where? From there, probably the United States. Now, is this costing you money? I wanted to say one thing about AA. Well, before before you before you get there, is is this call is this call costing you money to have to call from this ship here? No, I'm on. I'm just on my Google Voice on my laptop. It actually it's free. It's there's actually really not a big delay at all. It's it's actually a pretty good connection. But do they give you free internet on board? Yeah, it's actually – well, it's pretty spotty. The internet's kind of on and off, um, it, but it's pretty good right now. It's it's not lightning fast, but it's faster than dial-up. It's like – it's about a, the same as DSL. We have a pretty – it depends on the weather. If there's a lot of clouds, the, the internet sucks. Yeah, but what, but what I was asking right is, now, is, is really, it something they give to everybody? Can you, can you use it unlimited? Is it free, or do you have to pay for it? 
No, it, it's free. Our, uh, the company, when I was here last time, we didn't have internet, but the company actually installed a satellite Wi-Fi. So we have routers on on both the officers and the crew decks. So we have on the port and the starboard side. So everybody has a router. So, you know, it works on my cell phone and, it, and I can sit here on my laptop and, you know, I had a video, I had a video chat with Brandon the other day on Facebook. It works fine. Hmm. So, um, I'm pretty happy with it. I thought that before it was, you know, my, my last ship, it was really, really slow. It wasn't even worth it, but the connection we have here is actually pretty decent. Okay. So what do you want to say about AA? Yeah, I, I just, I just want to say about AA that, you know, initially I was, you know, I'm like, fuck this. I, I couldn't care less. And I was, my opinion was, you know, if they, if they wanted me to call, I was, if they called me to speak, I was just going to say, look, you know, I have no desire to quit drinking. You people are a bunch <laughs> of pussies for not being able to handle your alcohol. That's what I was thinking. But, you know, after my sixth meeting, you know, I got to be honest, you know, a lot of these people are, are they had stories to tell. And, and I, I just think that alcohol abuse is something that I think some people can handle it. Some people can drink every day and be able to handle it. And some people can't, they just don't have that makeup. And, you know, like, for example, I mean, when I'm off, I like to party, I'll drink every day, but I never get any withdrawals or anything. I mean, I've never, you know, once once we left uh, Japan last time, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be really missing booze. But I didn't miss it at all. I mean, I don't, I don't have withdrawals. I'm not some kind of addict to it. But I was just gonna say that I really, some of these people told stories, and I really kind of respected them because they had, they had some, um, I don't know, I just part of me kind of had a new, a new respect for people that take. Some of these people have been sober for like 20, 30 years, you know, and they still go to these meetings, and. You know, it's not for me. I mean, I, I've never felt that I had some kind of addiction to alcohol, even though if I do look back at my life, every every one of my major fuck ups has been alcohol related. Well, I was going to say that I, we, we've seen another. we've seen over but, the years that, anyway, uh, all, that that various problems you've had, including on the forum where, where I've had to ban you, have, have been attached to alcohol in some way. So I you, you say that uh, the, the drinking doesn't really affect you. It, it does seem like you are getting affected by it. Maybe you don't realize it. Well, yeah, it definitely impairs your good judgment. I'll, I'll say that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I'm off, it's like when I'm off, when I'm off the ship and I'm not working, yeah, I like to just sit around and drink and hang out in the sun and play with my dog on the beach and play poker, and, and I don't really give a shit. But, you know, I made a big mistake by, by trying to bring booze on the ship. And, you know, but I owned up to it, and I I, I – through my suspension and I went to the meetings and I, I did what I had to do. But, um, you know, but I did, I was really lucky because a lot of guys, they, they get suspended for a year and some guys just lose their, their credentials permanently. But, you know, the Coast Guard investigator I met with, he, he said, look, I really appreciate your cooperation. You know, a lot of guys, they, we have to, we have to hunt them down to get them in front of us. So they don't want to surrender their credentials. And, but I was really cooperative throughout the whole process. And I basically just got a slap on the wrist. So, um, but I, I learned a valuable lesson. I mean, I'm, I'm not ever going to bring booze on the ship again. I'm not saying I'm not going to go ashore and have a few drinks, but I mean, I don't want to jeopardize my career. You know, I have a pretty, I have pretty stable employment now and, um, I don't want to screw that up. I mean, I have great health insurance. I'm making great money. I'm only going to have to work six months a year and I don't have to, you know, I'm, when I'm ready to work, the job's there. I don't have to apply for a job or fill out an application now that's one great thing about this job is that I have really good job stability. So um, anyway, I learned my lesson. Well, yeah, I think this is this is the strangest place we've gotten a call from as far as uh, calls to this show to have someone 
all the way uh, in, in the Middle East on, on the ocean, calling from a ship. So I had no idea. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm, I'm literally I'm about two days out of the Suez Canal right now. We're still about we're about 600 miles offshore, and it's the ocean's calm. I'm looking out my my stateroom window right now. It's uh, ocean's really calm. It's hot as fuck here. It's like 94 degrees right now. But um, we're getting ready to hit the Suez. I'll get it. I'll post some pictures of the Suez Canal when I on TFA when I get a chance. Now, you say it's hot. Is it hot in your room or only outside? Uh, well, we have pretty decent air conditioning. It wasn't actually the AC was broke. I had to file for penalty pay because when I got on here, my roof, uh, the condenser was all screwed up and the air conditioning on board and it was leaking in my room. I had like half an inch of water on my floor and it, it was messed up. The air conditioning was broken. It was really hot in here, but they fixed it. I do have AC in my room, so. Would you yeah, say, would you say, bad. would you say it's ice cold AC? Would you describe it that way or just regular AC? No, no, no. Oh, I, I, go ahead. Play the laugh track. Go ahead. Play your laugh track. <laughs> I wasn't ready with it, but the, the you say penalty pay. You you get extra pay when things like that happen. Oh yeah, if, if the conditions are substandard or um, yeah, I mean yeah, definitely. I'm gonna make. It's not a lot of money. I mean, the penalty pay is something like eighty bucks a day. But you know, we I had to live there. The first two and a half weeks I was here, it was. It, there was no AC. There was a big leak in my room. There, it was just a nightmare. Um, and it leaked. I brought this monitor from home. I had this 24-inch Dell monitor I brought from home, and it, it it was leaking water over it and ruined it. So, for what two and a half weeks, eighty bucks a day. What is that? Like twenty days. So, I'll make like an extra sixteen, seventeen hundred bucks in penalty pay. I see. So, yeah. um, now with this money that yeah, you're, you're, yeah, definitely answer your question, definitely. Okay, so so you, you're making this money here, and and you probably don't have that many expenses when you're on the ship because they're they're taking care of everything. So, what what are you going to do with the money then? Are you are you saving it? And when you get back, are you going to play uh, play poker at higher stakes once you, since you have a bankroll? What's what's the plan with this money you're making on this ship? Well, let's see. Um, I pay it when I. When I won my tournaments in 2015, I paid off pretty much all my debts. I had, <coughs> excuse me, I owed like, um, I owed around 12 grand to family and friends and I paid my rent for a year in advance and bought my Jeep. And I, it was pretty amazing how easy it is to blow through 36,000 bucks. So, <clears throat> but I paid off most of the debts I have. I mean, I have some tax issues, but other than, per, I don't have any personal debts. So, um, you know, I've, <clears throat> Honestly, I was this time is I'm probably not going to do anything. I, I think I'm probably just going to I'm not going to take that much time off because I want to get off before the holidays. <clears throat> I mean before um, before Thanksgiving because I was thinking about um, I want to ship again before Christmas. I have a really good chance of getting a much higher paying job, so I'm I'm just going to take a short break, um, maybe three or four weeks, and then I want to get up get back out again. But um, one of the things I was thinking about buying. Um, you know, I, I was just, honestly, I was looking at like really nice travel trailers, you know, my lifestyle, it, I don't see the logic in like in renting a condo or, or buying a house or, you know, I, if I'm overseas six months out of the year, I just don't see the logic in, you know, leasing a condo or, or, you know, sinking my roots, trying to buy a house. I mean, I'm just not going to be there. So I started thinking about it and. You know, I started entertaining the idea of just buying like a really, really nice travel trailer. You know, I see these people along the PCH. I mean, you're from California. You you bought a PCH. 
like along Malibu and Huntington Beach, you got these people that that literally like park on the beach for for a couple months, just kicking back in their trailers. So I started looking at them, and some of these, you know, the ones that are like in the twenty, thirty thousand dollar range are pretty awesome. You know, you can you can motor, you can put a. Um, it just seems like it would suit my lifestyle. I like the idea of, you know, shipping out, putting some money together. And then, uh, you know, I drive a, a V8 Grand Cherokee. I just tow it behind, go hang out on the beach. And when I'm ready to go back to work, just put it in storage. It just seems like a perfect fit. And I was just looking at a few models. And I know people can joke all they want about being trailer trash or whatever. But I just like the idea of being able to park at the beach from uh, wherever, in off Huntington Beach or Pismo or go to Yosemite. Or um, I, I like the idea of being mobile. And I was looking into the Wi-Fi and uh, satellite TV solutions and, you know, direct TV, you can mount these things on top of them and you can be driving and still have direct TV and, and Wi-Fi. You don't need to be, you don't have to be parked and, and, you know, configured to uh, where the, lo- the location of the, the signal is. It's really not that expensive. So um, I saw this one model from this company called MPG, the 2650 RL, I think it was. This thing is just fucking pimp. It's got hardwood floors, stainless steel kitchen. It's like 32 feet long. They're about 30 grand. And I thought, you know, I mean, for now, I just thought it'd make it'd be a good solution. Plus, if I wanted to play poker, you can just park them right outside the casino. And I was thinking about going down to San Diego and playing at Ocean's Eleven, or even going to LA and playing at Commerce and the bike, and and uh, be a perfect solution. I, I keep my dog inside when I'm playing and um, like a little, I don't want to spend all this money on hotel rooms. Last time before I shipped out, I must've spent, you know, the last three weeks, three weeks before I shipped out, I was staying in hotels. I mean, that shit adds up. I mean, 90 bucks a day, every single day, I was getting sick and tired of it. So, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, with my lifestyle, I don't see the logic in, um, in renting a condo for 1500 or $2,000 a month. And I don't want to live in Mexico permanently. You know, my, my dad and I bought a house in, in just south of Rosarito last time I was off. And, but honestly, I don't, I don't want to live in Mexico full time. And uh, so that's just something I was entertaining. I don't know if I'm going to follow through, follow through with it or not. But, um, you know, the price is right. I mean, I could just pay cash for it within a matter of a couple months and, you know, just have a, have a, a temporary place to stay when I'm off. For now, it just seems like a good solution. So now, have you? I know you. You stop at some ports there. In in the two years you've been doing this, have have you ever hooked up with any women in any way in any of these ports? <laughs> Who asked you that in the chat room? Now, that was that was that was my yeah. question. Nobody asked that. I was my it was my own question. Oh man, you don't even want to hear the truth to that one. Why? I mean, you can tell the truth, whatever it is. <sighs> All right, you want to know the truth? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I've been I've been voluntarily I've been voluntarily celibate for the last seven years. What? Okay, so so why why are you voluntarily celibate? Because I've already been to the top of Mount Everest. Because <laughs> once you taste fine champagne, it's tough to go back to beer. Because I don't want to fuck skanks. I like beautiful women. I'd rather I'd rather wait. It's not like I haven't had an opportunity to get laid, but I'm just not looking to just throw my dick on the crap table with any slut that crosses my, well, I know, my but, path. But, but, you know, seven years is a long I like time. I women, mean, you know? I mean, seven years is a very long time to, to go without it. So that? that's, that's a very long time to, to go without doing that. I'm just surprised that. Uh, 
it's the it's the truth. It's, that's that's the God's honest truth. I haven't. Um, that's something that I only share with a few people. I don't care though. <clears throat> Doesn't I don't miss it. I'm uh, you know I don't want to get too corny here, but you know I, when I if you just bang some skank, it, it's not very satisfying. You know, there's not. I mean, look, it's not that hard to get laid. Any 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 swinging dick can go to a bar and get a blowjob or get laid within a matter of unless you're a real lamo. It's not that difficult to get laid. I just don't, you know, I don't get it. For, for me personally, I know this sounds corny, but there's got to be some some kind of emotional connection. I could just, I could care less about just like busting a nut just for the sake of busting a nut. I mean, at my age, you know, I mean, I just turned 53. I had those days when I was in my 20s and 30s. I mean, I slept with plenty of women, but, you know, I just got to this point where it's not satisfying, it's not gratifying at all. I mean, not to suggest that I'm, I mean, I was actually thinking about it. I'm thinking, you know, this has been too long. I'm, I might even ch- try and get something accomplished in, when we get to Germany. <laughs> but uh, that's the truth. I mean, uh, you know, sex just for the sake of sex, it really just doesn't interest me. I've, I've got to have some kind of, um, you know, there's got to be something there. There's got to be some kind of mutual uh, attraction. And I mean, I, I'm not, I'm just not interested in, just finding some random skank and just busting a nut on her. It's well, just, okay, I, I yeah, that's kind of, just leaves you feeling empty. And- I agree. It's, I agree. It's much better if if there is an emotional connection, even even a temporary one. But uh, I, I do have to say, if if it had been seven years for me, then then I think then I think it would be so frustrating not having had it in so long. I think there, even if there wasn't an emotional connection, I, I would still really want that. I'm just surprised seven years have gone. That uh, you know, unless you know, I, I've heard this. I'm not quite. See, I'm not quite as old as you are yet. I'm, I'm 45. I, I, I've been told by some people who are over 50, some guys over 50, that the, the sex drive for them, at least, has dies down somewhat at the, at that age, and that they uh, they don't have the the need to have sex as much as when they were younger. Now, I'm 45. I have not experienced that. For me, it's, it's very similar now for me as it was 25 years ago. Now, maybe when I'm over 50, it'll change. But but are are you saying that for you that it has changed and that it's not as uh, as big of a deal anymore? Yeah, well, I'm in I'm in no need of any kind of uh, erectile dysfunction uh, medication. Let's put it that way. No, it's not even about like, that. It's, 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 it, no, it's not about functioning. It's about just the drive yeah. to want to do it. Because there there are some guys over fifty who have told me that they just don't. They can, you know, it works. They just they just don't have much of a drive to have sex anymore like they used to, and, and that it changed very quickly, like after they were fifty. And, and now I haven't felt that change at all yet in me. In me, I have the same drive as I as I always did. But are, do you have less of a drive now, or is it just you just, uh, for whatever reason? Just... No, I mean, I, I, still, uh, I still clean the pipes uh, on occasion just to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, clean the proverbial up. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, it's not like I haven't had opportunities. I, I don't know. I just want to revert back to what I said. I just, I'm just not interested in just, just getting laid just to get laid and then or some kind of one-night stand with some – like I said – you know, I got spoiled when I was in Brazil and uh, Argentina and not, not, not so much in Mexico, but I mean, I'm an average looking guy at best. And I slept with some extraordinarily beautiful women. So I'm spoiled. You know, I don't, it, you know, I don't want to, like I said, once you climb Mount Everest, it's tough to, you know, find a, a I'm not going to, my standards are a little higher than I probably deserve. So I'm kind of holding out if it, I'd rather hold out than, than lower my standards and just 
bang some dirty skeezer. It's just not it's, for me. It's not worth it. Okay, but you know, but all, all men have to deal with that is as they get older. You know, they they they, they do have to understand that that some of the women they got when they were younger that it's going to be harder to do once they're in their 40s and 50s so that that's that's common to everybody if they're single so i, I i'm just i'm surprised that uh, that you're voluntarily letting seven years go by but you know, obviously that's up to you so that was an interesting fact though it's something we didn't hear from you in all these years you've been on the forum we we never really heard uh but you know what? I, I remember something, though. I remember when you lived in Mexico a few years ago. It was much less than seven years ago. There was some, like, young girl you were dating there for a while, and then we didn't hear much about her. So since she was in the picture, you're, you're telling us that you didn't have sex with her? Oh, I think we lost him. I think we lost Mar. I, I wanted the answer to that one, but I think we lost him. It shows he's on, but we lost. Yeah, we lost him. He it hung up. Yeah, what I was saying is he had posted on the forum, and I I probably couldn't find it because he has thousands of posts. But he had posted, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, about some girl that was in Mexico that was like twenty one, and he even I think he posted some pictures of her, and he claimed they were dating and. Then it, we just kind of stopped hearing about her. So I, I wonder how that fits in with the whole seven-year thing. Because if, you, if you're going to date someone that much younger than you and then not even have sex with her, like, what's the point? Anyway, that, that was a very interesting tidbit. Now, as you probably noticed here with Marty compared to other shows Marty has been on, He was not drunk. You can tell he was sober. You can tell there's a different demeanor we get from him when he's sober. He's much easier to talk to. There's no hostility. Uh, He's coherent. So it's a different Marty. It's like a different person. He's very difficult to have on the radio when he's drunk. I've made the mistake of trying that before, but... uh, uh, this time he was actually sober and we were actually able to have like a, a real conversation without any kind of hostility or, yeah, it was, it was amazing. In fact, I, I usually have to hang up on him here. He just got cut off presumably because of the internet cut. So some interesting things we heard from him though. And he's in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> very far away too. I sometimes marvel at the fact that this show is listened to by people all all over the world, but it's even another level above that, that people can listen and even call in from the ocean. Though, you know, when I was on the Donk Down radio show, I actually did a show, or I co-hosted a show from the ocean, because I had unlimited internet, and so one night from the cruise ship, I just uh, did the radio. Okay, in the meantime, let's move on here. Kind of coming near the end anyway from the agenda. Larry Flint is offering a big reward if you can give him dirt on one of Marty's heroes, and that's Donald Trump. Marty's a big Donald Trump fan. 
But Larry Flint is not a Donald Trump fan. Larry Flint is uh, – he, he's a longtime liberal, and he he's very wealthy. He was the publisher of, of Hustler magazine, and he also owns the Hustler Casino in Southern California. I've played there a number of times. It's actually pretty nice. But uh, he put out a full-page ad offering $10 million for dirt on Donald Trump. He ran that in the Washington Post. I, I actually saw Larry Flint play poker at the Hustler at the beginning of of my uh, poker career when I was playing like 3, 6, and 4, 8 limit hold'em at the Hustler. I used to see him playing uh, 1,500, 3,000. I remember Huck Seed was in the game. But but what would happen is like these obnoxious guards would like just wheel him through and, and uh, he's in a wheelchair and they just push him through aggressively and bang your chair out of the way. And they they push him to the game and he'd play. And uh, so, yeah, he's offering uh, $10 million though for, for dirt on Donald Trump. And as I said, he put this ad in the Washington Post that uh, that that he will do this, and he, here, here's what he put: "He said uh, Larry Flint in the Hustler magazine announced a cash offer of up to that's kind of uh, questionable. Up to that could be anything. Up to ten million dollars for information leading to the impeachment and removal from office of Donald Trump. So this this is more than just dirt on him. This would be information that would." lead to the impeachment and removal from office, which is a very tough thing to do. Even if you do give dirt, you have to... It's very tough to get a president forcibly removed from office. So, I think this is probably... We're having trouble connecting, Marty. Marty, you there? Yeah, can you can you hear me now? Yes. Can, can you hear me okay now? Yes, I can hear you okay now, yeah. Okay, sorry. All right, sorry about that. The the internet's really spotty. I just lost the signal. Yeah, so I, I was just talking about uh, Larry Flint is offering ten million dollars if people can give information that would lead to the impeachment and removal of Donald Trump from office. Yeah, that's going to happen. I can tell you right now that Donald Trump will not be impeached. I'll I'll put money on that. Uh, there's there's absolutely no way this guy is going to be impeached. The libtards can keep spinning all they want. I don't think anybody realized the process involved to get a president impeached. Yeah, and, it's very. Know, they're well, even talking about our, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the Twenty Fifth Amendment now. I mean, are these don't even get me started on this. <laughs> well, uh, I'll say I, I, that's what I was saying here. That uh, the impeachment that's not as hard, but the removal from office. After the impeachment is hard. Like, for example, Bill Clinton was actually impeached over the perjury he committed with the Monica Lewinsky thing, but uh, but he was not removed from office. So to actually remove the president from office is very tough. Now, Nixon probably would have been removed from office had he not resigned, but uh, it's a very tough thing to do, and just some dirt on Donald Trump is not going to make that happen. So I, I think Larry Flint is really just more doing this for publicity. And and also just maybe it's shot, right. the, the, the shot the in the dark. About, the, the, yeah, and the thing about impeachment that that most uh, 
left wingers don't seem to grasp is that first it has to go through Congress. And then assuming that Congress gets a, a majority vote, then it has to go through the Senate. Then the Senate needs a two thirds majority to get rid of the president. It's simply not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the Senate is the Senate is basically a, uh, the Senate is basically the jury if it gets that far. Now, if they did if they did try to implement impeachment proceedings against Trump and it goes before Congress, I can see how Congress would push it forward. But and when it gets to the Senate, it's just going to be the same the same thing over again. It's going to be everybody voting party line. It'll be a 50-50 split. There's no way they get a two-thirds majority in the Senate. It's not going to happen. Liberals need to suck it up and understand that Trump is going to be president for at least four years. Deal with it. It's not, <laughs> it's, the impeachment's not going to happen. I, I agree. I don't think he's going to be removed from office. I, think... I, can, I, can do this. I can do this all day. You want to schedule a Trump radio show? Count me in. I can do this all day. I'll be the last man standing. Now, Marty, do, do you? By the way, where do all the liberals come from on your website? Wait a minute, where they come from? They're just there. They've, they've been. I never, I never imagined you had so many diehard left wingers on your site. No, there, yeah, there are. There, there's a number of them, but uh, you know, it's uh, most of these people are ones you've known for years. These are not just people who came out of nowhere. It's mo- most of them have been around for a long time on this on the site, and. Okay, so do you do you tell like people a, like Barry? Yeah, well, yeah, like Barry is a good example. Do you do you tell people on the ship that you're as pro-Trump as you are? Do you have these Trump discussions on the ship? Uh, well, it's kind of a bad idea to discuss politics on board. Uh, I mean, we kind of do in secret, but it's you know, I know a, there's a guy on here that's a diehard Bernie Sanders supporter. And we've had a, a lot of really interesting conversations. You know, my here's my problem with here's my problem with people on the left is that for whatever reason, the you know I I consider I pride myself on being able to discuss and debate politics without lashing out with personal attacks. And it always seems to me that people on the left, when you back them into a corner with facts, they always seem to lash out with "You're an idiot," "You're a moron," you know, or people have yet. This is what I don't understand. How can people possibly oppose Trump? I mean, can we not agree that this guy has the best interest of the American people at heart? I mean, is anybody questioning his his patriotism or loyalty to the people of the United States? I don't understand this globalist mentality. I mean, Trump campaigned on these platforms, which were bring jobs back to the U.S., America first, illegal immigration, curb the national debt. Who the fuck is opposed to these things? Who's who's going to sit there and tell me that they're pro illegal immigration? Are you serious? Do, do these assholes realize how much money we spend every year supporting illegal immigrants in the form of, of welfare or uh, food stamps or housing or free education? I mean, give me a break. When, when are we going to start taking care of our own people? Our, our own cities are all fucked up. I mean, this is what I don't get. I don't understand the hatred. And the animosity towards Donald Trump, I really just don't understand it. Mm. Why is this guy so loathed? Is it just because these dem- these uh, left wingers are are still butthurt because he kicked Hillary's ass? I mean, where where, where is all this hatred stemming from? I, I I voted for him because he seems like to me like he's a patriot. Seems to me like he cares about the country more first. And I love the fact that he's not beholden to any special interest. He, he's nobody has him in his pocket. The guy's a total renegade. I mean, who who doesn't think that Washington is completely screwed up, 
I mean, it's already screwed up already that this whole phrase drain the swamp is spot on. I mean, the real problem is the real problem is Congress and the Senate. And it's a toxic political environment. Trump's coming in to shake everything up. Who could be opposed to this? I just I'm, I'm mystified. I mean, I get it. Trump's an asshole. He's an egomaniac. He's a, he's a, he's he's unpolished. He's brash. He's probably not qualified to run the country. I mean, <laughs> I understand all that. But I mean, I get it up. But I'm I'm more I'm not a look. I like Trump. I'm not so much a fan of Trump. I'm a fan of what he represents. I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, I don't think Trump's God. I like him because he's he's just he's um, the guy shoots from the hip. And I like the fact that he tweets it. He's just he's unfiltered. You know, one of the one of the things that resonated with me when he was campaigning was he never seemed rehearsed. You know, Hillary and all these other GOP candidates, they all hired focus groups to they all campaigned on like these these bullet talking points. You know, I saw a video where Jeb or not Jeb Bush, but um, um, uh, what's his face? Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz would go from city to city giving the same speech over and over and over again. You know, Trump never run off teleprompters. He, he, just, he just let it fly. He'll go out there and sit out there for two hours shooting from the hip. And I could give a shit about his grabbing by the pussy comment. I could care less. And I don't care that he, he, I don't care about that he said that Mexicans are rapists and, and uh, whatever he said about Mexicans. Who cares? He's, he's, right, he's spot on. All the, all the Mexicans that are coming into the U.S., a lot of them are rapists and drug, uh, drug dealers. What's the problem? Trump says a lot of uh, uh, things that, I don't know. Is, the, is he perfect? No. But I, I think that he truly has the American people's interest as his number one priority. He, he does, he's sick of shipping jobs overseas. He's sick and tired of our national debt. And he's sick and tired. I'm, people, he got elected because people were sick and tired of being lied to you. His, most of his core, most of his base, these are people didn't necessarily vote for Trump. They voted for Trump because they're sick and tired of the same bullshit from candidates like Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush. All, the same song and dance, the same choreographed crap. You know, good for Trump. I'm glad. I'm glad he, this guy managed to piss off the Republicans, the Democrats, and the media. That tells me he's the right man for the job. Okay, well, that's I, a, I, the best part is watching liberals spin out of control. We'll we'll have to discuss this some other time. Go but ahead. but yes, that's uh, uh, you definitely got got out a lot of what you liked about Trump here and and why you've been supporting him. So okay, Marty, I'm going to move on here. It's it's two thirty a.m. over here, and I want to finish the rest of the agenda before the show's shut down. So uh, thank you for calling tonight. It was a, a good discussion and. Uh, Hope, hopefully, actually, you could stay sober. Then it, it seems like uh, everything's better, and, and, and even your appearances on the radio are better. <laughs> All right, thanks for letting me call in. All right, bye, Marty. Yeah, Marty, I, I recently unba- I unbanned him on his birthday. I actually unbanned him from the site on his birthday, and then right away there was a controversy, which I won't go into here. But there's a controversy on the forum involving him and. Hutmaster, who they were friends for a long time but aren't friends anymore. And uh, some people actually thought I unbanned him in order to have that controversy play out. But that's not what happened. I had no idea that was going to blow up there. So let's let's move on. I'm going to talk about uh, – so let me finish. Uh, I, mean, I guess Larry Flint, there's not much more to say. I, I I think this is mostly for publicity. Maybe it's a shot in the dark that maybe someone could come out there with something to be 
big enough to get him impeached and removed. But you would think someone who has something like that could probably get more than $10 million by selling it to the media. So I, I think it's more just for attention. Even if just to bring attention to his criticisms of Donald Trump, because the ad also criticized Trump and was talking about how he's going to lead us to war with North Korea, blah, blah, blah. I, I will say that the Hustler Casino is it's one of the nicer places to play in L.A. It's it's smaller. It's not like uh, the size of the bike or, or especially commerce, but it's it's a nicer atmosphere. Uh, it's not as new as it once was. Like the the Hustler Casino opened in the late '90s, and back when I played there in the that was the first place I ever played poker, and that was an, an early '01. At that point, it was only. Uh, a few years old, and it was, it was very nice. Now it's older, but it's, it's been kept up pretty well. So it's kind of a, a smaller casino, but people people in that area, they, they really seem to like it. Moving along, the MGM Corporation is going to be buying a basketball team and probably moving it to Las Vegas. Yes, MGM... That actually, they they already did buy it. They've or they've agreed to buy it. They are buying the professional basketball team in San Antonio. You know that team, a certain team in San Antonio, with a black and white logo, black and white uniforms. A team that has enjoyed some success. They're going to be buying that team and moving them from San Antonio to Las Vegas. No, I'm not talking about the Spurs. I'm talking about the San Antonio Stars, the WNBA team. (laughs) Delayed laughter there. The price they paid for the San Antonio Stars was not disclosed. But they have agreed to buy the San Antonio Stars and move them to Vegas. For the last three years, the Stars have been the last place team in the WNBA. It's also unclear if the Stars will remain the Stars or if they will get a different name. Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world, WNBA President Lisa Borders said. We're a friends and family entertainment option. The WNBA is a women's professional basketball league, but we're in the entertainment business. There is tremendous synergy between who we are and what the Las Vegas market offers, particularly in the hands of the MGM team. Hmm. Who really is a fan of the WNBA? I, I, I know lesbians love it, but do they really have a fan base outside of lesbians? And I'm asking that seriously. I'm not even trying to ask it derisively. I just... Like, I don't know any men who are fans of the WNBA, at least, like, none who will admit to it. And even women that I know, even women who like sports, don't seem to want to watch the WNBA. Like, I I know women who are into sports who will watch basketball or football or baseball, but they don't seem to also watch the WNBA. It seems like the female sports fans tend to have the same tastes in sports as male f- sports fans. They, they want to see the best players play. And a league of women would not be 
as skillful as a league of men, simply due to the physical differences between men and women. So I've always wondered how the WNBA even survives. And you, you can't even say, well, you're watching hot chicks play basketball, because you're really not. Most of them are not very attractive. In fact, uh, it's kind of an open secret in the WNBA that most of the players in the WNBA are lesbians themselves, which might be why it's so popular with lesbians. So, yeah, an- another professional sports team coming to Vegas, though, in addition to the hockey team and the Las Vegas Raiders, which within a few years will be playing in the city of Vegas instead of in Oakland. So this will be the third team, a WNBA team. It's not clear whether or not MGM-owned sportsbooks will allow bets on the San Antonio Stars or whatever they become. So I, I don't know why the NBA, I don't know why the MGM even bothered with this. What are, what are they really getting out of it? Do they believe this will bring a lot of revenue? Is there really much interest? Kind of an odd business for them to go into. Okay, not much more to say about that. Just the WNBA team, San Antonio Stars, has been bought by MGM and moving to Vegas. The San Diego area has a lot of Indian casinos. Southern California, even though the largest part of Southern California is the L.A. area and the... Orange County area is sometimes associated with the L.A. area, and that's pretty large as well. So L.A. and Orange County together make up a very large population. But there are no casinos. There are some poker rooms like Commerce, but there's no Vegas-style casino gambling in L.A. or Orange County. So if you want to engage in that type of gambling without going to Vegas, then you have to go to one of the various Indian casinos in the state. There are several of them in the northern San Diego County area and and some also in uh, in Riverside County, which borders San Diego County. And then there's also some in the other direction, in uh, like the Santa Barbara area and... Uh, there's some, like, I think there's one in Rosamond. But the, the thing is, there's not... The main concentration of them in Southern California are in the San Diego area, the northern San Diego County area, or the, the Riverside County area. So, kind of clustered together. Oh, and then there's also the Palm Springs area, of things like Morongo, ones like that. So, the ones in the San Diego area kind of clustered together not too far from one another. It's not like a line of them. It's not like in Vegas where there's a strip or Laughlin where there's a you know, big line of casinos, but these are all within a few miles of each other. You have Pachanga, which is in Temecula. That's in Riverside County. But then in San Diego County, not too far from there, you have Pala, you have Harris Resort Southern California, which used to be known as Harris Rincon. And that's actually the only Caesars property in California. 
you have one called Palma, and then there's a bunch of other ones in other parts of San Diego County, such as Viejas and uh, Verona. I won't list them all. I don't even know them all by heart. But uh, this is Siquan. I forgot about that one. They advertise during Padres games. So in that northern San Diego County and southern Riverside County area, the, the big three are Paula, Pachanga, and Harris Rincon. And they've all been expanding. They, they've added hotels. They, uh, they, they've been trying to get better and better entertainment options and concerts to come there, you know, with like real uh, performances and concerts that are of big names. They've been upping their restaurant offerings. They're, they're trying to one-up each other. Uh, they're building new wings to hotels, new towers to try to have nicer accommodations for people. They expand the casinos. So Paula is the latest one to be expanding. They just held a groundbreaking ceremony to where they're expanding and spending $170 million on this renovation project. They're going to be expanding their gambling floor, their gaming floor, by 12,000 square feet. Uh, currently, they have 2,500 machines and 88 table games. Or sorry, they, yeah, sorry, they, they will have that when this is done. I don't know what they have right now, but that's what they will have when this is uh, done. It's going to be 2,500 machines and 88 table games. The entire interior of the casino will be remodeled. The current food promenade they have will be converted into a restaurant complex, and there'll be a bunch of different restaurants there. They will be changing the pool into a multi-pool and entertainment resort complex. There will be four pools, two whirlpools, a poolside bar, and a poolside restaurant. They're adding uh, 420 parking spaces. They are adding another tower with 348 hotel rooms, which will give them 853 rooms total, including 104 suites. So... It's a pretty significant expansion. And they claim the first phase of this, I don't know what defined as the first phase, it'll be completed by the spring of 2018. And they claim this will all be done by the end of 2019. So it's, it's going to be a slow process, but they are expanding. Harris Rincon a few years ago built another tower because they were they were doing very well. And a big problem they had there was they were constantly full. It was so hard to get a room there. In fact, even seven stars had to be turned away sometimes because they were just completely jammed. So they finally added a new tower. Before they had what they called the Spa Tower, which was a high-rise, but it was kind of old. And then there was another, uh, the Garden Tower, which kind of more resembled uh, like a long four-story motel. 
I actually preferred the garden tower. I thought it was a little bit nicer, and also you didn't have to wait for slow elevators going down. So I, I preferred the garden tower, but they, they built a new tower. I think they renamed them all. But they built a new tower, which, of course, was the best of them all because it was new. But even with that new tower, they sell out on the weekends. Like, it's it's hard to get a room there on the weekends if you don't do it in advance at the Rincon. And at the Rincon, they do very well partially because they're a Caesars property. And that's the only Caesars property in California. So people who have a Caesars status in Vegas, like you know, Diamonds and Seven Stars, like going there. Also, their play goes towards the Total Rewards program, which people like. So Paula, they, they have to compete with that. They have to compete with the fact that they're independent and and Rincon, they are a Caesars property under the Total Rewards umbrella. So Paula actually has to do more to compete. They have to they have a nicer hotel, better food. They feel they have to do more to get the business. And then there's also Pachanga, which is you know, not quite as close. That one you have to go up the hill to get to... Uh, to Temecula, but that's also not too far away, and that's that's gotten very large. And I, I played in all of these places when they were small, many years ago, when they were just tents. So it's amazing how far they've come. These really look like real resorts now. They're not quite the size of something like Foxwoods or like some of these big Vegas properties, but they, they do look like real casino resort properties. And they're all kind of out of the way. You're going to have to drive to get to them, probably, no matter where you live. Like Paula and Rincon, those are those are not really near anything. Uh, Pachanga is in Temecula, which is a semi-sizable city in Riverside County. But aside from that, you're never that close to any of them. I don't go to Rincon that often because the traffic is terrible getting there. Like, first of all, it's not very close to where I am because I'm I'm in a part of California that's not exactly L.A., so it's it's an additional drive, and then I have traffic the whole end. Like, if I do it on Friday, it's just a disaster. So I just hate the traffic going there. If there's no traffic, I can cover it in, I don't know, two hours, a little more than two hours if there's no traffic. But if there is if there is traffic, it can take over four and then like, well, I might as well go to Vegas then. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if in response to the Pala expansion that we'll see something from the Rincon. See what else we got here. Finally, an Australian casino is accused of rigging video poker machines. And what's kind of a strange yet disturbing story is it's not the way you'd expect them to be rigging them. The Crown Resorts, which uh, there's several of them in in, in, uh, Australia, and it's controlled by James Packer who's a billionaire casino mogul in in Australia. There's 
accusations from federal MP Andrew Wilkie that they have engaged deliberately in software manipulation to increase gambler losses on on machines at at uh, Crown Melbourne. But what's strange when you hear increased gambler losses and software manipulation, you want to think of like machines are being rigged, but that, that's not really what's happening here. Uh, what's being said is happening is the following. The whistleblowers allege that some crown slot machines, commonly referred to as poker machines in Australia, so I, I guess, I don't know if these are video poker, or maybe they are slot machines, they're just called poker machines, I don't know, uh, were adjusted to, to allow buttons to remain pressed down to continuously generate bets at its Melbourne casino against Victorian state laws. The testimony also claims that some buttons were disabled to reduce the choice of consumers as to how much they bet, prompting the state casino regulator to order fixes. The whistleblowers allege that members of the Victoria regulator knew of problems with crown slot machines and took no disciplinary action except to ask that they be restored to their intended condition. So basically they're saying that you know, in machines you can always control how many credits you're betting at once. Even if it's uh, video poker, slot machines, or, or what denomination you're betting, and the accusations were that number one, they removed some buttons or disabled some buttons that could allow you to lower your bet, and they probably just froze them at the highest amount bet, and you couldn't change it. And then the second allegation is that the bet, the buttons would intentionally stick to where they just keep bet, 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 and <laughs> you couldn't stop it. <laughs> It's to continuous that they would be uh, remain pressed down to continuously generate bets. So that'd be kind of frustrating. Whether it's a slot machine or video poker, it's just like the button's stuck and it just goes, you know, bet, 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 bet over and over, and you can't stop it. So that the the complaint is that this was done intentionally, and that they would just feign it was a problem, and then they'd probably come over there and pretend to fix it. So that's an allegation against this these Crown Casinos, specifically the one in Melbourne. Interestingly, James Packer was actually considering building a casino on the Las Vegas Strip, but uh, in December he pulled out of it. They were going to build a casino called the Alon Casino, but chose not to. So I, I wonder if this would have affected their ability to get a license in Vegas or in Nevada had this happened, you know, had they gone forward with it. But at the time when they dropped out of this Vegas project, they said they're going to instead focus on Australia. I wonder if that also meant we're going to focus on cheating people in Australia. The reason this is so bad is you know, to, to either force people to repeatedly spin the slot machine or continue to play video poker when they don't want to play anymore is, is pretty lousy. That it's just auto bets for people and that they do this intentionally. It's also pretty bad, but not quite as bad, that they disabled abilities to lower the bets that should be a feature of each machine, according to Victorian law. But at least there, people know what they're betting before they bet. Uh, the bad part is when you start betting, it's just that the buttons stick and they leave them with this problem on purpose. 
Now, this is just an accusation. I don't know if it's true, but uh, I, I, I would think that this accusation is coming from somewhere, and I doubt it's just being completely made up. See, here's some text messages we got for the 916. A lot of the Indian casinos are also expanding their fire departments. San Pasquale is expanding right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And the 505, how can someone be dumb enough to believe that Trump will do any of that? That's in reference to what Marty was saying about Trump on here. Okay, so if you like Poker Fraud Alert Radio every six days, I have good news for you because it's going to happen again. We've we've been on this like six-day schedule recently because we kind of got away from our Wednesday broadcast day. And... I've been easing it back to Wednesday by making each show six days later than the previous show rather than seven. So the next show will be on Wednesday, October 25th. I also want to announce that Stitcher is having some issues. So if you're using Stitcher to listen to the show, you may want to use something else like TuneIn. Because Stitcher seems to be slow with picking up shows in the archives, and I've seen some other issues with it. So I'm going to talk to their support and uh, see if they can fix it. Otherwise, I wouldn't recommend Stitcher for now. But if you can get it to work, great. But if you don't see the show appearing in the archives like you expect, then check TuneIn, check iTunes, check Google Play. These are all options. Or you can just listen to the archives on the Poker Fraud Alert server. Just click on the MP3 file that you see in the radio forum and it'll it'll probably just play on your device. I don't even bother with those apps. So, maybe next week we will have Calwatt back. Next show is planned for Wednesday the 25th of October at approximately 8:15 p.m. Thank you Traderuski for co-hosting part of the show and then falling asleep as usual and who would have thought a call from Marty would be on this show and actually be civil you never know what's going to happen here I'll definitely give you guys an update next week on what happens with that merge situation with the stolen money and with the World Series of Poker School of Poker and that scam that supposedly occurred there and what the result is of that. I definitely want to see that resolved too. That one's not quite as important as the one with Merge, but important nonetheless. If you know anybody who is screwed or scammed in poker, whether by an individual or a company, please direct them to Poker Fraud Alert and We will discuss it and look into it. As you see, I always want this sort of thing to come forward. I I always want these things discussed and brought out into the open and made right. But it's very frustrating when your hard-earned money gets stolen by unscrupulous people who try to take advantage of our community. And that's why I love to call these things out. I like to shine the light on them and sometimes help cause them to be rectified. That is all for tonight. 
Thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate all our listeners, and you can text me anytime, especially if you're a new listener. I'd like to hear from you and just know why you're listening or how you found the show or all that stuff. You can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Text me, 775-372-8355. PM me on the forum, dandruff, whatever. Good night, and shalom. Go Dodgers!